Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, good morning and welcome to a Tuesday. It is March the 2nd, 2021. Let me know what's on your mind this morning. All the news and your views. Give us a call. 13 12 69. That's the open line number. If you want to send me a text, you can do that. 0458 049 209. And of course, you can always send us an email as well. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Well, plenty of news around today. Absolutely, there is, and it all, uh, well, there's a couple of big issues that are affecting our federal government at the moment. Yesterday, as we know, the damning aged care report was handed down, while the Prime Minister is still distracted by the fact that, well, someone perhaps within his cabinets is alleged to have committed a heinous crime. I'll go through that a little later, but first of all, of course, a lot of the talk is about the Aged Care Royal Commission. We were warned, we were told to expect, well, some damning evidence. And out of the whole, uh, I guess, um, number of issues that were raised, it's very clear that our aged care system here in Australia is broken. And many of the aged care system's failings and weak regulation are the result of successive governments' desire to rein in spending across the sector. I mean, the Aged Care Royal Commission's landmark final report comes to this conclusion very clearly. The 2,800-page report released yesterday said the extent of substandard care in the system was, quote, unacceptable and, quote, deeply concerning. A philosophical shift that put people in care at the centre of quality and safety regulation was needed, and that's where it starts. Yesterday, the Prime Minister, in I think a bit of a tone-deaf scenario, chose Kirribilli House to announce the Royal Commission's Findings and basically throw the report around in the air in front of a multi-million dollar mansion. I mean, again, this bloke. I don't understand, Scott. I really... I just... You just... It just doesn't work. Anyway. He acknowledged the report's shocking findings. And in doing so, committed nearly half a billion dollars, $452.2 million, to address immediate issues and said the government would provide a comprehensive response in the upcoming May budget. The report estimated the collective decisions of successive governments had cuts more than $9.8 billion from the budget for aged care in 2018-2019. Well, see, that's half the problem, probably. The current aged care system and its weak and ineffective regulatory arrangements did not arise by accident. The move to ritualistic regulation was a natural consequence of the government's desire to restrain expenditure in aged care. In essence, having not provided enough funding for good quality care, 
the regulatory arrangements could only pay lip service to the requirement that the care was provided of high quality. As I've been saying for so long now on this program, elderly Australians deserve a damn sight better. Why? Well, because we are a nation of wealth. We have big business that's thriving in our country at the moment. We allow multinationals basically to come in. And yes, they employ people, but they come in the front door and out the back without paying too much tax. There's money available if we have the political will to get out there and collect it. Anyway, the report contains 148 recommendations, including enshrining the rights of elder Australians in legislation, creating an independent Inspector General to investigate and monitor governance of the aged care system, and mandatory minimum qualifications for workers, as well as a national registration scheme for those staff. Health and Aged Care Minister Greg Hunt said the Aged Care Act of 1997 would be torn up. And the Prime Minister said the Royal Commission was the inquiry we needed to have. This is a challenge to all of us. So yes, the findings of this Commission work is as shocking as I thought it would be and frankly expected it to be. Well... You've presided over a government and and been a part of a mob that's basically cut funding from the sector. What was that figure I mentioned again? Goes into the billions of dollars. Commissioner Tony Pagoni, QC, recommended the establishment of a separate aged care commission as a corporate Commonwealth entity to maintain the aged care system and monitor quality and safety. He also recommended the creation of an aged care pricing authority and an aged care advisory council. Well, this all sounds good in theory. Hopefully, not more overpaid bureaucrats with big staff and big expenditures that eats up the budget. Commissioner Linnell Briggs recommended that there always be a senior cabinet member responsible for aged care. Well, that can't be Richard Colbeck. I mean, he was there yesterday, nodding away. I mean, honestly. If you want to have your say, 13, 12, 69, there's plenty to go through, and we will this morning. We'll uh, get some independent thought um, on this whole issue uh, we'll speak to some of the experts from the aged care sector. Ian Henschke will drop by. And uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, 13, 12, 69. I mean, leading aged care services, Australia, the voice of aged care, thanks to the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety for investigating all elements of Australia's broken aged care system. I mean, we knew it was coming. The interim report was titled, very clearly... Neglect in big capital letters. We should be doing so, so much more for the aged care sector and elderly Australians who have helped build this country of ours. 13 12 69 is the telephone number if you'd like to have your say. Craig, good morning. How are you, mate? Good morning, Marcus. Uh, I've completely lost faith in Scott Morrison. I say I totally agree with you. He's tone deaf. 
Uh, it should have been out in March. House yesterday, uh, yep. recent uh, report. Uh, well, somewhere, even on on the northern beaches of Sydney, he chose Kirribilli House, for God's sake. Why yeah. on earth would you choose a multi-million dollar harbourside mansion to announce possibly what is one of the well worst Royal Commission findings we've ever had in our country? <laughs> I don't know. I shake my head. Yeah, I, uh, say, I said, I've, I've completely lost faith in, in this government. And I say, it's a sad indictment. Uh, 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 say, I say, I'm just absolutely gobsmacked. And I'll tell you another thing, I've had a gut for also of these nodders. I say, Richard Colbeck, I say, don't, don't, don't they understand just how embarrassing they look? Well, I mean, he stood there yesterday, Richard Colbeck. Uh, I mean, he's the bloke who's presided over... Uh, well, I, look, in fairness, I mean, the pandemic did catch the aged care system... Uh, unawares and all the rest of it, but uh, to not be on top of your portfolio and to not understand the magnitude of the amount of deaths that were happening in aged care during the pandemic, I mean, that's inexcusable for a senior minister on big, big money. Look, the other issue, of course, yesterday is that the media only received a copy of the aged care report, the Royal Commission into Aged Care, some half an hour before Promo himself, Scott Morrison, decided to call a press conference. Tone deaf. And Anthony Albanese rightly said yesterday, so long as Scott Morrison treats aged care like a political problem, to be hidden or handballed, we'll never be able to fix the problems in aged care. The system is broken. The government should have one objective, to fix it. It's time for the PM to be straight with the Australian people and just get this thing done... I mean, yesterday, I'm sorry to say it, the defensive arrogance of this bloke, such a fake, a fraud. The elderly of Australia deserve a damn sight better. And when he was challenged and quizzed by journalists who were simply there to keep him to account, this is what he came up with. Since Friday, Mm. you've given us half an hour's notice to attend a press conference. Mm. You tabled the report while we were here. How can we ask questions that are relevant to what's in the report without knowing what's in it? Well, there'll be plenty of opportunities to ask many questions. But we're unable to ask them. Um, no. This isn't the only day that I'll be standing before you on this. Um, today, I'm here telling Australia we've released the Royal Commission. We that's commissioned a, that's it. a spin tactic, we, isn't it, Pete? No. Major social reform, and you've stopped us from actually looking at the report. Is that because you've got two commissioners who disagree on the reforms and the way forward? Mm. Well, I don't know. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Again, the PMO, the Prime Minister's office, balls this up yesterday. Absolutely they did. To announce to journalists, you've got half an hour to get to Kirribilli House because the PM's going to release the Royal Commission. is not good enough. It is simply not good enough. It shows a complete contempt for the aged care sector. It shows a contempt for the way we operate in this country. I mean, they've had, as the journalist said, and I, can't, I think it might have been Laura... No, it wasn't Laura Tingle. Whoever it was. The journalist said very clearly, you've had this report since Friday, Mr Morrison. Why have you not given us ample time to go through it and to ask you the appropriate questions? And then he was accused of spin. <laughs> he, the journalist 
Basically, uh, look, the, the press the press pack is almost turning on this bloke. Report since Friday, mm. you've given us half an hour's notice to attend a press conference. Mm. You tabled the report while we were here. How can we ask questions that are relevant to what's in the report without knowing what's in it? Well, there'll be plenty of opportunities to ask many questions. But we're unable to ask. Um, no. This isn't the only day that I'll be standing before you on this. Um, today, I'm here telling Australia we've released the Royal Commission. We that's commissioned a, that's it. Spin tactic, we, isn't it, Pete? No. Major social reform, and you've stopped us from actually looking at the report. <laughs> Is that because you've got two commissioners who disagree on the reforms and the way forward? No, it's because he's a fake. And he's a fraud. And he's got some other issues going on as well. I mean, the Morrison government right now is nothing short of a sewer. It's steeped in allegations of rape and sexual assault of the most serious and sickening kind. It's almost certain that Scott Morrison will attempt to brazen out this latest allegation. He will not stand any ministers aside. And he will continue to contend that it's a matter for the police in the full knowledge that the police cannot pursue criminal charges. The minister will not be investigated by police. He will not be exonerated. His name will not be cleared. Suspicion will linger over the heads of all male cabinet ministers, including the Prime Minister, Christian Porter and Peter Dutton. Uh, When does Parliament come back? Well, I have a sneaking suspicion, perhaps... The person at the centre of the latest allegation, this is aside from the issues of aged care, of course, I have a feeling that Sarah Hanson-Young or somebody will name this minister under privilege. 13, 12, 68, it has to. How can Australians have any confidence in a government while this allegation lingers over the head of a senior minister? I mean, how can we take them seriously? 13, 12, 69, if you would like to have you say, Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning, 13, 12, 69, the number. Wombat, hello there. Hello, good morning. Morning, Wombat, how are you? Good. Um, since 1997, yeah. every government has never changed the legislation that was enacted then to make the sector responsible for how they spent the money that was given by the government to the sector. Well, that's true. Uh, so yes, you, you the successive have... governments have failed. But please don't go the whataboutism. Please don't, don't, don't no, go no, the whataboutism no, no. on me because I'll, I'll, I'll seriously get cranky. No, no, don't go whataboutism. No, Anthony Albanese was on this program last year. I spoke to him the year before. He warned that successive budgets were cutting aged care funding mm. by $9.8 billion in the last two financial years. The Prime Minister's known about this. He's stuffed it up completely, Wombat. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. Early planning is underway to provide additional commuter parking in Janelli. The problem is you're dealing with people here who have lived in the area who are going to lose their homes and who claim that basically they haven't been consulted. Have you not been at all informed about what's been going on until the 11th hour? That's absolutely correct. The house would be compulsorily taken for the reason to build a multi-storey car park in our quiet little suburban street. 
Mm. Negotiation is questionable whether it truly is negotiable because if we don't agree, it happens anyway. We love our community mm. and it's special to us. And, you know, monetary compensation isn't the issue. We can't replicate what we have here. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, good morning. Welcome back to the program. 13 12 69 is my telephone number if you would like to have you say. Emails, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. If you want to send us a message on Facebook, you can do that as well. Uh, just go to 2smsupernetwork.com and click on our show page. Paul Foster, good morning to you, Paul. Uh, look, I don't know what to make of your email here apart from the fact that um, obviously you don't want good government. Um, well, maybe you're happy with the fact that uh, the current mob, the LNP, are helping you out in business. Well, that's great. This is what Paul said. You seem to be liberal bashing uh, every time I listen. If there was another station after 5am, I would be listening. Obviously, you're a Labor supporter or a Green. No, I'm not, Paul. I'm neither. I'm pretty centrist. What I want is a better Australia, Paul. Uh, Paul goes on to say, and that when I say a better Australia, I want a government that's for all the people and and not just their you know rich business mates and and I want a government that takes aged care uh, seriously and listens to uh, people within the sector without sitting on reports that you know an interim report that quite clearly said neglects what are you going to do about it for well, nothing until the final report comes out well how many more people have suffered in the meantime anyway just getting off that Paul uh, you go on to say that. Liberal have done an amazing job during COVID-19. Well, they have, to an extent, yes, absolutely. We've done a brilliant job. But not the federal government. I mean, all they've done is spend our money to buy vaccines and presided over the mess that basically was state governments bickering and fighting with each other. State governments independently have done exceptionally well. Yes, New South Wales in particular. But you go on to say, especially in business, and if you haven't got back on your feet, you shouldn't be in business. Wow, Paul, you sound like one of those business types that would be very happy to take Australian taxpayer dollars in job keeper payments and then not pay it back if you've done very well in business. Come on, Paul, you're part of the problem, mate. You're part of the swamp that needs to be drained and... I think, look, if you can't find another radio station after five o'clock, put a CD on or something. I don't know. Listen to Beethoven or Buck while you count your pennies because obviously that's all you give a shit about and that's money. Well, I don't. I care about Australians. I care about a, a fair and equitable aged care system that doesn't allow elderly Australians, who, by the way, have built this country to enable you to be in business to make the money you're obviously making, Paul. Anyway, as Dee says, the Prime Minister Marcus can turn on the crocodile tears as much as he wants for the cameras. But the interim report on aged care was titled very clearly, Neglect, and yet he still did nothing. 
So for him to pretend yesterday to be sad and appalled at the final report is absolute hogwash. 13, 12, 69. Alrighty, uh, look, you might have heard just a couple of moments or so ago we had um, me talking yesterday to a couple of homeowners down in Janali. Today we'll find out what happened at an extraordinary meeting yesterday or last night with the Sutherland Council. We're going to speak to the Mayor of Sutherland, Steve Simpson, on the program just after 7.30 this morning. Steve will outline the Council's position on these nine homes which are set to be demolished. I mean, their D-Day is fast approaching. And I'm also led to believe that the state government's already done a deal with one of the homeowners, which could jeopardise future sales, or certainly the, the value of future sales, should the government go ahead and compulsorily acquire this land. Look, the locals down there at Janali say, basically, there is a much better option. It's behind the, the Woolworths. Uh, there's enough. There's a car park that exists there already. It's council land. Just rejig the thing so that these people, these nine people, can stay in their homes. Anyway, we'll talk more about it this morning. Uh, if anybody from the Ginelli support group, more than, I think it's up to 11,000 people now, signed that petition to save these homes. If you're listening to us this morning and you do want to add your comments to it, please, by all means, give us a call. That's what the open line is for. I'd love to hear from you. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Uh, by the way, Andrew Lee, our job keeper. See, we're going to have to give Andrew a hashtag, I think, Scruff. Should we? We'll have to anoint him a hashtag something. Uh, we've got Corruption Warriors, Water Warriors, Helen Dalton, all the rest of it. Um, Andrew might be our hashtag job keeper warrior. He has clawed back literally more than a hundred plus million dollars of our money, taxpayer money, from big businesses who've done well during COVID nineteen, and we support and applaud all of those businesses that have repaid JobKeeper that they didn't need. All right, I mean somebody needs to chase the money. Frydenberg doesn't care. I mean he's made it very clear and said in Parliament that uh, well he won't be chasing these businesses for the return of the money. As we, as we say, JobKeeper payments weren't meant to prop up big business and profitable businesses during COVID. JobKeeper programs and the money, you know, the hundreds of, hundreds of millions of dollars, in fact, more than that, $1.2-odd billion, was set aside to ensure people could stay in work. Anyway, Andrew will be on the program just after 7 o'clock this morning. He'll have more to say about it. Harvey Norman, Jerry Harvey, uh, the man with the million racehorses, still will not return JobKeeper. And there are others as well on the shame file. We'll speak to Andrew about it. Uh, now, the Greens. Oh, you'll love this, Paul. We've got one of the Greens coming on today. Dear, oh dear. How on earth will you cope, Paul? Anyway, Adam Bant on the program today. He's going to make some comments I just thought we'd speak to Adam because, you know, normally we speak to Labor or, you know, you'll hear all the time from uh, the Libs. Just go to the mainstream media and you'll always hear from the Prime Minister. 
Albo uh, doesn't really get a look in. Anyway, we'll speak to Adam Band today. I just want to get his take on everything that's been happening in Canberra. Uh, Pauline Hanson on the program as well. Uh, she's talking about coal driving a billion-dollar budget boost despite facing disgusting tactics from all sides of politics and Chinese importation restrictions. Our coal industry has managed to pump billions into our economy at a time when we need it the most. So anyway, we'll talk to Pauline about that and other issues this morning as well. 13, 12, 69. and genuine talk on the radio, then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, uh, 12 and a half minutes away from six. Dane, are you there, Dane? Yes, hi, Marcus. How are you this morning? Well, thank you, mate. Uh, what's on your mind there, Dane? Oh, look, um, regarding the Southern Shire, I'm not a member of um, that group in Janali. Yeah. So if you look at the local and state government and the overdevelopment of the Southern Shire at the moment, mm. it's not supported with enough resources. So the resource in regards to road, traffic and uh, public transport, it's been the same for 50 years. Now, the government can take a heap in regards to taxation. Yeah from the sales of, of all these properties and all these high-rise developments. Mm-hmm. But where where, and when is it going to get pumped back into our, um, the adequate resources to provide a more sustainable type of living for those residents? Well, come on, um, Dane. Where, where on earth do you think they're going to get the money for, a, I don't know, a brand-new stadium in Ramwick, for goodness sake? Where, where do you think that money's going to come? That's exactly right. <laughs> 555, $555 million for a... What, 45,000 seat stadium with 42,000 seats? Ah, so you see, you, like, you, yes, you, you've yeah. got it. I, I'm not, I don't need to school you on any of this. You understand exactly what goes on. Sell off as many assets as you can around the rest of the Sydney just so you can build stadiums for your mates, your corporate mates, eh? That, that's it. Well, the irony is that well, the Prime Minister is the, is the federal member. But yet, because it's such a safe, liberal seat, nothing changes. And this is the issue. Unless we make these seats more challengeable, Mm. well, it just goes by the by. And now, you know, the M, I think, the the M5 or the extension that's been promised for 60 years... It, every, every, I'd say, 10 years, yep. you know, okay, look, it's going to get built. It's going to get built. Never has it been built. Oh, now, this is I'm the F6, you mean? The F6 yes, that runs sorry, down F6 to the Illawarra, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Now, I'm not one for um, uh, basically putting resources and money into uh, road networks, but even public, ne- uh, public transport networks, we need something, an infrastructure development. Because if you go down to the Shire of a weekend or 4.30 of an afternoon, mm. it is gridlocked. See, now, I'm going to be honest, I moved from the eastern suburbs yeah. to the Sutherland Shire uh-huh. because of the traffic situation. Because I said, oh, look, you know, suburban living for a family environment, this will be awesome. But at the moment, it is worse than the eastern suburbs regarding getting from Cronulla, one end of the Cronulla, to, a, to, to another. Now, I know it sounds like third-world problems, and I sound like a massive whinger, but all I'm asking is for the state and the local government to actually get some of that money and put it back into the community. 
Well said, mate. The ones that are paying for it. Well okay, said, Dave. Thank you, Marcus. I appreciate your time as well. No, my pleasure. I appreciate your call. That's exactly that's exactly what the open line is for. Thirteen twelve sixty nine. If you have a an issue or a concern or something that you'd like to get off your chest, something you'd like to talk about in your area, it doesn't have to be the Shire. It can be the western suburbs. It can be anywhere. You can it can be in the central west of New South Wales. For our Bathurst and Orange listeners, it can be up on the mid-north coast. For our listeners this morning uh, on FM 93.5 and Radio 531, um, give us a call. Let us know. That's exactly what the open line is for. John, good morning. Hello, Marcus. I was going to talk about something else, but I'll carry on from that gentleman there. Yeah. This is a succession of both Liberal and Labor, both of them, being governed for 40, 50 years by developers. And it's look after your mates, and this will go through. And that is the end result of what we've got now. Now, it, it, to get anything rezoned now, it, it, it jobs for the boys, and we've got all this green movement and everything else. To get a block of ground rezoned, you know, if you've got a rural block of ground which they've got to use, the, the amount of hoops and, and problems you've got to go through and the cost is biodiversity, biobanking, biosecurity, the traffic control, and all of this attracts a GST, the grab, snatch, and take. And then that goes on the end result of I the like price. That. Of the price. The grab, that snatch, is... and take. That's what, that's what you call the GST, the grab, snatch, and take. <laughs> no, it's got worse than that now. It's now Tell it's me. the government swindles tax. <laughs> the government swindles tax. Ah, you're the man for my, uh, what do we call those things? You know, uh, GST, you know, uh, what are they called? Where you got the three letters together? The grab, snatch and take. Yeah, yeah, I'm just talking about, you know, what do we, uh, when we talk about language and we talk about sentences and we talk about, uh, not abbreviations. Slogans, slogans and aneurysms. Aneurysms? Jesus, the government's enough to give us an aneurysm, isn't it? Yeah, it, well, it, well, but, but, but uh, they're all—it's Tweedledum or Tweedledumer. No matter what you do, they're governed, and they—and they've signed all these agreements. Agenda Twenty One is the cause of what you've got there at Janelli and everything now. And people wow. better study it. I've been studying this since I left school. Made some very good tutors, and I've got all the documentation. I bring them in to show you in, in the studio if you like. I've got a document here that no one can get. Yep. No one. Acronym is what I'm talking about. Acronym. You wanted to talk about Sarah Hansen Young. Um, all right, I'll give you a minute to have a go at Sarah. Okay. Now, that, this is a police matter, not mm-hmm. a, 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 a parliament matter. Now, it's, it's got a separation of powers. Did it occur in New South Wales or the ACT? The, the, the federal police only got control in the ACT. Well, hang on. Yeah, yes, Andrew Lee will talk about that this morning because he's done some hang work on, on hang it on. For us. Let me finish. Let me finish. Sure. She has no right to mention anything like that in why Parliament not? without she, she can, to, to Hang on, why not? Why not? There's plenty of evidence. She'll she'll back it up. She's got plenty okay, of evidence. Well, she was the one it. who was let sent. The, she was let, the let, hang let on, John. John, stop. She was the one who was sent the letter. Her and other okay. politicians. She's probably okay. the only one with the backbone that's actually going to do anything about it. Okay. Now, okay. If, it's, if that's the case, hand it to the police and let them handle it. She can't make the rules up as she goes along. Mate, the police won't handle it. I can tell you the police won't handle it because... The well, there mustn't be any grounds for it to go on. No, right, well, she should be censured for that. 
Why? I don't like that. The same thing happened to Pauline Hanson, and look mm. what happened. She went to jail. There's your evidence. Well, completely different. Completely different. No, it's not. Yeah, it's no, the same completely thing that different happened. situations. Completely different no, scenarios. No, it's yes. not the same situation. No, completely different scenarios. This is no a way criminal... in the world is it different. The same co- right, concocted story went up. Well, then... all right. You say it's concocted, and I think that's actually very offensive uh, to victims of sexual assault, John. But we'll leave it there, mate. Thank you. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning, thirteen twelve sixty nine. The telephone number. We're off to the news with Kayser in just a moment. Um, now, if you want to have your say, thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine, and uh, yes, it may get a little willing this morning because I'm cranky. I'm very cranky. I'm cranky for a number of reasons. First and foremost, I'm annoyed that yesterday we had the leader of our country stand up and look all shocked and dismayed and disappointed and upset when he damn well knew what was coming, but really chose to do nothing about it, even though an interim report into aged care in this country was titled Neglects, and I had countless conversations with the opposition leader, Anthony Albanese, Ian Henschke from National Seniors Australia and others, others who lobby for a better deal for elderly Australians last year on this program, talking to, I was blue in the face about what we needed to do, get people off lists for home care, you know, better staff-patient ratio, put people before profits and all the rest of it. <laughs> And yet, we got a, a leader of our country yesterday standing up, putting on the crocodile tears. Weak and ineffective. Government cost cutting has been slammed in the damned aged care report. We'll have more to say on it after six o'clock. Marcus Paul in the morning. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. It's a Tuesday, and it's great to have your company. 13 12 69, the telephone number, if you would like to have your say. Uh, Paul Vestige, who's policy manager of the Combined Pensioners and Superannuants Association, will be on the program very soon. Uh, they say the Australian government's initial response to the Aged Care Royal Commission's final report indicates it's not taking the problems in aged care seriously. We'll find out uh, the basis of their claims in just a couple of moments. But if you would like to have your say, 13 12 69. And MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com for your emails. Just some other news briefly. And 22,000 of us are being called upon to donate blood and plasma inside the next two weeks. The call has been driven by an increase in elective surgery as busy hospitals tackle the backlog caused by COVID-19. The Australian Red Cross Lifeblood team say certain types are particularly needed. So, look, please, if you're a a regular blood donor and you haven't because of the pandemic, get back out there and and give blood. Give life is what they say, don't they? All right, so, look, they urgently require 22-odd thousand people to come forward and donate blood and plasma in the next fortnight. Uh, Waverley Council in Sydney wants to increase the green cover in their area. The council will use the $320,000 Greening Our City Innovation Grant to establish new sky parks. This will harness the space available on building structures to grow plants. I love plants that grow in... uh, Look, if you go past Broadway, what about that beautiful building? Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but, you know, just opposite uh, the university. It's just gorgeous. There's shopping centre and 
there are a couple of buildings around Sydney that do that. I reckon that's a great idea. Waverley Mayor Paul Marcellos says the extra green space um, will not only uh, be quite nice and aesthetically uh, around the area, but it'll help in the hot weather, apparently. Hmm. Um, and let's have a look here. Ah, New South Wales will let the 18-year moratorium on genetically modified crops lapse, lifting the ban on GM crops. They say it could save farmers up to 35% on their overheads and boost production by around 10%. Agriculture Minister Adam Marshall says controls will be in place, obviously, to ensure that genetically modified crops aren't affecting our health. Uh, but he says it will help the sector, and he's probably right there. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine—the telephone number to have you say. Marcus Paul in the morning now. The Aged Care Royal Commission. Weak and ineffective. Government cost-cutting has been slammed in this damning aged care report. The two thousand eight hundred-page report released yesterday said the extent of substandard care in the system was unacceptable and deeply concerning. A philosophical shift that put people in care at the centre of quality and safety regulation is needed. Many of the aged care system's failings and weak regulation are a result of successive governments' desire to rein in spending across the sector. This landmark final report estimated the collective decisions of successive governments had cuts more than $9.8 billion from the budget for aged care in 2018-2019. Now, acknowledging the report's shocking findings yesterday, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, committed an extra $452.2 million to address immediate issues and said the government would provide a comprehensive response in the May budget. All right, well, there's throwing money at the problem and then there's actually doing something about it. I mean, the Aged Care Act of 1997 apparently is going to be torn up The report's 148 recommendations includes enshrining the rights of elder Australians in legislation, creating an independent Inspector General to investigate and monitor governance of the aged care system, and mandatory minimum qualifications for workers, as well as a national registration scheme for those staff. That's fine. Just don't, you know, spend all of this money tying the sector up in bureaucracy. Real responses, real action and not another mini-bureaucracy within the aged care sector itself. The Australian Government's initial response to the Aged Care Royal Commission's final report indicates, though, according to the Combined Pensioners and Superannuants Association, they say the Government's not taking the problems in aged care seriously. Their policy manager, Paul Vestige, joins us on the program. G'day, Paul. How are you? Not too bad, Mark. How are you? Good, thank you. The interim report uh, was very clear on what was coming. Neglect was its title. The Australian government said the Australian government will immediately invest more than $18 million to enhance the oversight of the government's home care packages program to better deliver value for senior Australians and the Australian taxpayer. What's your response to that? Well, the estimate uh, to fix the the home uh, home care packages program uh, was two billion dollars uh, a year, so eighteen million dollars is um, is simply not going to touch the sides, so to speak. Um, we need far more, 
and uh, the argument that, you know, we're going to consider the uh, the report, the government says, and then we'll come back to you in May, yep. is really not good enough. They've had two years while the mm. uh, Royal Commission was not trained to uh, to do something. They didn't. Well, that's right. Uh, I mean, he didn't... Uh, the, the Prime Minister and the Aged Care Minister, whoever it is this day, these days, I mean... Uh, the bloke that was in charge during COVID had absolutely no idea. I mean, he didn't even realise what was going on in his own sector in nursing homes. But putting that aside, Richard Colbeck, uh, I mean, they've known this is coming. The interim report was titled Neglect, but still nothing has been done. And now yesterday we, we learned that $452 million will be thrown at this in a bit of a Band-Aid, if you like, solution to carry through to the next budget. I mean, as you say, the money will stretch existing money for actual home care packages as far as it will go, which is good. But as a response, it is a total rejection of the Royal Commission's recommendation to clear the home care packages waiting list immediately and then keep it clear. Now, you can't keep it clear with just throwing $18 million at it, as you say. That's right. Yep. It's, uh, it's impossible to, uh, to do anything meaningful with that money. They were probably going to spend it anyway. Mm. Um, and, you know, that, that really goes for the government's response so far uh, all, all around. You know, it's, it's, it's simply patching up little things uh, a bit here. There's 18,000 18, new places for personal care workers. Um, you know, we need 100,000 uh, home care packages, 18,000 more people are not going to deliver uh, those those hundred thousand packages. Uh, is far more needed, um, and um, the ninety-two million dollars sounds a lot, but you know, again, it doesn't touch. But science. that's over four years, though. Absolutely, it's, uh, it's as I said, it sounds like a lot of money, mm. but it isn't. It mm. needs billions of dollars. So eighteen thousand um, new additional workers to deliver home care packages over four years will literally have no effect on the home care program? Um, not materially, no. It, uh, it will improve things for some people. Mm. But we need 100,000 uh, more packages. That's what's needed. And um, then you work out how many people you need to, uh, to deliver those packages. That's, that's something that, that they could have done over the last two years because this, this problem was uh, signalled by themselves in their many reports and also by the Royal Commission during its investigations. And the question was asked, how much is it going to cost to fix this? $2 billion. Well, do we get $92 million over four years? Mm. The government said funding worth $32 million will immediately be allocated to enhancing the capacity of the Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission and greater regulation around the use of restraints in care uh, your response to this, the overuse of physical and chemical restraints, is down to a lack of staff, of course. Yeah, that's right. Um, people are being given sedatives. Um, that's that's what, it, what it is. Yeah. Uh, antipsychotic drugs to keep them quiet so that they don't go walking about the place. Um, some, you know, because of dementia, become aggressive or can easily get angry. Yeah. Um, if you if you dope them up to the to the eyeballs, you need one staff member. If you don't do that, you need ten. So um, it's easier to give people pills, and many nursing homes, frankly, can't do anything else because they simply haven't got the money. So um, yeah, thirty-two million dollars. What's that going to do? 
The government says in response to the Royal Commission report, the Australian government will immediately invest an additional $189.9 million for residential care providers to provide stability and maintain services. While the government considers the recommendations of the Royal Commission's final report, this support equates to around $760 per resident in metropolitan residential aged care and $1,145 for those in rural, regional and remote areas. Now... What do you make of this? Well, at least they're honest. Uh, you know, they, they tell us what uh, what it is worth per resident, and seven hundred and sixty dollars uh, in in metro areas will buy you about thirty hours of care. Uh, this is until May. Uh, yeah. That's still uh, four months away. Mm. Um, you know, that's that's not all that much um, extra hours of care care per resident. It's slightly better in the metropolitan area, but still. Oh. 46 hours is what they get uh, per resident, extra until May. Um, it is not very much. So it's inadequate, basically. It is inadequate. Um, and again, it's, it's a problem that, uh, that has been identified very early on in, in the Royal Commission. Um, and to act now as if that this, is, uh, you know, this is a new finding and now we're going to sit down for four months and work out what we're going to do about this, uh, that is a bit rich. Also, too, the government said, along with the measures to further develop residential aged care governance, our government is also strengthening the arm of the Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission by appointing an assistant commissioner for sector capability with responsibility. It just goes on. It's all political rubbish and gobbledygook here. Basically, what they look to be doing... <laughs> I mean, by spending $30.1 million to strengthen the governance of aged care providers and legislative governance obligations of the sector, it's almost like they're going to create another mini-bureaucracy to look after the sector. Yeah, and of course that was a big point of contention between the two aged care commissioners, um, whether you know, the health department or whether the, uh, the should, should, should lead the reform and implement the changes and become the regulator or whether there should be a new um, new commission to do that. Mm. And, um, you know, a new commission would have been very expensive. Yes. Um, and now they're going to just spend $30 million to, um, uh, to give to the Aged Care uh, Safety and Quality Commission. And that, frankly, can do with the money because it is underfunded. Yep. So that's not all bad, but um, it doesn't address the real problem of who should be the regulator. Um, who's going to be the best and most effective and most and least red tape regulator uh, for the aged care sector. It's unaddressed. All right, and finally, um, as we heard yesterday, Minister Hunts confirmed that work will immediately commence to replace the Aged Care Act of 1997, providing, in the government's words, a strong, fresh foundation to enable the reforms to be implemented and drive a cultural change with the focus on responding to the needs of senior Australians, again, this sounds like a, you know, a political slogan and a, you know, a promise. But in reality, what can come of this? Well, it depends on what's going to be in the new legislation. But I, I do remember two and a half years ago, two or two and a bit years ago, when I went to give evidence at the Royal Commission, one of the first things I said was that the Aged Care Act needed to go. Um, and I'm, I'm really pleased that uh, that um, that, has, that is going to happen. But it all depends 
on what is in the the Aged Care Act, the, uh, the new Aged Care Act. The old one simply is about um, how subsidies are paid, how, you, how yeah. providers can qualify. Uh, the new the new act should be about the rights of um, of residents, and it can make a big difference, but it can also be a wishy washy um, exercise. So we really have to watch, um, like everything we have to watch well, about aged care. Well, I, but look, ultimately what needs to happen is that any new Aged Care Act needs to be, be replaced by legislation where people, not money, and profits come first. People first, ahead of profits and money. Absolutely. That's, uh, it's, 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 it's sad that we've had this act for almost a quarter of a century and, uh, and money and profits have been, been put first. And, you know, the, the stories coming out of aged care, particularly in nursing homes, um, you know, that's, that's the consequence. When yeah. you do that, you have people dying, you have people suffering. And um, um, we really hope that this is going to improve. All right. Well, it's great to have you on, Paul. Thank you for going through uh, some of uh, the most important aspects of, of the aged care report handed down by the Royal Commission yesterday, and I appreciate your time. My pleasure. All right. Paul Vestige there, who's the Combined Pensioners and Superannuants uh, boss. Now, reforming the failing aged care sector is entirely in the hands of the Morrison government, requiring a philosophical shift from an administration uh, the Royal Commission feared was interested only in a minimum commitment, the Commission's final report said. Commissioners warned that fixing the sector could not be left to the industry and the government must change its approach to aged care in order to do it, including writing an entirely new Aged Care Act and creating a new Aged Care Safety and Quality Authority and star ratings for providers. The Royal Commission into the Aged Care Quality and Safety, which heard accounts of physical and sexual abuse, inhumane restrictive practices and substandard food and medication practices, said that only the government had the power to fix it. I mean, absolutely they do. Absolutely they do. The government needs to step up and embrace its responsibilities for aged care. That comes directly from Commissioner Linnell Briggs. She said in the final report, at times in this inquiry, it has felt like the government's main consideration was what was the minimum commitment it could get away with, rather than what should be done to sustain the aged care system so that it is enabled to deliver high quality and safe care. Now, of course, the Prime Minister yesterday announced an immediate injection of $452 million in funding for the sector. Um, but basically, he, when he was asked for... Uh, well, look, it goes into a whole range, a whole lot of political jargon and gobbledygook and all the rest of it um, that will just take far too long to explain here. But at the end of the day... We need a much better aged care sector. We have a, a chance to restart with a, a fresh slate, if you like, of providing an act that puts people ahead of profit. And the federal government, quite clearly, according to the Royal Commissioners, needs to play a more active part. Genuine talk on the radio. 
Marcus Paul in the morning. Early planning is underway to provide additional commuter parking in Janelli. The problem is you're dealing with people here who have lived in the area who are going to lose their homes and who claim that basically they haven't been consulted. Have you not been at all informed about what's been going on until the 11th hour? Or? That's absolutely correct. The house would be compulsorily taken for the reason to build a multi-storey car park in our quiet little suburban street. Mm. Negotiation is questionable, whether it truly is negotiable, because if we don't agree, it happens anyway. We love our community, mm. and it's special to us. And, you know, monetary compensation isn't the issue. We can't replicate what we have here. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back to the program on this Tuesday. It is March the 2nd, 131269, the telephone number. Uh, look, our hashtag JobKeeperWarrior, <laughs> Andrew Lee, will join us after 7 o'clock this morning. We will talk more on the Aged Care Royal Commission's findings. Sean Rooney. Will join us. Uh, the aged, the Australian Aged Care Collaboration. Uh, they're requesting more than 1,000 organisations who deliver 70% of aged care services to 1.3 million Australians, either in their own homes or communal uh, residents or residential settings. Uh, they're going to have their say on it this morning. Um, we'll find out uh, their take on yesterday's announcements. Uh, meanwhile, just on the issue of Janali, the Sutherland Shire Council held an extraordinary meeting last night uh, to release some plans on a solution for this issue down there where nine homes are set to be demolished by the state government to build a brand new car park, multi-storey car park. Transport for New South Wales delivered an ultimatum last week of give us a car park or we demolish the homes. The New South Wales government's ultimatum runs out, well, tomorrow. So the next couple of days are obviously pivotal. Uh, they've had a, a 10,000 plus people sign a New South Wales parliamentary petition. They've distributed more than 8,000 flyers in the last week alone. And they have simply 164 days until these residents are kicked out of their homes. So we'll speak this morning to the Mayor of the Sutherlands, Shire Steve Simpson. He'll be on the program at around a quarter to eight. And just on this, uh, Diana's been in touch this morning. Marcus, I used to be a resident of Ginelli. From what I remember, I do not understand why the commuters can't park in the same parking station. It makes sense to have it that way. They arrive at Ginelli Station, they can do last-minute shopping and then head home. The commuter's car park would be on the opposite side of the shops, and it's a fair walk when you're carrying shopping. Uh, well, yes, a lot of people are suggesting that behind Woolworths, the uh, local government-owned lands, the council-owned land is the spot to put it. The state government disagrees. They want to demolish nine homes and build a monstrosity across the road. Lynn's been in touch as well. If you want to send us an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Lynn's email is entitled Neglect of Elderly. G'day, Marcus. The government didn't want the Royal Commission. They knew the outcome. How many elderly people under this government's watch have died waiting for the home care package? 
If this blatant neglect had have happened to two-year-olds or asylum seekers, there would have been outrage decades ago. Old people in nursing homes frankly don't seem to matter to governments, and we as a society should hang our heads in shame for not holding them accountable. Well, we're trying to, Lynn. We are certainly trying to. We've been talking about it on this program uh, since we've been on air in the last year or so. I've spoken at length uh, to, you know, lobbyists and groups that are concerned with the aged care sector. I've spoken to the federal opposition, Anthony Albanese and others, countless occasions, highlighting the issues and the problems, and obviously there are a lot of them, because the Aged Care Royal Commission yesterday said quite clearly the government is responsible, the federal government, and they need to step up on aged care. Only the government can repair the damage. Meanwhile, another headache for the Prime Minister of our country, Scott Morrison. He's staring down calls for an inquiry into a woman's allegation of rape against one of his cabinet ministers. Now, the PM yesterday revealed he spoke to the man last week and received a complete denial of the claims. The woman's friends and lawyer demanded the inquiry after Mr Morrison backed the Cabinet Minister yesterday amid concern the police will not be able to continue their investigations because the woman sadly took her wife a life last June. The Prime Minister declared it would be wrong to ask the Minister to step aside on the basis of media reports about the decades-old rape arguing that all concerned had to leave it to the police and other authorities to investigate. Well, here's a little background. Um, this has come from the SBS. Um, they put together a bit of a, a package here with some of the comments on this issue yesterday. Now, these are very distressing issues that have been raised, and as, they, as there are other issues that have been raised in relation to other members. And, and other cases. But the proper place for that to be dealt with is by the authorities, which are the police. That's the test for all of us. I had a discussion with the individual, as I said, who absolutely rejects uh, these allegations. And so, after having spoken to the Commissioner and, uh, and to the Secretary and Deputy Secretary of my department at this stage, uh, there are no matters that require my immediate attention. Quite a um, hefty document. It's um, a letter uh, from uh, the deceased victim's um, friends and uh, a very serious um, attachment, which is um, the uh, statement to police uh, that this woman had prepared with her solicitor, uh, including um, her victim impact statement uh, and, of course, uh, corroborating evidence, including extracts uh, from when she was a 16-year-old um, from her diary at the time of the alleged incident. We now have a crisis of integrity um, hanging over this government. It's untenable that he continue in his role without that being addressed and dealt with. Uh, to pretend otherwise is, um, uh, is, is defying reality. Here in Australia, we adhere to the rule of law. And fundamental to the rule of law is the presumption of innocence. Every Australian deserves that right. Well, it is a headache. And after 7.30 this morning, we're going to speak to Adam Bant, Greens MP. He claims there is now a dark cloud over the Cabinet and the Federal Government. 
He says, and I quote, we need to make Parliament a safe place for women. Parliamentary staff shouldn't be going to work wondering if they're working alongside someone who's been accused of such a heinous crime. The position of the accused means this is a matter of national significance, says Mr Bat. These are extremely serious and shocking allegations that should be investigated to the fullest possible extent. The circumstances of this case and the potential difficulties of prosecuting the matter mean the Prime Minister cannot wait for the police investigation alone. He says the Prime Minister must also conduct his own independent inquiry to determine whether this Minister is fit to be in his Cabinet. If the Prime Minister doesn't at least stand this man aside when he conducts his own inquiry, then he's sending the terrible message there is space in his Cabinet for someone with an unresolved rape accusation. Adam Band joins us on the program after 7.30. Look, just on that as well, I've got a note here from Michael Bradley. Michael Bradley was the lawyer of the woman at the centre of, well, the woman who made the allegations. Michael Bradley says, The victim was my client, and I know who the minister is. Here's what should happen next. As matters stand today, the Prime Minister has, among the 16 member, male members of his cabinet, a senior minister who's accused of raping a 16-year-old girl back in 1988. I'll put this up front. The victim was my client, and I know who the minister is. My commentary is based purely on what's on the public record. The question confronting Morrison, his cabinet ministers, his outer ministry, and his entire government is politically explosive, but ethically straightforward. What should they do? As a legal fact, it is theoretically possible for a criminal rape prosecution to proceed, despite the alleged victim having died. As a reality, though, that won't happen. The evidentiary burden on the prosecution and the legal protections afforded the alleged perpetrator cannot be bridged. The coronial inquest into the victim's tragic death is unlikely to address and cannot resolve her allegation of rape. Its purpose is to determine the cause of her death. In simple terms, there is no ordinary legal process which is going to move forward this case. That leaves a situation which is untenable a senior cabinet minister under the cloud of an untested allegation of extreme gravity. The political consequences is paralysis. The government won't be able to effectively function because the integrity of almost its entire front bench is in question. There is no possibility of clean air. Political calculation may continue to determine what Morrison and his colleagues do, as it consistently has in relation to Brittany Higgins' alleged rape. However, it is too late for them, collectively or individually, to consider what would be the right thing to do. The first obvious step is for the Prime Minister of... Sorry, I'll start that again. The first obvious step is for the Minister, who is the subject of the allegation, to come forward, to identify himself and make a public statement. He should also step down, or be stepped down, while the matter is formally addressed. Secondly, the Prime Minister should institute an independent inquiry into the matter to fully investigate the allegation and its surrounding circumstances and determine on the civil standard of proof what happened. This is similar to what the High Court did in response to the allegations against Justice Dyson Hayden. Given the seriousness of these allegations, given the seriousness of these allegations, 
and the potential consequences, such an inquiry needs to have real substance. A judicial inquiry may be most appropriate, with powers to compel witnesses and take evidence on oath. It should not be an internal, secret or capable of being buried inquiry. In fairness to everyone, it must be beyond suspicion. It is, of course, not optimal that there will never be a determination of criminal guilt in this case. From the perspective of the victim, the accused and the public, the unavailability of that resolution, however, forces us to make do with the remaining available tools. What if the Cabinet Minister remains silent? Then the Prime Minister must step up and make the identification himself. What if he doesn't and refuses to institute an inquiry at all, relying instead on the presumption of innocence as a sufficient justification for doing nothing? That scenario would be untenable. I would hope for the other members of the Cabinet how they could continue their own reputation smeared and one of their colleagues carrying on with the allegation left hanging. They should resign their commissions. The same cascading collision of corporate and individual responsibility rolls all the way to the bottom of the government. It is ultimately a personal question of integrity and ethics. With what standard of accountability are you prepared to be associated with? It's one thing to sit in Cabinet, in the Ministry or the party room with colleagues who have no apparent compunction about using public money for partisan gain. It's quite another to sit next to a man who is accused of raping a schoolgirl, but won't stand up and face up. If this were rugby league, the player would have been stood down by now. That is because the integrity of the game is paramount, taking precedence over the rights of the accused. Can we seriously tolerate a lower standard in government than in sport? So that's a statement that's been sent to me from the alleged, well, the victim and that is from Michael Bradley, who was her lawyer. 13 12 69, the telephone number, Marcus. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Breakfast. All righty, seven minutes away from seven. After seven o'clock, I want to talk JobKeeper uh, with Andrew Lee, who's clawed back tens of millions of dollars, in fact, more than that. More than $100 million of JobKeeper payments. Meanwhile, I see Michael West Media has done some really good work on JobMaker. The government touts gas as being a key plank of JobMaker. It's COVID-19 recession recovery plan. To help support jobs, the government has given the gas industry $300 million of our money in subsidies. In return, though, the industry has cut 3,000 workers or more than 10% of its workforce, in a boom production year. We know for months the federal government's been talking up its gas-fired recovery, a key plank of its job-maker plan and our recovery from the COVID-19 recession. I mean, Scott Morrison said back on September 15 last year, gas will help re-establish a strong economy as part of the government's job-maker plan, making energy energy affordable for families and businesses and supporting jobs. Well, that's all fine. Supporting jobs, though? Hang on. The industry, despite being given $300 million of our money, taxpayer money, the industry has cut about 10% of its workforce. Or, in other words, it's shed around 3,000 workers. 
Eh? <laughs> How good is Job Maker? Marcus Paul in the morning, 13 12 69, my telephone number. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Alrighty, uh, Justin, I think we need to bring up uh, the warrior. Yeah, we'll bring up the... Uh, look, by the way, we're going to get a phone call from somebody celebrating a birthday uh, around 7.30 this morning. I don't want to give it away just yet. All right, I'm not going to give it away just yet. But right now, though, uh, let's introduce a... Uh, you got it there, Scruffles? Good man. Let's introduce a warrior. I think uh, we've, we've lost count of all the warriors we've got. We've got a water warrior, Helen Dalton. We've got a corruption warrior in Jody McKay. And look, we're going to anoint a brand new one today. Andrew Lee, good morning. G'day, Marcus. Terrific to be joining the ranks of your warriors. All right. You are our hashtag JobKeeper Warrior. How much Australian <laughs> taxpayer dollars have you clawed back in this scheme? Well, we've gone gone past the $100 million mark, uh, Marcus. We had uh, healthcare company Helios uh, handing back their JobKeeper last week and uh, uh, even the ports operator Cube hanging back, handing back half of the JobKeeper that they didn't need. Uh, but we also had a week in which we uh, saw the luxury car dealer AP Eagers uh, turn, turn over a profit of over $100 million after receiving $130 million of JobKeeper. Uh, and we saw Harvey Norman uh, turn up an uh, extraordinary profit, uh, $600 million, uh, and still refuse to repay their JobKeeper. So a few firms have done the right thing, Marcus, but there's plenty out there that have uh, gotten a massive, massive profit off the back of taxpayer subsidies and ought to hand back corporate welfare they didn't need. Corporate welfare. Why does Jerry Harvey from Harvey Norman require corporate welfare? Beats me, Marcus. Uh, this is a bloke who's uh, done extraordinarily well out of the pandemic, uh, who's uh, seen significantly increased sales in his stores uh, and yet had his head office and franchisees subsidised to the tune of some $22 million. Uh, he says that this is a, a tiny amount. Uh, well, it might be tiny to a billionaire, but it's not tiny to uh, most of, most of the, most Australians. He did not uh, say it was a tiny amount, did he? He did. He did indeed. Uh, so, you know, I think it's uh, it's it's time that uh, that he did uh, did the right thing. Uh, and if people are visiting Harvey Norman stores, then it's appropriate to politely mention to the manager that you think that Harvey Norman could uh, better better live up to its corporate ethics. Well, I think so. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, don't take it out on staff and all the rest of it. Of course not. But look, at the end of the day, Harvey Norman is a very good um, advertising spender. Not that he advertises on my program here in Sydney, but I know in our regions, he, you know, they spend a fair bit of money. But I mean, I'm, I'm just astounded that somebody like that would refer to 20 odd million dollars of Australian taxpayers' money as, you know, just a drop in the ocean. It's nothing. It's chicken feed. I mean, really? How out of touch nah. is this bloke? It's, it's extraordinary. I mean, this is uh, the same Jerry Harvey who said that uh, the uh, pandemic wouldn't be a serious issue. 
uh, and who uh, has uh, boasted at the same time as uh, the pandemic was ripping through Australia about the fact that his freezer sales were up 300%. Uh, so his, I think many of his public statements have been pretty hurtful to uh, regular Australians. Uh, and one way in which he could show that he understands what others have gone through uh, is to recognise that at a time when we've got a million people out of work, uh, we oughtn't be giving $22 million uh, to Jerry Harvey's uh, head office right. franchise. It's not just uh, Jerry Harvey and Harvey Norman. There are others. Um, who else is in your sights at the moment, Andrew? Uh, well, you know, you, you look you look through uh, some of the, uh, the the big companies. I mentioned AP Eagers before. You know, they sell uh, Lamborghinis, Bentleys, other luxury cars. Uh, they've turned out a $64 million dividend to their shareholders, uh, and yet they're subsidised by uh, JobKeeper uh, assistance uh, at a time in which they're seeing increased profits. Uh, people were buying a lot of luxury cars last year. Good luck to AP Eagers on their significant profit, but they simply don't need a taxpayer handout. No, hand it back. Hand it back. JobKeeper was not designed to pay dividends and quite healthy bonuses to executives. That's not what it was designed for. That is a blatant misuse of taxpayer money. That's right, Marcus. It was called job keeper, not bonus keeper, not dividend keeper, not billionaire keeper. Uh, and yet uh, corporate profits uh, from company after company uh, have gone up significantly. Right. Uh, you look at uh, Cog, Cog Financial Services, mining company Linus, a uh, company uh, Capital that's uh, built in the building industry, uh, all increased their profits off the back of JobKeeper and should repay it. Something I mentioned just a couple of moments ago, no question without notice for you. I know you can handle it. Um, the gas sector, touted by the Morrison government as being, you know, one of the ways out of our COVID-19 induced recession. We've paid some $300 million in subsidies, taxpayer dollar subsidies to the industry, the gas industry. Um, Scott Morrison said they were job makers, job maker, another you know, spiffy little slogan. But do you know that Michael West has uncovered from Michael West Media that that they have, in fact, shed jobs? Nearly 10% of the workforce, 3,000 workers in the gas industry have been stood down over the last six months, and yet we prop them up with $300 million, Andrew. Oh, that is pretty extraordinary. I mean, Michael certainly manages to uncover a range of, a range of interesting stories, and, and I think all sectors should be uh, conscious right now of the need to be growing employment, not shrinking it. Uh, it's a time at which uh, people are out there looking for work. Uh, for every vacancy, there's eight job seekers. And so mm. uh, employers need to be sensitive to the, uh, the, the opportunities to, to put more people onto the books. What did you make of the $3.98 whatever cents it was? Let's call it four bucks extra a week. <laughs> a day, I'm uh, sorry. For- for, for uh, the God, job seeker payment, job seekers, yeah, oh. absolutely. No, it's a, it's it's a, a very mo- a very modest amount at a time in which we've got a huge number of people out there mm. uh, need, relying on job seeker to uh, to make it, make ends meet. It's not a big increase. I mean, so many people are saying, and I agree with them, that the extra whatever it is per week. Um, basically accounts to next to nothing. It's a cup of coffee a day, if that. It is, and as one of my colleagues pointed out, when you're on JobSeeker, you're not out there buying takeaway coffees. 
Uh, you're looking to, uh, to to make every every cent uh, uh, go go as far as it can. It's a uh, it's a pretty uh, low payment relative to many other advanced countries. Aged Care Royal Commission um, handed down its findings yesterday. A tone-deaf Prime Minister appeared out front of one of the most expensive properties in Curability to announce some really awful news and then didn't take questions from the media because he decided that, well, he'd only release it half an hour before his press conference. Um, <laughs> I don't know where to go, Andrew. That's just pathetic. <laughs> I mean, really, a- what, what's going on? What, have we got this? Report, have we got this low? But just the whole way it was done yesterday as well—is this where we're up to? You know, hide it from the media. Don't allow them to peruse the document so they can ask appropriate questions, and then hold the bloody press conference out the front of Kirribilli House while you're talking about the disadvantaged and downtrodden elderly in our country. Well, it's the uh, 22nd report they've had showing that the uh, age sector is in crisis. The interim report was simply titled Neglect, which tells yeah. you all you need to know. Uh, this one had some chilling statistics and then talked about the uh, level of assaults in residential aged care as being uh, some 800 a week. Uh, sexual assaults, almost 50 a week. I mean, this is just awful stuff, Marcus. So I really feel for the the millions of Australians who are relying on the sector and the the 300,000 Australians who work in aged care who Mm. are going into those, uh, those, those homes today doing their level best, but in many cases not being paid appropriately for the work. Uh, the Aged Care Royal, Royal Commission pointed to the importance of raising qualifications and standards in, a, in residential aged care, uh, and that's that's got to be a priority. So I really hope the government doesn't continue their approach of uh, cutting funding and sweeping the issue under the carpet, but that they do actually take this one seriously. Just quickly, I want to play you a little bit of what the Prime Minister's had to say in relation to allegations of sexual assault against one of his most senior colleagues. Here's a little of uh, ScoMo yesterday. Now, these are very distressing issues that have been raised, and as as there are other issues that have been raised in relation to other members and and other cases, but the proper place for that to be dealt with is by the authorities, which are the police. All right. Look, I'm no uh, expert, legal expert, um, but I read out a statement earlier from uh, the deceased woman's legal team, uh, her lawyer, who was pretty scathing in his uh, critique of the government, saying that, look, they're most likely going to just bury this. And, you know, now that this poor woman has passed on, uh, there'll be nothing more said or done about it. Uh, what's your take on it? Well, the, the allegations certainly suggest that uh, that there could be an additional inquiry, uh, and that might not take the nature of a police inquiry, but might be an inquiry by somebody like uh, Vivian Tom, who's conducted these sorts of inquiries for the government in the past. I wasn't sure why the uh, Prime Minister referred it to the Australian Federal Police. Uh, they don't have jurisdiction. No, I they understand don't. It. It's, a, it's a matter for the New South Wales Police. Uh, and there's, uh, there's precedents for ministers standing aside in those circumstances. Arthur Senadina stood, in, uh, stood aside while he was being investigated on the Australian water holdings issue. Uh, Neville Rand stood aside as, as Premier while he was uh, under investigation for attempting to uh, influence a court case. Uh, so that that might well might well be appropriate in this case, uh, but the prime minister needs to live by the words that uh, he uttered when uh, uh, the uh, the issue of sexual assault in Parliament House came up, uh, and saying that uh, that we need to take the, take this seriously. Uh, and if he does that, then we need a, a full investigation of of what's gone.
gone on, uh, and potentially the minister should also stand aside during the course of that investigation. Um, I might try and catch up with the boss before we knock off today uh, at nine o'clock, but, I mean, what would uh, Labor's stance be on this, that the minister should stand aside for now? Well, these things need to need to be appropriately investigated. Uh, you know, I understand in the case of the uh, allegations that have been referred by Sarah Henderson that that relates to uh, allegations which were fully investigated by the police in the relevant state. Uh, I don't think that's the uh, that's the case of the allegations being made against the current cabinet minister, uh, and having uh, a full investigation of those would be appropriate uh, and would fit what. Uh, uh, the Prime Minister, Prime Minister said in the, in the case of the, uh, the allegations made by Brittany Higgins yeah. uh, that we in Parliament need to take these, these issues with the utmost ter- uh, seriousness uh, and that the standards that we uphold are those that, uh, that we can expect of the broader community. All right, mate. Good to have you on the program. And uh, again, congratulations. Uh, you're our latest anointee to the hash cl- hashtag Warrior Club, um, our JobKeeper Warrior. Well done. Proud to be a warrior, Marcus. All right, Thank you. mate. See ya. Uh, there he is, Andrew Lee, our hashtag JobKeeper Warrior, clawing back more than $100 million of taxpayer dollars. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Very soon, uh, we've got a, a birthday call out. We don't normally do birthdays. Of course, if you open up the phone lines of birthdays, you get inundated. But there are a couple of birthdays today. First of all, thank you to those who called through saying, can you please play something from Chris Martin and Coldplay? Yeah, Chris Martin was born on this day back in 1977. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13, 12, 69. Chris Martin from Coldplay celebrating a birthday today, which is wonderful. And I tell you what, someone else celebrating is the federal opposition leader, Anthony Albanese. Albo, good morning to you, mate. Good morning, Marcus. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. It's our pleasure. I didn't realise it was your birthday. We put up a, a photograph that was shared by your social media team. You're a you're a fair decent, uh, fairly decent looking rooster in your early days, Albo. <laughs> oh, what, what do you mean in your early days? <laughs> <laughs> Come it's on, actually, mate. <laughs> it's actually three of the shadow cabinet today. It's myself, Jim yeah. Chalmers, and Brendan O'Connor all share a birthday. So. Got to be fair odds on that. All right, fair enough. Look, I know we've got to go to the news. You've only got a couple of minutes, so just a quick comment, if you could. Let's just uh, leave it at the Royal Commission into the aged care sector. A damning report handed down yesterday. What do we need to do about it, Anthony? You and I have spoken at length about the issues here. Look, it's a damning indictment of our treatment of Australians who've built this country. Uh, whether it be people who've died waiting for home care packages or people who are in residential aged care. What we need is proper funding. We need some real regulation and control. And uh, we need to deal with workforce issues. Uh, Quite clearly, uh, the neglect that's there whereby we have elderly Australians who aren't getting the right nutrition who aren't getting the right care, mm. is, is an indictment. And uh, the government 
uh, has, of course, uh, ripped money out uh, by Scott Morrison uh, years ago that's never been put back. So first thing is proper funding, but then it needs proper regulation and a workforce, which is one that we would all expect and want if we were aged care residents. Absolutely. We may well be one day. Elderly Australians deserve nothing less. Anthony, happy birthday, mate. Happy birthday. We'll talk to you again on the program, I think, tomorrow or the next day or so. Enjoy your travels. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks very much, Marcus. Opposition Leader Anthony Albanese celebrating a birthday today. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back to the program. Don't forget 2SM and Marcus Paul in the morning are going to make March purple for epilepsy. March, of course, is Epilepsy Awareness Month. It's more common than you may think. Approximately a quarter of a million Australians are currently living with epilepsy, while 1 in 25, more than a million Australians, will be diagnosed in their lifetime. And please make sure you make March purple. All the details are on our site. Just go to 2smsupernetwork.com and click on the show page for details. As we go March purple (laughs) for epilepsy this month. Wow. Uh, Email coming through from Diane Burns. Diane's not happy. Wow, Marcus, what a loud, aggressive program you have. Unpleasant to listen to so early in the day. I think Justin does a wonderful job. Shall be tuning out of a morning. I love 2SM overall. Um, have been advertising with them for a lot of years. Well, I'm not quite sure which client you are, Diane, but let me fix this up for you. Wow, Marcus, what an informative and enlightening program you have. So pleasant to be told the truth about a number of issues and different perspectives we don't get from the mainstream media. It's good that you talk to alternate politicians, Marcus, and you provide different views rather than the usual LNP, uh, yeah, marketing spiel and spin. Uh, anyway, by the way, our listening base is larger than ever. We're reaching more than 1.23 million people on Facebook at the moment. So I'm sh- I'm not really sure what your association is with the station, Diane, but let us know. Um, Look, we've got plenty of people making advertising inquiries to be a part of what we're doing here. We're very excited about it, and so is uh, so are the new listening base that we are attracting, Di. So I'm sorry um, that you don't want to stay for the ride, but that's completely and utterly up to you. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning, if you would like to have your say. There is little doubt there is now a dark cloud over the cabinets and the federal government. We need to ensure that Parliament is a safe place for women. Parliamentary staff shouldn't be going to work wondering if they're working alongside someone who's been accused of a heinous crime. Adam Bant is the Greens MP and he tries his best to keep the government to account. He joins us on the program. Adam, thank you very much for your time, mate. Morning, Marcus. Uh, I am very disappointed in the way things are shaping up in Canberra at the moment. Um, I've been on this program now for months talking about allegations. Brittany Higgins is the partner of one of my ex-producers at 2CC in Canberra. I've known of what's going on for quite some time. I've known of her situation of being scared to speak for uh, for fear of losing her job and her career. And at the end of the day, this poor couple, both her and her partner David, have had to relocate to Queensland because their careers are finished, all because she made an allegation against... 
a an LNP staffer who seems to be protected. Uh, nothing to answer here, although there's a police investigation finally, but she had to lose a job for it to happen, a partner as well. We should be doing so much better, shouldn't we? Look, we definitely should. And I mean, Parliament needs to be a safe place for everyone to work and especially for women. And what we're finding out, uh, everyone's now becoming public, is that that's just not the case. And often it's because uh, women uh, are worried or fearful about coming forward and reporting what has happened to them and they're worried that there might be repercussions for them amongst um, their own side and and I think that this is something I'm not making a political point here I think this is something that sort of um, might be felt whoever you are working in parliament and one of the things that we need to do is put in place a uh, an independent mechanism so that anyone whoever they're working for who feels that they've got a complaint that they want to make is able to come forward and go and talk to someone confidentially without fear of reprisal. Um, but sadly, what we've, as you alluded to before, what we're also seeing though is that um, when people do come forward within the government, there's a bit of a don't ask, don't tell culture going on, and uh, there there doesn't a lot of the complaints that are being brought forward aren't being treated with the respect and the seriousness and the belief that they deserve. And we saw that even yesterday with some of the, the latest serious allegations of um, uh, allegations of rape against a cabinet minister. Uh, someone wrote a letter to the prime minister detailing serious allegations and the Prime Minister admitted yesterday he hadn't even read it and, and wasn't going to read it and wasn't going to take uh, any action with respect to standing his minister aside. So, I, Hang on, I don't understand that. So the Prime Minister said yesterday that he hadn't read it and wasn't going to read it, is that correct? I mean, a letter that alleges extreme um, allegations of sexual violence against somebody... Uh, and that allegation is levelled against a very senior minister within his cabinet, and he's not reading it? Yeah, that's right, and it's astounding. And I think people who listened to that yesterday would have been appalled. I, I was appalled that you've got some... Um, uh, of course, this is the terrible situ- and tragic situation where a woman who uh, is now no longer with us has written to... The prior, uh, sorry, some supporters of uh, that uh, the woman have written to the mm. Prime Minister and to other members of Parliament and have explained, look, here's the situation and these are some very serious allegations of rape against a minister and the Prime Minister basically admitted he hasn't even read the letter. So this don't ask, don't tell culture goes all the way to the top and I just think that is atrocious because, yes, it is the case that a police investigation... Uh, is now underway and needs to be underway into these claims. But the reality is that it may be difficult to obtain a prosecution, but also um, the the police will look at the criminal matters, but the Prime Minister's got his own test to satisfy. The Prime Minister's got to look at the claims that are put before him and work out, is there a spot in his Cabinet for someone who has an unresolved uh, rape accusation against them and he won't even look at a complaint? I mean, yes, there will be potential difficulties of prosecuting the matter, and we we have a presumption of innocence in this country, uh, and and that should be respected. We all understand that. But other ministers, other people within governments and within sporting uh, arenas and other organisations, people with high profiles have stood aside. 
amid allegations against them while the process is played out. The position of the, the accused means this is a matter, you say, of national significance. These are extremely serious and shocking allegations that should be investigated to the fullest possible extent. Now, if the Prime Minister's not interested, what hope have, I don't know, have other people within his cabinet got? I mean, how would they be feeling walking around with the public knowing that one of them has been accused of such a heinous crime? Well, I think that's a really important point. There is a now cloud um, over the cabinet and the government, and only the Prime Minister can dispel it. Yes. The, the, the presumption of innocence is critical in um, this country and the courts will determine who is innocent and who is guilty, but it's the Prime Minister who determines who gets to run the country as part of his Cabinet. Yeah. And they're separate tests and the Prime Minister has to decide, even applying just his own ministerial standards, which allow him to stand someone aside if they've got a charge against them, the Prime Minister has to decide while the court process is working itself through, is there a spot in his cabinet for someone who's got an unresolved rape allegation mm. against them? And oh, yeah, I mean, that, the, the, as I said, and I make the point, that, and you make the point too, but that in almost any other walk of life, if such a serious accusation was made against someone, um, they would be stood aside while the investigation takes place. And that's not, that's not um, saying someone's innocent or guilty. It's just saying while this is being investigated, that's the appropriate step to do. But the Prime Minister won't even get to first base and actually even read the complaint. Mm. Um, look, I know you don't speak for, for anybody else, but I know that uh, one of your colleagues, Senator Sarah Hanson-Young, also received correspondence in relation to this matter There are some suggestions that perhaps the use of parliamentary privilege may be used if the Prime Minister doesn't go ahead and perhaps take action on this. Can you see that happening, perhaps, of this minister being named under parliamentary privilege? Look, I hope it doesn't come to that because the Prime Minister sees sense and understands that this isn't one uh, where we can just try and tough it out or hope that um, no no one will pay attention or that the media cycle moves on. Because I think a lot of people around the country, and especially women, are looking now to the Prime Minister for some leadership and to understand that if you come forward with complaints, you'll be uh, listened to and you'll be supported and those complaints will be acted on. Uh, So I hope that that in the next couple of weeks before we go back to Parliament, it's a time that the Prime Minister will reflect and understand that this isn't something that uh, he can just say, I'm not going to inquire into while the other process is underway because the other process, for the reasons that we've just spoken about, doesn't deal with the issues and might not ever... Um, deal with the issues. So I, I hope that it won't come to that because I don't think that this continuing um, approach of turning a blind eye is going to be tenable for the Prime Minister. It's good to have you on the program, Adam. We'll catch up again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. All right, there he is, Adam Bank, Greens MP. Uh, what do you make of it? Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. the telephone number. 2SM. Australia's king of talkback radio, John Laws, 9am weekdays. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, very busy program this morning. I'd love to hear from you, 131269, if you would like to have you say. Emails, MP in the morning at 2SMSupernetwork.com. Uh, if you heard the program yesterday, you know we will have start you know that we've started this discussion 
with the fine people of Janali down in the Sutherland Shire. There are nine families who are at risk of losing their homes because the state government wants to, by hook or by crook, build a what I call an eyesore, a multi-storey car park on a number of roads opposite the railway station that would mean nine homes are demolished. Now, there is some land nearby that many are suggesting that's where this proposed new car park should go. And I agree. Why don't you put the car park near where the shopping centre is? Now, this land, I'm led to believe, is owned by the council. And I'm happy to say the Mayor of Sutherland, Steve Simpson, joins us on the program. Steve, thanks for your time, mate. Good morning, Marcus. How are you? Look, I'm very well. Uh, look, I um, I know you heard, you held an extraordinary meeting last night to discuss this issue. Uh, what is your take on it? What is council's um, position to begin with? Well, first, well, very first thing that we uh, reinforced our policy of non-compulsory acquisition of private property. Yeah, um, that, that's been a council's policy for a number of years. But this is not a council uh, forced uh, uh, um, takeover of houses. This is state government. But what we did last night was give give a clear pathway forward for a win-win situation. We said to the state government, stop the process of uh, forced amalgamation, forced uh, acquisition of these these properties. Secondly, yeah. work with work with us, and we'll we'll be able to put, if necessary, two hundred uh, car parking spaces in land that they own and we own together. Hmm. Thirdly, we'll work. Thirdly, we'll work with them, and and Woolworths to make sure that that land behind uh, the shopping centre at Woolworths isn't simply sterilised for a commuter car parking. Because commuter car parking, many people would not recognise, means that people drive there, park their car, stay there all day, come home after six o'clock, hop in their cars, and, and leave. And therefore. It gives no benefit to the local shopping centre. Mm. Now, what we said is, work with us. We'll uh, build um, new shopping areas. Yes. Shopping parking and commuter parking, all in the one development. Now, it won't be in line with their time frame. That's the problem, is, isn't it? That's the problem. They, they, they simply want the car parking site to be open before 2023. Mm. We're saying that um, that's not possible, um, and it's not possible for a number of reasons. Yeah, simply because of probity areas, council can't simply sell land without without consultation. Council simply cannot rezone land overnight. We need to speak with the state government. They need to work with us. We need to speak with the planning minister to ensure that the zoning um, is approved. And 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 this takes time. This takes time, no matter who's doing it. Um, but working together, if the 200 car parks are so desperately needed, yep. you, use their land right beside the railway line, yes. some of our land, yep. and we can put at cost and much cheaper for the taxpayers of, of, of the state a 200 uh, car parking for, for commuters. And then when all the all the work's done, all the zoning's done, and the right plans are in place... yeah. A commuter car park can go behind uh, Janelli Shopping Well, that sounds like a really good compromise, Steve. A really, really good compromise. This is a compromise, and and I've got to say, I've got to congratulate the staff. Now, our staff, um, and many times public servants, uh, don't always get the um, 
the accolades they deserve. Our staff worked so desperately hard to ensure that this was uh, this report was done over the weekend. Well done. Given yep. to councillors, and I want to congratulate the staff. They're some of the best in New South Wales. But let me say this, Marcus. Yeah. This has been going on, and our staff have been working with Transport for New South Wales since 2018. Yep. They knew that our plans were there. They knew that we wanted to work with them, Woolworths, and the community to make sure that the, pro- the right outcome uh, would come forward. Mm. It was a case of a time frame that stopped this work when New South Wales, Transport for New South Wales pulled out of it. Um, and in fact, um, we were told on the 11th of February about the, um, the forced uh, acquisition of these properties. I was shocked. Well, it's caught a lot of people by surprise. And basically, the state government says, you've got six months and you're out. It's absolutely. Um, And it's easy for people to say, this is nine homes. I want to say, this is not nine homes, this is nine families. Of course it is. Um, And and if you take the nine families, Mm. each of them have a story. Uh, We've got a young man, cerebral palsy, who lives in that area because he can walk to the shops. He he has neighbour support. We've got a young widower. Uh, two young children who who leaves her children there and, and one of the ladies that lives next door minds them so she can go to work and look after them. We've got people who have um, who are suffering cancer at this present stage. Right. These aren't just homes. These, these are a family. And I've got to say, um, I've been in uh, local government for 26 years and I've never been more proud than to support the public as I've been when... Uh, the this this last few weeks we've well, I can hear, yeah, I can hear the passion, Steve, and I think the uh, the people of the Sutherland Shire and those in particular in Janali right at the moment um, would appreciate your passion on this. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of public support. Let's be honest, more than ten thousand, upwards of ten thousand, maybe eleven, twelve thousand people have now signed this state government petition. So there's a lot of community concern over this issue. Let's hope, and we will try and uh, speak to the planning minister and others about it on our program. Let's hope the state government can now sit down with yourself and the other stakeholders and come to a an agreement and a compromise that will save these homes and and something that's better. Beneficial uh, for the entire community of Janali, and that is a, uh, a a new car park that's fit for purpose that will serve not only the railway station but also uh, local small businesses in the shopping centre. Marcus, can I say one other thing? Yeah. This 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 is this isn't a Steve Simpson thing. This is a councillor thing. Every single councillor, no matter what uh, political party they came yeah. through, stood up last night and said this is wrong. Well, this that's was, good. This is local government at its best, and I and I want to congratulate the, All right, the people Steve. down there. Good and, on you, mate. Uh, I've got to go because the news is coming up. But thank you again for your time this morning, and uh, we'll keep fighting for you. Okay, mate. Thank good you. All right, there he is, Steve Simpson, Mayor of Sutherland. All the news and your views, Marcus Paul in the morning. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, what a busy program. I hope you're enjoying it. 131269 is our telephone number if you would like to have you say this morning. Pauline Hanson joining me in just a couple of moments right now. Um, Alan, who's apparently a big fan of the radio station, he catches up with Diane Cope Nigalan out in the western suburbs around Blacktown. 
Uh, Al, are you there, mate? Yeah, mate. How are you, buddy? Good, pal. You? Yeah, good. Uh, are you doing the world's greatest shave? Yes, mate, I am. Good on you, buddy. Why are you doing it? Well, I'm a survivor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had leukaemia a number of years ago, and um, I, um, I've, uh, with this uh, COVID-19 yes. crap that's going on, uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I didn't get down to the barber shop, and uh, I've uh, got a head full of hair. And um, <laughs> <laughs> how uh, ironic! A cancer yeah. survivor with a head full of hair. I love it. Yeah. So you're going to go to the well, chop, are you? Well, I was going to go down to the barber shop and mm. and uh, and get it uh, get it cut off. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, then I saw the ad on TV and. Uh, and I thought, well, what a what a golden opportunity that I can that I can uh, put a bit back with the um, for, for the, the Leukemia Foundation. Oh, that, great uh, stuff! Isn't that, that helped wonderful? Me out. Yeah, wonderful and, stuff. And um, I've I've always uh, been a bit of a, a stickler for uh, trying to help people. Uh, I joined the New South Wales Sheriff's Office. Back in 1980, and uh, I was with court security when it first kicked off, just after Judge Opas was assassinated, and I was one of the uh, original seven sheriff's officers in that division. Good on you. Do, um, do you mind if I ask um, how old you are, Alan? Um, you know, ballpark? I'm, yeah, mate, I'm 71 years of age. 71 years young. Do you mind, yep. can we follow uh, your... Your greatest shave um, journey. Uh, I would really love to follow it. Maybe we can get some photographs and and just share this wonderful thing that you're doing to raise money. Yeah, well, mate. Uh, um, uh, what, I'll, it, it, what I'll do, Al, is I'll put you yeah. back to to Scruff, to Justin. Okay. He'll get your details, okay. and uh, and we will uh, we'll. We'll touch base with Alan. Uh, we'll, we'll get some photographs. We'll follow his world's greatest shave journey. And I don't know, maybe we can get people to sponsor him. If, if there's a link, if he's doing it online, we can um, get the friendly prawnies and, and fans of uh, our program online in particular to perhaps kick in a few dollars. So I think that would be a really good way of doing it. Alan, you're a champion. Well done, mate. Thank you very much for, for calling us. And, yeah, Scruff will get your details. Don't hang up, Al. Great stuff. Really appreciate it. And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning. Marcus has been absolutely fantastic to give me that platform to have a say on a lot of topics that I speak about. Pauline Hansen. Well, I think we've spoken to almost everybody this morning. So, of course, on a Tuesday, we catch up with One Nation Senator Pauline Hansen. Hello, Pauline. How are you? Hello, Marcus. Very well, thank you. It's wonderful to speak to you. Now, just before we get into the issues that I've got on my notes here, uh, the Royal Commission into Aged Care, the findings yesterday, very sobering, weren't they? Look, um, I think the aged care, yes, but also I had meetings last week with workers in the aged care sector from Victoria, New South Wales, plus also Queensland, the unions also. They're very concerned about the aged care sector. There's not enough um, patients per, um, well, there's not enough workers per patient. Yeah, the staff-patient um, ratio yeah. has been yeah. a big problem, Pauline, absolutely. Huge. And also if, if patients, uh, those in nursing care, get sick on the weekend, they basically don't tend to get a doctor in. They tend to keep them over till Monday. 
you've also got the problem with the, the pay that they get. It's around about $21 an hour. I think it's, it's ridiculous what they get paid. And uh, what I've heard over the years too is they push out the Australian workers for foreign workers to come to Australia. So that's a big problem as well. Yeah. A lot of these workers can't speak English. They can't communicate with them. And I'm not saying they're not good workers. They can be excellent workers. Of course they are. But the fact yep. is we're pushing out Australian workers. Yep. Uh, look, it's a very complex issue. And, uh, look, I'm sure you and I will nut over some of the uh, other aspects of the Aged Care Royal Commission in time. But, I mean, ultimately, um, I spoke to my father yesterday. He's at an aged care facility on the Gold Coast. He says, Marcus, you wouldn't believe this place. And this is a, a partially government-run place in Queensland. It's a big corporation that owns this, uh, this mob. You would you know, think that they could afford to put extra staff on. There is one nurse, Pauline, I kid you not, one nurse for 52 patients on the weekend. That is disgusting. It is so wrong. And they talk about the money that the government puts into it. And I, I talked this to the minister a couple of years ago. Ken White was the Minister for Health at that time. And what was disturbing is that nursing homes are actually run it as a nursing home. They want to take on more beds, but they were denied the right to have more beds in their facilities. Yeah. The government has been selling the beds to developers. Developers build it. They get paid around about sixty dollars to $65,000 a bed. Oh. And then the developers sell it on. <laughs> Until we stop that rot mm. of the government should not be paying developers that sort of money. And yep. yet the minister was not interested, couldn't do anything about it, and was useless. All right. Well, yeah, you know, as you say, how much per bed? And yet we can only find $8 a day to feed people in aged care. All right. Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll get on to that. Coal. Despite facing disgusting attacks from all sides of politics and Chinese importation restrictions, our coal industry has managed to pump billions into our economy at a time that we've needed it most. Pauline? Correct. New South Wales exported about $16 billion worth of coal last year to countries other than China because they're Vietnam, India, Japan are still taking our coal, which which is great. What people have to realise is you have the thermal coal, which is for heating, giving us heat. Then you have the um, metallurgical coal. That is for coking coal, and it's used for making steel. If you don't have a good coal base for it, you will not make good steel. So we need coal for a lot of different aspects, and these people are turning back on coal are ridiculous because it gives us that base load power. It's instant heat when they've got the fires going, instant heat, whereas there's big problems for sending um, energy to the grid from um, whether it's solar yep. or whether it's, um, you know. So it's it's so different unless we have gas, but we, gas is even more expensive for Australians than what it is to export it. Just on so, gas, um, I don't know whether you've caught up with this story, but uh, one of the finest independent journalists that I uh, collaborate with, Michael West, I mean, we paid some $300 million in government subsidies over the past 12 months. Uh, the federal government said that we'd have a, a gas-led recovery. Remember Promo, yep. ScoMo there making the announcements, very good on announcements. $300 million uh, plus in subsidies, but they've shed 10% of their workforce, Pauline. They've, they've shed some uh-huh. 3,000 jobs, but we're, we're propping up the industry. All right. Gas is even one thing that the government doesn't... Look, we don't need to do... I'm, I'm against um, fracking. Okay? Yes, Total opposed to it. Mm-hmm. 
we have that much gas off the northwest. And I've spoken to you about this before. We could yeah. actually ship it around to the east coast, build a terminal there for it for the gas instead of bringing it from from America to build a terminal terminal off um, uh, Melbourne. Yep. So I think it's ridiculous. We've got plenty of gas there. We actually made about two hundred million, three hundred million dollars in in taxes from that of a around about a fifty billion dollar export. Mm. The government is refusing to do anything about it, and we've companies have built up credits around about three hundred and fifty billion dollars in credits, tax credits. It's called a PWRT. So yep. if they invest one hundred million dollars into it, they get fifteen percent, up to thirty percent per annum as tax credits. So $100 million would convert anything between 15 to $30 million in tax credits. Over the years, they've built up to $360 billion in tax credits, and the governments are reluctant to actually rein in these companies that sit on welfare for more than 30 years mm. and keep giving them the free licence. All right. Um, Australia Post, the scandal, One Nation's success in securing an inquiry into this Australia Post scandal is a giant step forward, achieving some justice for Christine Holgate, as well as 80,000 staff and contractors of Australia Post. I mean, we've got a prime minister in this country, Pauline, that doesn't want to know about, well, alleged um, inappropriate behaviour by his ministers, but he's very quick to scream down over, you know, and sack people over a couple of Cartier watches? Well, Christine Holgate had the authority and the previous chair, because I've seen the card signed by both, mm. of presenting these watches to the four executives who brought in $225 million into Australia Post through the bank deal that they did with the banks. Yep. Now, she actually was, um, she offered to step down for two weeks, um, annual leave. She's been on holiday since last November without pay. She went to see the chair, Bartolomeo, and she handed him a statement saying after 10 days last October, end of October, that we should come to some agreement because it was affecting her health. She presented him a statement, said, we come to some agreement, this is a statement I will be releasing to the media. She didn't release it to the media at 2 o'clock, he released it at mm-hmm. 1.30. And there was an offer of resignation. She never officially resigned. There's no signed documents. Actually, he asked her to sign an amendment to her contract that she would not be able to work for 12 months. She will never be able to talk about this and uh, to shut her down. She's been gagged, essentially. Correct. And that's why I've taken this fight up, because Mm -hmm. she's pulled Australia Post out of a hell of a predicament. She's turned that company around to make huge profits. And she's also, um, her credibility has been crashed and I'm going to stand by and see it happen. And with this committee hearing into it, I hope we expose the, the board and the chairman and the Prime Minister for throwing her under the bus. All right, Pauline, it's great to have you on the program as always. Enjoy your day. We'll catch up again next week. Thanks, Marcus. Bye. One Nation Senator Pauline Hanson. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. Early planning is underway to provide additional commuter parking in Janali. The problem is you're dealing with people here who have lived in the area who are going to lose their homes and who claim that basically they haven't been consulted. Have you not been at all informed about what's been going on until the 11th hour? That's Absolutely correct. The house would be compulsorily taken for the reason to build a multi-storey car park in our quiet little suburban street. Mm. Negotiation is questionable whether it truly is negotiable because if we don't agree, it happens anyway. We love our community. 
and it's special to us. And, you know, monetary compensation isn't the issue. We can't replicate what we have here. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, so so it's 23 and a half after eight. We're going to talk more about the Royal Commission into Aged Care in a moment. Just in relation to uh, the Janali story, uh, we had the the Mayor of Sutherland Council on the program today. You'll be able to hear a a podcast later of, of my discussion with him. But, I mean, last night, essentially... The council, Sutherland Shire Council, backed a proposal that would allow uh, local government land to be used for future development, including a new car park. So basically, uh, the council is willing to work in partnership with the state governments and also local residents, so the nine homes in Janelli would not need to be demolished. So now it's over to the planning minister to perhaps consider this, so we'll try and get Rob Stokes on the program at some point. Hello, Chris, how are you? Yeah, pretty good, Marcus, you? Yes. Um, Look, I've got to say a quick thing about the business going on in Parliament. I wouldn't like to be that guy's colleagues, whoever that guy is, that's been accused of... Yep, yep. I'm with you. Like, as Adam Bant said on the program, there's a a dark cloud hovering above their heads. Every every individual you see, you kind of go, is that him? Well, maybe. Um, All right, mate, just quickly on the aged care, what did you want to say? On the aged care. I I don't know if they've ever considered to help elderly people stay in their homes. Um, They could waive the land rights and uh, the... the, what do you call it, rates? Rates, yes, yes. The land rates, and, and give them free electricity over a certain age. Well, yes, I look, there are subsidies available. Problem is, um, aged care is a federal responsibility when it comes to, to land rates. You've got local councils involved and state governments, so it becomes very tricky. But, look, your point is valid, Chris, mate. Thank you for that. Sean Rooney is from Australian Aged Care Collaboration. Sean, thank you for your time this morning. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. Excellent. So you represent more than 1,000 organisations who deliver 70% of aged care services to 1.3 million Australians, either in their own home or communal residential settings. What did you make of the release of the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety yesterday? Yeah, Marcus, look, I think the final report reveals the challenges and failings of a broken aged care system, uh, a system that's found to let down too many older Australians too many times and a, and a system that's found to be under-resourced to provide consistently high standards of care and support when and where it's needed. And thankfully, I'd say thankfully, what our collaboration has been calling for is a total overhaul of the aged care system. Yes. And that's what the Royal Commissioners have recommended. Well, that's right. Uh, and they also want the Act rewritten, which will help. But it all comes down to funding. Now, some this morning on this program, um, some who are obviously speaking in relation to aged care uh, facilities, they say that what the government so far announced is just a band-aid on what will be ultimately needed to fix the sector. Look, I, I think I think that's right. Um, what the government announced yesterday, and to be fair to the government, they said there would be a full and comprehensive response in the May budget. True. Uh, what what they have done is put in emergency funding for areas that they see as priorities, 
however, I would suggest that uh, there's probably more priorities that they need to be focusing on right now, and that is certainly alleviating uh, the suffering of the over 100,000 older Australians waiting for care mm. in their home on the home care wait list. We know our workforce does an extremely challenging uh, and at times difficult job, but they do it well with limited resources and they need support. They need training and uh, they need to ensure that they are appropriately uh, paid to do the work that they do. So we value what they do. And we know that nearly 70% of aged care homes have been operating under significant financial distress for some years now. And that impacts their ability to consistently deliver high quality care and indeed in some cases remain viable so they can continue to deliver services in the communities where they operate. These are priorities that we should be fixing right now yep. whilst we then look at the heavy lifting around, well, if we're going to reform uh, this entire system and overhaul that, we need to work through an appropriate implementation plan. Mm. And that's going to take us working with the government, with, with the workers and the unions, with older Australians in communities to actually realise the intent of the Royal Commission's report. Just very briefly, I've got to go to the news, but Sean, um, one of the biggest complaints we receive is uh, the staff-to-patient ratio. Uh, is it a funding issue fundamentally? Look, it is. We, we have said all along we want more staff, we want them better skilled and qualified and we want them appropriately paid. And as the Royal Commission report has, has said, we spend as a nation 1.2% of GDP on aged care. The OECD average is 2.5%. We are lagging behind the rest of the world and it's impacting older Australians. So if we want a world-class system, it needs to have world-class funding. All right. Great to have you on. Appreciate your time this morning, Sean. Thanks, Marcus. All right, Sean Rooney there from the Australian Aged Care Collaboration. Uh, all right, 13 12 69, the telephone number, if you would like to have your say. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com for emails. We're going to go to the news, 8.30 when we come back. Uh, we'll go to Canberra, Christina in the capital. Not too far away, and we'll catch up with Diane from the newsroom as well. 8.30 now. Sydney's own 2SM 1269. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. The Queen Bee of the Newsroom, Diane Coveney Garland. Good morning, Di. Good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. You you came in the studio laughing at me. Why? Did <laughs> I put my foot in it again? You did. You told Anthony Albanese, Labor leader, that he was pretty good looking when he was younger. He was a good looking rooster. And he's, have you seen the photo we put up? No, I haven't, to be honest. No. no well, Albo was a pretty good looking rooster, don't you think? Uh, here Hang we on. go. I'll bring it up. Uh, there we go. See? Oh, okay. Yeah. So you you yep. agree? Yeah. So what's the problem then? <laughs> What I think I what do? he was asking you is, well, what about now? What are you talking about, Marcus? Ah, well, <laughs> yes. He's well, lost a bit of weight, I think, too. Has he? Mm. Yeah. Anyway, it's his birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Not just him, uh, Richard Miles and a few others you mentioned as well. Oh, wow, okay. It must be birthday day. It's like uh, day, a lot day, of people day. at this station have birthdays in June. Is it June? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, when's Scruff's yours? Yours is October. October, yeah. yeah. 
December, June. but June, there's a whole lot of people. Weren't there a few in the newsroom in September as well? Remember the girls, Kayser and, and, yeah, and Michaela? Uh, and Michaela, yeah, they a couple of weeks apart. Been, yes, yep. that's right. Oh, well. What it do happens, do? doesn't it? Yeah. Mm, it does. So, um, big news day today. Uh, of course, the Royal Commission into the Aged Care Sector mm-hmm. uh, will get a lot of uh, traction, uh, different responses. The unions uh, say one thing, the aged care sector itself says another. One thing that is very clear is that we've dropped the ball mm, on aged absolutely. care. Absolutely. And, and when you look at, at some of the reports, not necessarily to come out of uh, the Royal Commission, but mm. you know the fact that they were allocating less than $10 a day for food for yeah. one person, yeah. um, and that, that just that doesn't work? make sense. No. And, you know, we all complain about hospital food at one time or another, but when you, you look at what they're, uh, some of the people at aged care facilities are mm. getting when it comes to food, it's just just not good enough. And, I mean, if they're paying all of that money to, um, you know, be looked after in these yes, centres, they absolutely. should be fed better. Absolutely. Elderly Australians are starving, dying in pain and suffering assaults in neglectful nursing homes, according to the Royal Commission, in the wake of a harrowing a report that flagged a new levy on taxpayers to boost aged care funding. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, pledged an extra $452 million for the sector. I mean, we're already spending around $20 billion a year and they're talking about a a, a new tax. Well, no, a, a new levy uh, on top of Medicare and all the rest of it. No, how about we just rewrite the whole act, start from scratch and ensure the place is regulated properly and that the aged care providers put people ahead of profit um, and we ensure that people aren't neglected. Absolutely. You know, I spoke to somebody a couple of years back and they worked at an aged care facility where they had no hot water for a week. And like... What do you mean you've got no hot water for a week? Right, they're yeah. like, you, you can't run anything in this in, in the news about this. And I said, what do you mean you've got no hot water? Yeah. Oh, well, there's there's a situation and we had to wait for somebody to come in to sort that out. That's just not good enough. I would have run it in the news. Mm, not All right, Daisy. Thank you. Talk to you after nine. Uh, Diane Coveney-Garland. David, hello, mate. How are you? Where do you bury an LP record? Where do you bury an LP record, Dave? The vinyl resting place. Oh. <laughs> What's your name? Marcus Paul in the morning. In 2021, 2SM has Sydney talking. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. I have always believed in miracles. The latest from the capital with Christina Rosengren. All right, let's go to Canberra. Christina, good morning to you. Good morning, Marcus. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has promised to deliver a generational paradigm shift in aged care. You can only hope so. Yes, sir. As I'm sure you've been speaking about this morning, the final report from the Royal Commission into Aged Care was made public yesterday. It's made 148 recommendations in total to address these issues surrounding abuse and neglect of older Australians in the sector. Some of the main ones include suggestions for approving home care packages, a minimum number of hours a day a resident needs to be cared for, also a minimal level of training and defining who should be able to prescribe antipsychotic drugs, which of course refer to the findings in regards to the overuse of chemical restraints. Now, uh, as we spoke about yesterday, the commissioners charged with delivering these findings have come to a bit different conclusions about how best to raise the money needed to properly fund the system. There's also differing suggestions for who should be responsible for the sector, whether it should be sort of an independent body or perhaps the Department of Health. 
And so it will be up to the government to decide which approach to take. Prime Minister Scott Morrison yesterday uh, did announce almost half a billion dollars in funding for the sector to address some of those immediate concerns. Uh, But the full response will come in the May federal budget. And Mr Morrison has pledged to deliver generational change. But the commissioners have been very clear that fixing these problems cannot be left to the industry. It has to come from government and be a government-led approach. And that includes uh, possibly writing an entirely new aged care act. Well, that's right. Throw out the old and in with the new and uh, let's make sure we put people and the care of people before profit and we completely get rid of that word that we heard, you know, neglect. Uh, Neglect should have nowhere, uh, no place whatsoever near elderly people, some of our most vulnerable Australians, people who've worked and built this country, paid taxes their entire lives. They deserve so much better. For end of life care. Now, yes. a new poll. Also, yeah. Sorry, it's, I, mean, I was just going to say it's the difference between treating residents as you know consumers or as opposed to you know human beings. Well, absolutely. Well, that's it. People before profit. A new poll. A poll has found two thirds of voters believe the government is more interested in protecting itself than women. Mm. Yes, so this is the latest essential poll. It's uh, surveyed more than 1,000 people, and it's found that 65% of the sample agree with the statement uh, that you just mentioned, the government's more interested in protecting itself than the interests of those who've been assaulted. And that statement was backed by 76% of Labor supporters, 51% of coalition supporters, and then 88% of Greens voters, so a majority across the board. And, of course, this is in relation to the ongoing fallout over the sort of multiple rape allegations made involving uh, political staffers and, of course, politicians themselves. And as we spoke about yesterday, it was this allegation made by Brittany Higgins a little over two weeks ago, which yeah. really opened the floodgates for a number of other people to come forward to speak about the, you know, the culture of politics and the treatment of women. And so according to this poll, around six in ten respondents agree that politics is a particular problem with harassment and assault, and uh, only one in three have trust in political offices to ensure a safe workplace for women. So it's a pretty negative assessment of the government from voters. All right, and big business is calling for borders to reopen permanently, Christina, amid the ongoing national vaccine rollout. Yes, the Business Council of Australia has released a new report and it sets out a plan for reopening the economy with nationally consistent COVID-19 rules and that's to go alongside the national rollout of COVID-19 vaccines. And it includes the eventual reopening of the international border as well. So the head of the Business Council, Jennifer Westercott, has been making the case today that, you know, the social and economic costs of the pandemic have been very large and she wants to address what she has been, she says has been the knee-jerk reaction of states to close borders. So one thing she's touched on is the fact that states have differing health advice and, and definitions of the COVID-19 hotspot and the impact that border decisions have had on business. So something we've heard about quite a lot throughout this pandemic. So the BCA is releasing this report, this plan, because it's optimistic that a vaccine rollout can help eliminate this problem around these restrictions. And so under the plan, when the earliest phase of the vaccine rollout is complete, then domestic borders would stay permanently open and couldn't be closed again. And then after the second phase, the international border would reopen. And this is something the BCA will petition government leaders to adopt uh, when National Cabinet meets at the end of this week. All right, Christina, we look forward to hearing more of your reports from Canberra today. Thank you for your time. Thank you. All right, there she is, our reporter in Canberra, Christina in the capital. It's Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, coming up on Friday, 
Happy hour, of course, after 8 o'clock. Uh, a very special guest, a multi-platinum selling Australian singer and songwriter. He has released seven albums over an impressive career and is one of only a few Australian artists with over one million album sales under his belt. He has received 17 ARIA nominations throughout his career and his name is Pete Murray. His first three albums all reached number one on the Australian music charts and his first LP, Feeler, reached number one and remained in the top 100 for two and a half years. Now, on Friday, Pete will release the third single from the six-track EP, If We Never Dance Again, and he'll be our special guest for Happy Hour on Friday morning, Pete Murray. Yeah, Byron Bay's, well, one of Byron Bay's favourite sons. Good blokes. All right, six minutes away from nine. 13, 12, 69 is the open line number. Marcus Paul in the morning. Oh, no. He's back. That bloody lefty. He's back on the radio. Good morning and welcome to the program. Great to have you company on a Tuesday. It is March the 2nd, 2021. Marcus Paul in the morning, filling in for Lawsy. Not feeling the best today is John, but he should be fighting fit and back on the radio around Australia again tomorrow. You know the deal, though. Give us a call. Uh, this program is all about the news and your views. I'd love to hear what you have to say. 131269 is the telephone number. Um, or you can dial Lawsy's number as well. 1300 564652. 1300 564652. Emails, you can send them to au as well. And on the text, the Fortress text number is there for you today, 0458 049 209. On this Tuesday morning, March the 2nd, 2021, Marcus Paul in the morning. Let's get into it. Really good to have your company this morning around Australia for the John Laws Morning Show. And as I say, uh, John just not feeling the best today. And I'm sure after a nice rest, he'll be back and firing on all cylinders tomorrow. Well, the Aged Care Royal Commission has delivered a string of appalling stories with one in three residents around our country suffering some type of harm in an aged care facility. It is simply not good enough. The Commission has found the level of neglect and abuse in aged care is unacceptably high, unsafe, and declares inhumane restrictive practices in residential aged care must stop and must stop immediately. It is a national shame. 
and it spans back over the past two decades. And the question remains as to how it could have become this bad. The Prime Minister had warned us to brace for some shocking allegations to emerge from the two-year inquiry, and he wasn't wrong, the findings are indeed shocking. But when it comes to reform, even the two commissioners themselves were split as they presented some common ground and then a series of recommendations of their own. One of the suggestions is a levy imposed on every working Australian to fund the tens of billions of dollars needed to fix the troubled and underperforming aged care sector. So I guess that's a question I'd like to ask you today. Would you be prepared to help fund, that is pay an additional levy, tax, whatever you want to call it, like the Medicare levy, would you be prepared to pay an extra 1% to 2%, maybe even higher of your income every year, to look after elderly Australians better than what we're currently doing? But keep in mind as well, we are already spending $20 billion a year of taxpayer money on aged care, and still we can't get it right. How do we guarantee that simply by spending more money And the Prime Minister yesterday threw an extra nearly half billion dollars at the problem. How do we guarantee that simply by spending more money, that that money will be better spent? Also this morning, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has resisted calls to stand down an unnamed Cabinet Minister over an anonymous complaint received from an associate of an alleged victim accusing the now Minister of an historic rape dating back to 1988. The alleged victim has sadly since passed away. So, look, it is clearly a matter for the police. Maybe not politics, but unfortunately, it is political because the allegation was made against a Minister of the Crown, a very serious allegation. And letters were sent to the Prime Minister and others, including Greens, Sarah Hanson-Young, Now, some, well, I guess I'm probably a little guilty of this, probably because I'm sick to death of the culture that exists in Canberra and I speak from personal experience. I don't care whether you're Green, Liberal, Labor, Calathumpian. Nobody deserves to use and abuse their power to stand over anybody else, whether they're a man or a woman or otherwise. And that's what's been going on in Canberra for too damn long. I've seen it firsthand. I've heard it firsthand. And it has to stop. Anyway, yes, absolutely. This allegation needs to be looked at. But again, I'm sorry to say the Prime Minister obfuscated and said it's a matter for police and it's been referred to police, but they're in the wrong jurisdiction. New South Wales police need to look at this allegation. Anyway, if you want to have your say on it, we need to be very careful, of course. But look, a lot of people suggest that, unfortunately, the Prime Minister's Cabinet has a big dark cloud hanging over it. And I tend to agree. I tend to agree. Other people within politics, within sport, within business, other high-profile people have stood down or stood aside from their duties while an allegation is dealt with. Should that not be the case here, considering we have a very senior minister within the Australian government accused of rape? 
13 12 69 if you want to have your say or 1300 564652. I see a Channel 9 security guard has been racially abused by two men with the incident caught on camera at the Nine Studios in Melbourne. The pair linked to a Melbourne neo Nazi group had turned up to the studios wanting to speak to a producer from A Current Affair. When the abuse was hurled at the guard, Victorian police are now investigating this incident. Meanwhile, the mystery surrounding the death of Sydney's eastern suburbs con woman, Melissa Caddick, has only intensified after the discovery of separate sets of remains. It's very, it's just awful, this story, isn't it? Uh, I mean, just all round awful. I mean, I feel for the innocent parties in all of this, and that is... Melissa Caddick's family. I mean, they're having to deal with not only the fact that she's been accused of awful crimes, but now um, her body seemingly is washing up bit by bit on beaches in southern New South Wales. It's just awful. Police have examined ocean drift patterns since November when she first went missing after ASIC officers had raided her Dover Heights home. There is a big question mark over how long she had been in the water for. Also making news, Prince Philip has been transferred to a new hospital in London where he's under observation for a pre-existing heart condition. He's being treated for an infection and Buckingham Palace has reported he will remain there for the next few days as the 99-year-old continues to receive treatment. There's been much discussion over the COVID vaccine rollout in recent days and again New South Wales seemingly is leading the way here. Queensland's Deputy Premier Stephen Miles continues to, well, make a bit of a goose of himself. Certainly he's trying to prove a political point that, again, I've said time and time again, I I don't know, do you agree? Are you sick of the politics of COVID? Are you just sick to death of it? Whether it's from this bloke, Stephen Miles, whether it's from uh, Gladys Berejiklian, whether it's from Dan Andrews, whoever it is, from all of them, I mean... Why on earth can we not sing from the same hymn sheet on this? You think COVID-19 gives us stuff about which political affiliation you're from? It doesn't. I mean, if some of the other states maybe spent a little bit more time, perhaps trying to emulate New South Wales and less time with stupid stunts for cameras, they might actually be able to make a hotel quarantine system work, pay the bill for one and perhaps help roll out the COVID vaccine. Now, for listeners uh, to the John Laws Morning Program in North Queensland, I'd love to hear from you today. How are you? You've got a tropical low off North Queensland today, and they say it could form into a cyclone with strong winds and heavy rain already falling near Ingham. Flooding in Halifax has been declared as major overnight, while Cairns has been battered by winds of up to 125 kilometres an hour. If you're listening to us up there, please take it easy. Don't drive in flooded waters and just try and seek refuge where you can and look after yourself and your family. Look, the Reserve Bank will surely uh, be forced to reassess its record low interest rate regime after the largest one-month jump in property values in 17 years, coupled with a surge in new home loans. The Reserve will meet, I understand, today. While in sport, just quickly, Roosters recruit Joseph Suwali has spoken to the media for the first time, declaring he's physically and mentally ready for the rigours of the NRL. The club is awaiting a clearance to allow Suwali to play before he turns 18 in August. Well, the rules are quite clear. You can't play until you're 18. 
And look, I know that the Roosters think they run the National Roosters League, sorry, the National Rugby League, but they don't. And if they make an exception for this bloke, no matter how... I mean, he only has to wait a few months. If they make an exception for this bloke, well, then it makes a mockery of all the others that they've knocked back in the past. Sorry if you're a Roosters fan, but, I mean, you look on the bright side. You've got this guy who's brilliant, a brilliant talent that you can look forward to seeing shine on the field in the future, but he needs to be 18. That's the rules. I know rules are meant to be broken and they can be changed and altered, etc. But why does it always seem to be for the, gla- gam- the glamour clubs that the rules are being shifted for, like the Roosters? And finally, our T20 cricketers had threatened to boycott their tour of New Zealand after Auckland was the subject of a fresh seven-day lockdown. Games three and four will now be played in the capital, Wellington, with the Australians hopeful they can avoid another fortnight of hotel quarantine on the way home. <laughs> Meanwhile, golfers in the US Tour have shown their support for a recovering Tiger Woods. You know, the bloke that can drive the fairway but not the roads. Many are wearing his signature red shirt during the final round of yesterday's tour events. Anyway, that's a little of the news going on. We'd love to hear your views on it. Please give me a call, Marcus Paul, in the morning. A couple of numbers you can call, 13 12 69. That'll get you through. And, of course, one three hundred five six four six five two. Thefortress at johnlaws.com.au for your emails and the text 0458 049 209. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, give me a call, 13 12 69 or 1300 Alan, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Al? Oh, you know, getting a bit disgusted with the the world today. Why, mate? Well, uh, you you have just uh, shown your hypocrisy, along with all the other libs that are spinning what should happen or what should not happen, and and that this politician be given due process. Just explain libs. Hang on, just explain libs for me. What did you say, that you and all the other libs? Well, for the last, uh, today, this morning and yesterday, you mm. had all the liberals lining up, you know, about this, this politician should be given due process. Should no, be given I didn't. Due process. So you're wrong already. I didn't have any yeah, liberals that, lining just, up. Can, 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 can you stop interrupting and just listen No, well, to how the about point? you get your facts right first? I didn't have any libs lining up on anything, Alan. I had Labor and Greens people on the program. Excuse me. Did I say on your show? No, I didn't say where they were. But no, you, you said know, you had. Show, you said you had. Every, your show is not everything. No, I know that, but you said you had, so I assumed you were referring to me. To let me finish instead of being pedantic. You've been... Well, hang on. No, I'm not being pedantic. You quite clearly said you had, so I'm just clarifying that I did not have. All bloody ads, right? Sorry, it, what? It is hypocritical of you. Hmm. The way you and the others. Who's demand... the others? Who's the others? Who's Can the I others finish? you're talking? No, well, tell me who's the others. Just what I said on TV. Who are the others, Alan? ScoMo, um, uh, Melissa Payne, and all the 
all the others, it is irrelevant. Melissa Payne, I think that's the name you just laid, made up. Melissa Payne, never heard of her. Anyway, all right. So what's your point, Alan? Your point is that... No, your all, point. My point is yeah. that they're all spinning today for giving due process to this alleged rape by a politician, but nobody's saying anything about the way they didn't give due process to the Afghan inquiry veterans. Well, that's a a fair point, yes. It's a double standard for you. Somebody should be bouncing the desk say, hey, what about the veterans? Well, I spoke to they a number of. I spoke to a number of veterans, and I mean, I was very clear in my conversations with, uh, well, people that we had on the program who were on to defend themselves day in, day out about the fact that they weren't given, well, as you put it, uh, due process. But it's different uh, because we have a very senior minister of the Australian government who's currently serving in cabinet, accused of a heinous crime, which, in my opinion, leads to, well, the government not being able to operate and continue uh, to legislate and run our country effectively with this dark cloud hanging over it. Yeah, well, let let me ex- extend your point, is not able to operate professionally. Now, do you think in the case of the veterans that we should still have the hierarchy of the armed forces o- operating? You're talking about that you're useless Defence Minister, you're not, you're not Linda Reynolds. you about them. Well, no, because it's not in the news cycle at the moment, but I did. Oh, that's it. It's the news cycle. Well, hang on, Alan. In fairness, uh, um, this is a news-based radio program. I follow the news cycle, and two, three months ago, when the eight... No, there he goes. See? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. A couple of months ago, when the Australian Defence Force inquiry was being held, and uh, we we spoke at length, and... As anybody who regularly listens to my broadcasts would know, I was well and truly on the side of the Australian Defence Force personnel. In fact, we gave a lot of airtime to Commando H, who had a right of reply when many others didn't. So I don't know where you're coming from, apart from the fact that you want to pick a fight. That's okay. I don't mind. I'm always up for it. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Is it just me? I don't know. Uh, By the way, um, well, this will probably upset even more people. But the Prime Minister says he won't take any action against a Cabinet Minister at the centre of an historical rape allegation beyond leaving the allegations in the hands of the police. Now, we all agree that that should be the case, of course. It's up to the police to determine whether or not the allegation is substantiated. They'll go by evidence, they'll go by a whole range of issues. But again, should the minister, who I can't name, boy, I wish I could, should the minister stand aside, considering he holds one of the highest officers in the land while this allegation's being dealt with? Well, a lot of people suggest that he should. The taint won't go away. The accused minister must stand aside. There are no good ways to address the problem that a cabinet minister is accused of rape. The least worst option is for the man concerned to step aside and allow an investigation to proceed. A cabinet minister is accused of rape in 1988 by a woman 
who took her own life last year, ending decades of misery and illness. The relevant documents have been known to some media outlets, including myself, for quite some time. But, of course, you know, um, unless it's substantiated or unless I have the cloak of, well, privilege inside Parliament, I certainly can't name him. I'd love to. Anyway, we know that the allegation has become more widely known because they were sent to a number of political figures, including the Prime Minister of our country and the Australian Federal Police. The AFP Commissioner, Rhys Kershaw, last week took the unusual step of writing to the Prime Minister to rebuke the failure of government ministers, staff and other figures to report the rape of Brittany Higgins, who says she was presumed to not report her alleged rape out of fear of losing a job. Well, I know Brittany and I can tell you she was damn well petrified of the retribution that she would suffer, her and her partner, at the hands of politicians. Remember, the government was backgrounding against this bloke who had nothing to do with any of it. And this is the problem. This is the problem. There is a deeply toxic culture in Canberra. And rather than the issue being dealt with from the perspective of a rape survivor, it's been seen as a political problem. So the government, through its odious mishandling of the Brittany Hickens case, created the circumstances that led to the airing of allegations against one of its own, a just reward for always treating Higgins as a political problem to be dealt with rather than an alleged rape survivor. Police can't resolve the accusation. There's no prospect of a conviction, but no way of disproving the allegations either. The minister may be entirely innocent, but smeared forever with the tag of rapist. He may be guilty. Not merely of rape, but destroying a life. And will never be punished. But this is public office. The highest and most important body in the country. The cabinet in which decisions affecting every Australian are made. Now it's tainted. And everything it has done has been tainted for as long as the relevant minister has been sitting at the cabinet table. How can any government credibly speak about the status of women safety, law and order, or violence, when an accused rapist was a decision-maker? What are the security implications for a minister with a rape allegation hanging over him, potentially exposing him to blackmail? What are leaders of other countries going to think when they meet an Australian minister, knowing that he may well be a rapist? As long as the alleged perpetrator remains unnamed and in Cabinet, a cloud hangs over everything this government will do. The least worst option is for the minister to out himself, to the public, if not to the media and his colleagues, all of whom already know his identity, we do, and agree to cooperate with a police inquiry or any inquiry the Prime Minister may decide to establish. He must do so knowing that, even if he is innocent, any inquiry will not fully resolve the matter, only conclude based on the complaint and any corroborating evidence about the possibility of a successful prosecution. The alternative is that the entire government remains tainted. All right, the investigation into the disappearance of Eastern Sydney fraudster Melissa Caddick gets more and more interesting by the day, doesn't it? Officers have been searching a number of beaches on the New South Wales south coast and yesterday they discovered what they believe are more human remains. They were discovered at Culborough Beach. 
Now, that's 300 kilometres north of where Miss Caddick's foot was found, and they'll now be analysed to see whether they belong to her. It's the fourth beach since Friday where remains have been found. I mean, what an horrific job for investigators. Police say they're now investigating whether Miss Caddick might have been hiding on the south coast for weeks following her disappearance, and they'll interview people in the area to see if they can piece together a story there. I must say that despite the pain she caused dozens of innocent people, the story is coming to quite a sad ending. Nobody wanted to find her dead. It must be completely shattering for, well, her family, her loved ones, her son. I mean, he's innocent in all of this and he will be scarred. I can't imagine the investors would have wanted this either because, as has been reported, many of those people were her friends. I mean, I'm sure they'd be a little conflicted maybe in their emotions. But at the end of the day, what she did was wrong, extremely wrong, and she was deceitful beyond belief. Had she not engaged in this sort of behaviour, she wouldn't have had an ASIC on her trail, and for that she only has herself to blame. All right, send me an email if you want, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com or thefortressofjohnlaws.com.au if you're used to sending it that way. Good morning, Marcus. Uh, the current case of a cabinet minister being accused of rape on top of the Higgins case has caused governments to cease operating in any meaningful form and clearly demonstrates the Prime Minister's inability to make decisions rather than announcements. The solution, I say, is straightforward. The Minister should come forward, presumably assert his innocence and urge the police, that's New South Wales police, not federal, it's not their jurisdiction, to conduct an immediate inquiry and clear his name. If this was done, they could get back to their real jobs of running the country rather than cowering in the cupboard. The Canberra bubble knows the identity of this man, but the current lack of action has tarnished the reputations of at least nine other ministers. This is not fair or acceptable. That's Eric from Port Macquarie. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate your email. Yep, I knew this would come. Anthony, double standard. Marcus, is there a, a double standard here with the allegation against Bill Shorten? Or have times changed a bit since then? I did hear an interview of the accuser, and she sounded credible, like what will probably happen when the cabinet minister there just wasn't enough evidence to prosecute. All right, well, look, possibly, I don't know. You've got to remember, though, Bill Shorten, to his credit, stood aside when the allegations were made. He stood down. He didn't try and run and hide from it. And there was certainly no definitive cover-up. And again, by that measure, the current minister who's, you know, facing these allegations should do the same. 13, 12, 69, to have you say. If you're looking to start a business, buying a franchise is an excellent option. And with All Group Franchises, you'll have ongoing support. The home services industry is experiencing rapid growth as people are too busy to maintain their homes. All Group Franchises offers a range of home services franchise options, including lawns and gardens, and you'll be trained in every aspect. Visit allgrouppranchises.com.au or call 0429 691 413. That's 0429 691 413. Elder abuse can take many forms. 
Financial abuse is the most common. He said, Mum, I'll get money for you. I gave him my... 2SM. Australia's king of talkback radio, John Laws, 9am weekdays. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Hello there, and good morning. Welcome to Friday. Great to have your company, Marcus Paul in the morning. All the news and your views. Give us a call. Let us know what's on your mind on this Friday. It is February 26, 2021. If you want to send us an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. And there's plenty of news around today, and we've got a pretty big program on the way. Of course, being a Friday, happy hour. Now, this morning, we're going to hear from comedian Sammy J after eight. A very funny skit that he's done. Again, uh, bringing up that character of the coach. So that'll be interesting. That's on the way just after 8 o'clock this morning. Now, of course, today all eyes will be on, well, the handing down of the Royal Commission into the aged care sector here in our country. The final report of the aged care sector, the Commissioner's report, will be given to the Governor-General today. So we're going to try and track down Ian Yates, Council on the Ageing. Of course, we know on the eve of the ABC Four Corners expose of the extremely distressing way older people were being treated in residential aged care, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, announced a royal commission into the sector. The announcement surprised many, including then-aged care minister Ken Wyatt. He said a few days earlier that it would be a waste of time and money. After two years and maybe $200 million being spent on it, it will come back with a set of recommendations. Well, boy, oh boy, there will be plenty of recommendations. But we do urgently need a new Aged Care Act that focuses on the human rights of older people and not the profits of providers. And unfortunately... It's, again, like water in this country. Aged people have been treated as simply a commodity, as a number, on a spreadsheet, and we need to do much, much, much better. So anyway, we'll talk about that this morning. Uh, The Royal Commission should give the Australian government, hopefully, some guidelines on what we need to do to look after elderly Australians a lot better than we are. The big question is, will the federal government act on it? Uh, Look, also on the program today, I want to talk about vaping. I see that uh, the Nationals and Senator Matt Canavan, Matthew Canavan's been talking about it in the Senate's. Uh, I'm going to catch up with Matt this morning, just after the 6.30 news. Uh, The issue of vaping. We need to regulate it, I think, in this country. Um, A lot of people I know are basically going online and importing vapors or vapes from overseas. Uh, I mean, are they safe? Where's the quality control here? Uh, I want to set aside 
the commentary on this today. I mean, obviously, uh, big tobacco and others and whether or not you know it needs to be taxed and all this kind of stuff, that'll all come into it later. But you can't really do any of that until we work out where we're coming with it in relation to vaping. Is it safe? And one of the questions I will ask the senator today, Matt Canavan, is, OK, what is the government going to do about it? Vapors are here, whether we like it or not. So the government does need to look at regulation, and I would suggest set aside some money so that we can do our own research in this country as to the, well, safe, uh, safeness of people using these vapes. So that's on the way just after 6.30. After 7.30 today, Mark Latham on the program, One Nation for New South Wales. Uh, Mark will have plenty to discuss with us, as he always does. Uh, Speaking of New South Wales politicians, uh, our hashtag animal warrior, Emma Hurst, will join us on the program this morning. Emma, of course, from the Animal Justice Party. I see that authorities have busted wide open another puppy farm in New South Wales. And this again explains why Emma needs all the support she can get on getting this new legislation through the New South Wales Parliament to ban puppy farms. Because the vast majority of these animals who've been rescued from a puppy farm in our state well, most of them required urgent veterinary care. So Emma will have that story for us after 8.30 this morning. So dozens of adorable dogs have been saved from a cruel puppy farm. In fact, all 79 of the pooches required urgent medical attention. Now, as I mentioned uh, today, of course, the Royal Commission into the aged care sector is handed down. So we're going to try and speak to Ian Yates from the Council on the Ageing, a call into Ian this morning. He's normally pretty responsive, so I would imagine we'll get him on the program at some point. But if you would like to have your say, you know what to do. Give us a call, 13 12 69. That's the telephone number. The open line is there for you. If you want to send me an email, MP in the morning at 2SM, supernetwork.com. And texts, of course, 0458 049209. Uh, just a note that's come through. Police have charged six teenagers over a violent brawl in a shopping centre car park. This happened in Sydney's western suburbs in Mount Druitt. Now officers, we're told, arrived at the shopping centre at Mount Druitt at three o'clock yesterday afternoon where they found a 20-year-old man suffering facial injuries and stab wounds. Another man, aged 22, suffered cuts to his neck. Now police have charged four 16-year-olds and two 17-year-olds over the incident. They've all been refused bail and will front a children's court today. Now, we're also going to try and track down the Western Sydney Business Chamber Executive Director David Borger on the program this morning. There are concerns the federal government isn't pulling its weight in funding measures to shape Western Sydney. Now, the Morrison government is spending around $11 billion across the country which equates to some $434 per New South Wales residence. But are they focusing on the western suburbs of Sydney? Well, the business chamber out there believes not. And that's despite the claims that obviously New South Wales is carrying all of the weights. 
What do you make of that? Anyway, we'll try and get some more details and and track down some some discussion on that for you. 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. We're also being warned about the so-called Americanization of our health system with major insurers accused of sliding towards a managed care model. Concerns have been raised about profit-based insurers buying up GP clinics and partnering with overseas companies to provide healthcare data and other services. Matthew Koch from the Members Health Fund Alliance says that should ring alarm bells for governments, healthcare providers and especially for patients. Yeah, I think the last thing we need, I mean, look, to be honest, the aged care sector's already been Americanized. I mean, this managed care model, we can't let it filter into our health care system any further. And we should be alarmed by it. But if you want to talk about that, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Well, Facebook. Facebook have ended their Australian news ban. We can once again see and share news on Facebook with the tech giant lifting its ban, restoring hundreds of pages across the world's largest social network. Uh, So let's have a look here. The site's unlocked for 17 million Australian Facebook users at 1am this morning. Not only do they include local news pages, such as uh, the Daily Telegraph, the ABC, The Guardian... But international publications as well, including the Wall Street Journal and CNN. Well, there we go. So media outlets, blogs, magazine and small businesses all swept up in the Facebook drama uh, will be back online or are back online. Facebook's unprecedented ban on news, which lasted for eight days and captured worldwide attention, was lifted one day after the Australian government passed its news media bargaining code with amendments discussed in talks, as we know, between Treasurer Josh Frydenberg and the tech giant's chief executive, Mark Zuckerberg. All right, if you want to have your say on it, the call's coming through now, 13 12 69. 13 12 69, if you'd like to have your say. Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Okay, 22 minutes after five. Let's go to the open line now. 13, 12, 69. Brian, are you there, mate? Yes, I am, Marcus. Thanks for holding on, Brian. What do you want to say, mate? Mate, I've been on uh, a vape for four and a half years. Yeah. I've been a heavy smoker. Um, and I, my health has never been better. Well, that's good. Uh, but, but Wait, if you don't... Was that I'm if... not sure... Any on All right, that phone's getting a little dodgy. If you can still hear oh, me... Brian, yeah, Brian, if you can still hear me, uh, you're dropping out there. But if you don't mind my asking, do you import them? Do you uh, get them from overseas or...? No, I buy my the juice itself yeah. from, from a vape shop. Yep. 
but I do have to import my own nicotine. Right. Okay. Because the when they for the first the, the vapes first started, mm. the vape shops could put your nicotine, like the level of nicotine in your juice for you. Yeah. And, and you bought it from them like that. Mm. But the government stopped them allowing them to do that, so we had to import our own nicotine. Right. You take it to the, the vape shop, or you can put it in yourself. You buy the juice. Yep. And they will put it in for you, or you can put it in yourself. Do we need to regulate vaping here in Australia? I'm going to talk to Senator Matt Catavan about it this morning. What do you think? Mate, I, I honestly think we probably do. Um, you know I, what? I, I, don't, I don't know any health issues that are it's good or bad for you, mate. To be honest with you, I, I have no idea. Yeah. The only thing, though, of course, with regulation will come taxes, and that means that, you know, vaping, which is obviously now a much cheaper alternative... And probably, uh, I mean, the, the science in some countries has been well and truly established that vaping is at least in some form better th- for you than smoking. But, uh, you know, once it's regulated, it'll cost a hell of a lot more because governments will want their fair share and they will tax it. You can guarantee they will tax it. Peter, are you there? I'm here, MP. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, Pete. How are you? Hey, I just, just, yeah, good. Bit annoyed. I just heard you talking about this um, health care and all that. Then my missus tells me the other night that they're going to raise premiums again on private health insurance. Yeah, of course. You know <laughs> why, why? Why doesn't the government raise our Medicare to about two percent, two and a half percent? That way, we'd all be covered, and we wouldn't have to keep paying these criminals. Well. I mean, you don't have to, so that's the thing. It's voluntary, but I understand your point. Um, yeah. I know yeah, a lot yeah. of people that just rely on uh, Medicare, but it depends, I guess, on, you know, how prone you are to illness. Uh, well, it's a big risk. You know, it's a big risk, yeah. I guess, if you, you know, if you want to just rely on the Medicare system. We're very lucky. The Medicare system in this country is very good, but, uh, I mean, obviously, yeah, getting private... No one can keep- no one can keep putting their hand in their pocket. It's like putting your pocket hand in your pocket for petrol. You'd be doing that every week, wouldn't you? <laughs> what's the, what's roughly what you're paying for your premium now? Well, we're up to the wife and I, one hundred and thirty-six a fortnight. Ooh, it's a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah, especially after we've just been told uh, it raised. They took the stop off it in October last year. Yeah, yeah. And you know, this is getting to be a joke. This country. Yeah, it's we very are expensive. Turning American. Well, that's what the concern is. The concern is that, uh, you know, health in this country is being Americanized, and that's yeah, the last only thing. For the, only for the rich soon, and we will have a system like uh, America where you won't be able to afford to do anything. Yep. Well, we're being warned about the Americanization of our health system with major insurers accused of sliding towards a managed care model. Thank you, Pete. There are concerns about profit-based insurers buying up GP clinics and partnering with overseas companies to provide healthcare data and other services. The Members' Health Fund Alliance, they say that should ring alarm bells for governments, healthcare providers and especially for patients around Australia. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. It's a Friday. It's February 26th. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. We're going to talk to Senator Matthew Canavan on the program in around an hour's time on vaping. 
But on 13 12 69, Shane wants to have his say. G'day, Shane. Morning, Marcus. How are you? All right. Thank you, mate. Um, yeah, mate. I just got in the car. I heard you talking a bit about the vaping, so I don't know if something like this has been said already. Um, my concern is I've got a young girl just started high school. Um, they're vaping at school. We've got friends in Newcastle with kids at school. They're vaping at school there. I talked to a gentleman at a pub last night who imports these vaping sticks for $2 each from yeah. China, mm. sells them for $10 each to his mate, who then lurks around the pubs and sells them for $20 a stick. Yeah. And they're equal to about 60 cigarettes. They're throwaway. Don't use them again. Yeah, that's Once right. You... I've seen them. Yep. It's just really concerning. Coming out of China, what's in them? They're in the schools. The schools don't know how to deal with it. They can't search everybody. They're just so... Uh, it's just it's, it's very worrying. Yeah. Look, I understand, and unfortunately, this was always going to be the case, and I'll tell you why. Cigarettes are so damn expensive. Yep. That's the biggest problem. Uh, look, if you've got a cheaper alternative out there, which there is, uh, and we don't want kids uh, taking up vaping anyway. We, obviously, no. we don't want them taking up cigarette smoking, but you're right, that is a concern. Vaping is becoming a big trend amongst younger people. Now, that's why I think we need it regulated in this country, and that's why the government, if we, I mean, you can't stop it now, it's here. Uh, yep. And I think what we do need to do, perhaps, Shane, is invest some money into uh, some research here in Australia, regulate it, uh, that will push the price up, unfortunately. Um, but still, it's better that we have a look at it ourselves and ensure that whatever it is that our kids are inhaling isn't going to be harmful for them. And a bit of education through the schools may be needed just to give some kids some insight because they think it's fun. Mm. They think it's tasty. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, anyway, mate. Thanks very much for taking the call. Keep up the good work. My pleasure, Shane. You have a wonderful Friday, mate. Thank you very much. And that is the problem. That's why it's important that I have the discussion, I think, with the Senator this morning. Vaping. Uh, if you want to have your say on it, 13, 12, 69, it's pretty obvious that, of course, younger people in schools are going to take it up um, because cigarettes are exorbitantly expensive. And, as Shane said... You can import these vapes for next to nothing or you can buy them down to the pub, uh, which basically will save you money. Now, there's little doubt that, you know, there are some areas uh, around the world, you know, some countries that have done research on it saying that, uh, and the research has suggested that vaping is better for you than, you know, toxics, uh, toxic cigarettes. But I think we need to, if we're going to allow uh, people to vape in our country, what we're going to need to do is regulate it in some way, shape or form and have our own scientists look into it. I think that's the safest way to go, uh, only because we can't stop it now, as I said to Shane. And he's concerned for his children. Um, they're already starting to do it in schools and it's become a bit of a trend. And I guess in a way it's like the... The lolly water or the, the cheap drinks that are available in pubs. You know, once there's a cheaper alternative, whether it's cheaper alcohol or cheaper ways of uh, getting a nicotine fix, well, then the kids will get onto it. 13, 12, 69, we need to make sure they're safe. <laughs>
right, emails. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Hello, Sue. Happy Friday to you as well. G'day, Marcus. What happened to your opening jingle? I reckon it was great to wake up to. Cheers and have a great weekend. Well, Sue, I'm just resting it for a while, okay? It'll come back. Bomb Bomb will return, I promise you. Um, we're just giving it a little rest, okay? We had a whole new heap of bits and pieces for the show come through uh, in the last couple of weeks, so we're giving Bomb Bomb a bit of a rest. <laughs> some would say, some might say, oh, mate, can you rest it permanently? Police are investigating the sudden death of a woman at Varsity Lakes in Queensland. Look, that's a really nice way of putting it. Police are, in fact, investigating the axe murder of a woman at Varsity Lakes. At 1.30 yesterday, emergency services were called to an address on Garona Circuit where they located an 82-year-old woman dead inside the home. And an 82-year-old man was taken to the Gold Coast University Hospital where he remains under police guard. Now, a crime scene was set up as officers try to piece together the details leading up to the woman's death, which quite obviously is being treated as suspicious. Anyone with any information is um, urged to get in contact with police immediately, but, I mean, there's suggestions from other stories that I've read that perhaps there were drugs involved, but for goodness sake, 82-year-old man and an 82-year-old woman involved in this horrific incident where allegedly an axe was involved and an 82-year-old woman was found dead inside a home. And while we're on the, uh, the awful stories, and I'm sorry to bring them to you so early, but what about this scumbag? Sometimes... And I get a lot of calls on it, but you do wish the death penalty was available for low lives. The owner of a childcare centre is accused of drugging children and then sexually assaulting them. The 54-year-old man has been charged over the alleged attack of a four-year-old girl on the New South Wales South Coast. He's charged with detaining a person with intent, sexually touching a child under the age of 10, and aggravated sexually touching another person. But what I can't understand, and we might get some more detail on this, Justin, this last sentence here, his bail has been continued. Is that continued or should it be discontinued? I mean, how, how on earth can bail be given to a bloke, the owner of a childcare centre, accused of drugging children and then sexually assaulting them? What the hell's going on here? Where's the protection for other children? in the community down there on the south coast. The 54-year-old man's been charged over the alleged attack of a four-year-old girl. Apparently, the allegation is that he drugged this child and possibly others before sexually assaulting them. And I'm hearing here that this bloke's on bail. The hell? 13, 12, 69 to have you say. Graham, good morning. How are you? G'day, mate. How are you? All right, thanks, Graham. What's on your mind, boss? Well, just uh, that vaporing, you know, like that. That's uh, that's outrageous how it's allowed to come into this country. The governments, you know, the government of this country, what I can see, have got no teeth anymore, mate. And you know, they used to be leaders. I think they're rubbing shoulders with too many business people now, and it's all about business. And 
where they can, you know, uh, get a pat on the back because they're letting people make money. When this is, you know, there's kids, thousands of them, every school in Australia, uh, are vaporing and smoking and this, you know, they can't. All right, I don't know what happened to you there, mate. You've dropped out, but that's okay. Uh, look, I think, um, <clears throat> with respect, I think you're wrong. I don't think the government's. Uh, they haven't let it happen. It was always going to happen. That's why we need to regulate it. Uh, that's why we definitely need to regulate it. Um, you know, the government hasn't really... You know, there's probably, unfortunately, going to be some money in this for the government. So that's why, uh, you know, they'll eventually tax it upon regulation because you'll need to pay for the regulation and to make sure that we look after people who decide perhaps to take up this habit. It's here. There's not much we can do about it now. The best we can do, hopefully, is to ensure that we have some regulation in place, some Australian-based research into vaping as to whether or not the claims from some countries overseas that it's better for you than smoking traditional cigarettes. Podcast Marcus Paul in the morning at any time. Go to 2sm.com.au and click the show page. 2SM Sydney Traffic. Late finishing roadworks have wrapped up over the M5 east at westbound direction with a good clear run Preston's M5 M7. Busy traffic, Centenary Drive approaching Arthur Street. All clear inside the Pacific Highway exit Warunga through Taramara Pacific Highway approaching Kissing Point Road. Good clear run citybound. Think the bin's too far away. Did you know that only one in a thousand sea turtles reach adulthood due to threats such as litter? Don't be a tosser. If it's not in the bin, it's on you. That's the latest traffic with Marcus Paul in the morning on 2SM 1269. If you have mild joint aches and pains, you may want to try Arbor Vitae Joint Health. Arbor Vitae is a naturally derived anti-inflammatory and antioxidant health supplement that provides relief from the symptoms of mild osteoarthritis, inflammation and joint pain. Now stocked in over 700 chemists and health food stores Australia-wide. This medicine may not be right for you. Read the label before purchase. Follow the directions for use. If symptoms persist, talk to your healthcare professional. For stockists, go to arborvitae.com.au. New lounge custom made to suit your needs and reflect your lifestyle. That's exactly what you'll get from Chili Pip Lounge Designs, Sydney's favourite lounge manufacturer. At Chili Pip Lounge Designs, you can choose from a wide selection of styles available in fabric or leather. And anything, yes, anything is possible. Your Chili Pip Lounge is made for you the way you want it. Brand new. Go to Chili Pip, that's C H I L I P I P dot com dot AU or telephone 1300 My family's been farming this land for generations and hopefully will for many more to come. Things aren't as easy to do on the farm as they once were, and we hear of too many injuries, especially to older farmers. If you've been in the game as long as me, there are things you can do to make work easier and safer. The Great Idea Bank is a guide produced by older farmers for older farmers with practical tips that can help, whether you think you're old or not. For copies, visit farmsafe.org.au. G'day, Doug the Tradie here. The right insurance is the safety gear you need on every job site. With IMAR, you'll get the cover you need, like public liability, tools and personal accident and illness, quickly. 
And for a limited time, save up to 120 bucks when you buy all three online. Save some quick bucks in a few simple steps. Head to imar.com.au and get a quote, get covered, get working. The trade is mate. That's Imar. The way Australian businesses access business NBN fibre has changed for good. With our fastest ever wholesale symmetrical speeds and a wide choice of providers, we're making business fibre more accessible in more locations than ever to improve high-speed connectivity right across Australia. To find out more, search Business NBN Fibre today. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Plenty of calls early this morning, which is great for a Friday. Hello, Chris. Oh, good morning. Morning, mate. Um, just want to have a little say on the vaping thing. I, I don't yeah. vape. I am I am an ex-smoker, though, but I do find um, highly, highly amusing how many people get outraged about anything, uh, especially the kids in schools. The kids in schools, I started smoking when I was in school. I knew so many people, and it's not. Yeah. There's nothing new with what kids do in school, and they shouldn't drinking before discos, all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, they do. This rational thing. This is what kids do. Um, yeah, I but think it doesn't that, mean we should accept it, and we shouldn't try and stop it, though. No, not at all. But I'll go on the other side. Of plenty of smokers now who have actually either given up smoking yeah. due to starting the vape, or mm. on the other one, their health's actually gotten better because they've started vaping instead of smoking. Well, that's um, right. An earlier caller, mate, you might have heard him. He rang and said he's never felt better, and he's vaped for the last couple of years after giving up the cancer sticks. And that's why, look, that's why I just think it's important that we invest some money here in Australia into doing our own research. Ah, uh, you've dropped out, mate. Yeah. Alison, hello, are you there? Yes, I am. Morning, Alison. Good morning, Marcus. I love your program. Thank you, very kind. Uh, that that childcare, uh, I am absolutely shocked. What in the hell were the other teachers doing? Surely they would have known that that, that he was doing something like that. Mm. I tell you what, I'd string him up by his thumbs. Oh, I, I, I'm absolutely shocked. I was a I was a, a childcare worker, so I and I love my job. But uh, I am absolutely gobsmacked when you said that. You said that. Yeah, well, oh. I'm just trying to chase down some more detail on it. Oh, yes, please. But, I mean, I can't believe that the last line of the notes that I've received this morning says that this bloke is, is still on bail. I mean, the owner of a childcare centre is accused of, accused of drugging children and then sexually assaulting them. The 54-year-old man has been charged over the alleged attack on a four-year-old girl on the New South Wales South Coast. He's charged with detaining a person with intent, sexually touching a child under the age of 10, and aggravated sexually touching another person. Now, oh, this bloke God. does not belong on our streets. No. No, he, 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 he should be in jail. They should not have given bail to a person like that. Yeah, well, I'm going to try and find out some more detail on it. All right, so we'll see exactly what's going on here, but yeah, you're oh. right. All right, then, Doc. Thanks, Matt, Marcus. Thank That's you. all right. You take care. Yeah, look, I'm sorry to bring these kinds of stories to you, and they're shocking, and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but we do have 
scumbags. It's probably the best way of putting it like this in our community. And well done to police and everybody involved in catching this bloke. What we need to ensure is that he faces court. And if the evidence is there, that he's locked away for a long, long time so that hopefully he will never be able to touch inappropriately children again. I mean, certainly he should never be able to operate a childcare centre or be anywhere near somewhere where children are supposed to be looked after and kept safe, for goodness sake. Eight minutes away from six. Like I say, we'll get some more detail on this story for you in just a couple of moments. Marcus Paul in the morning, 131269. I've got no idea what that's going. Uh, we're just uh, having a little discussion here, Justin and I. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, because we've got conflicting reports. The Illawarra Mercury are reporting that this childcare operator down on the south coast... Uh, was refused bail, and and yet the story in the Daily Telegraph says he's out on bail. So we're getting in touch with New South Wales Police, police media, uh, to try and find out. The owner of a childcare centre is being investigated for allegedly drugging children, taking them to another property during the day and then sexually assaulting them. The investigation began after a four-year-old boy told his mum he did not feel safe going to the centre anymore. The 54-year-old owner has been charged in relation to one four-year-old girl, but specialist detectives within the state's Crime Command's Child Abuse and Sex Crime Squad have also been interviewing other children. Now, the centre on the state's south coast, which the man ran with his wife, has been closed down. Well, that's good. There's no suggestion the wife was involved. Now, the childcare centre is a converted house on a suburban street, Children have allegedly told their parents they were given something to drink before they were taken from the childcare centre to another house where they were abused. Jesus. Police allege the house was owned by the same man who cannot be named because it would identify the kids. Well, we understand that. He owns a number of properties in the area. Look, he's been charged with taking and detaining a person with intent to obtain advantage... Uh, intensely sexually touching a child under 10 years of age, aggravated sexually touching another person. And then the story goes on to say that his bail was continued at Nowra Court. The conditions of his bail include reporting daily to police, not to go near departure points and not to be alone in the immediate presence of any child aged under 16. This bloke should be in jail. In 2021, 2SM has Sydney talking. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back to the program. Hello if you're just joining us for the first time on this Friday, February 26, 2021. On the way, Senator Mac Canavan. Uh, I want to talk about vaping with the Senator. We've already taken a, a swag of calls on the issue in the first hour of the program. Uh, a lot of people, parents in particular, are very concerned that kids are taking this vaping uh, up at school and I guess we need to get it regulated or certainly the government needs to look in, uh, into providing some funding into our scientists and our researchers having a look into whether or not this stuff is safe. 
Anyway, Matt Canavan on the program in just over half an hour. Uh, now, Mark Latham will join us a little later, just after 7.30. Emma Hurst as well from the Animal Justice Party. Dozens of dogs have been saved from a cruel puppy farm with all 79 dogs needing urgent medical attention. So we'll talk about that. Of course, you know, Emma is fighting very hard to have puppy farming banned in the state of New South Wales. It's effectively banned everywhere else around the country. So what's happening is some rogue operators are setting up shop here in New South Wales. I mean, I think it's a no-brainer. I don't understand why Emma's having so much trouble getting this legislation through. We'll talk to her about it this morning. Now, of course, today we know that the governments will receive the final report from the Royal Commission into the aged care sector in our country. Uh, Now, on a day that that's happening, um, we're learning that, unfortunately, uh, the people who uh, probably are the most susceptible and vulnerable to COVID-19 are being, well, plagued by delays on getting the vaccine. Australia's COVID vaccine rollout in aged care is already plagued by delays, with only 70 of a planned 240 facilities receiving the first doses so far this week. Well, why? Only 70 aged care facilities have received the jab since Monday out of a planned 240. A senior source has told media they were concerned DHL supply chain did not have enough capacity to deliver the Pfizer jabs from hubs into aged care. There have been deliveries of vaccine dropped at the door of a facility with no one there to sign them over to. What? We've had months... Months to get this stuff right. Months to get this stuff right. There have been deliveries of vaccine dropped at the door of a facility with no one to sign them over to. Well, that's outrageous. In two locations in Victoria, incorrect doses were delivered to the aged care homes and there was a scramble to minimise wastage. And we know what happened in Queensland the other day. We had an overdose. The source said they were concerned about delays in delivery and believed GPS tracking on boxes of vials was not always activated. Well, we need to sort out the supply chain issue ASAP. Healthcare Australia are the mob contracted to look after this. And there's already been a number of stuff-ups in the first week. It's understood the government yesterday sought clarification from DHL and was advised that in 100% of the cases, the tracking showed the deliveries arrived. Well, look, Healthcare Australia, which administers the jabs in New South Wales and Queensland aged care facilities, have apparently slowed down their rollout after an untrained doctor bungled doses for two early patients, rather, in breach of the company's contract. Health Minister Greg Hunt said his department had thrown the book at Healthcare Australia. They say they will be bringing on an an additional provider. Mr Hunt conceded the aged care rollout goal was now up to 72 hours behind schedule, but vowed that that it would be fully on track by the second week next week. All right, well, we'll see what happens there. Leading Aged Care Services Australia Chief Executive Sean Rooney has told media he had written to the government yesterday to outline sporadic logistics issues with the vaccine rollout into aged care. Uh, maybe these are just teething problems, given it's the first week. But, I mean, you can't get this stuff wrong. 
And as I say, the government has had plenty of time to organise the rollout of these vaccines. We're one of the last in the world to get them. No wonder Labor was putting the government under pressure to roll this thing out and said they were dragging the chain on it. And now we learn that the COVID vaccine rollout in aged care is already plagued by delays with only 70 of a planned 240 facilities receiving the first doses so far this week. And they're some 72 hours behind what they were supposed to be. Anyway, 13, 12, 16, they've got to get it right. Just have to get it right. It's only one crack at this, 13, 12, 69. A story that I mentioned just prior to our six o'clock news, and I just want to go back through it because I'm flabbergasted. I really am. The owner of a childcare centre is being investigated for allegedly drugging children, taking them to another property during the day and then sexually assaulting them. And yet this bloke, this 54-year-old, is out on conditional bail. The investigation began after a four-year-old boy told his mum he didn't feel safe going to the centre anymore. The 54-year-old owner has been charged in relation to one four-year-old girl, but detectives, who no doubt do a wonderful job, that's detectives within the State Crime Command's Child Abuse and Sex Crime Squad, they've also been interviewing other children. Look, I understand they need to get as much evidence together as they can. I get that. The centre is on the state south coast, which this 54-year-old bloke ran with his wife. Now, it's been closed down, thank God. There is no suggestion that the wife was involved, but it's a nightmare. I mean, it's every parent's nightmare. The childcare centre is a converted house in a suburban street. Now, children have allegedly told their parents they were given something to drink before they were taken from the childcare centre to another house where they were allegedly abused. Police allege the house was owned by the same man. Of course, he can't be named because that would identify the children. But this bloke also owns a number of properties in the area. Now, he's charged with a a range of offences, including taking and detaining a person with intent to obtain advantage, intentionally sexually touching a child under 10 years of age, and aggravated sexually touching another person. But his bail was continued at Nowra Court. The conditions of his bail include reporting daily to police, not to go near departure points, and not to be alone in the immediate presence of any child aged under 16. Well, I'm sorry. Surely somebody with these kinds of charges on the rap sheet should be cooling their heels in a cell while they await... I don't know, a further chance to exonerate themselves before a court. What about the the safety of the South Coast community where this bloke lives? The charges follow what police said was an extensive investigation and a crime scene warrant was issued to search the house when the man allegedly took the children. Police will allege in court the man took the girl to a vacant property while she was in his care at a South Coast childcare centre before sexually touching her on two occasions between February and December last year. I mean, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. 
Investigations continue and this man is due to face a committal hearing at Nowra Local Court on Monday, March 15. But as far as I'm concerned, he shouldn't be out on bail. And 17 minutes after 6, 13, 12, 69, Ian Yates from the Council on the Ageing. We're tracking him down this morning. Hopefully we'll get him on the, uh, the program. The Royal Commission is handed down today and it will give the Australian governments an idea of where to go to next. The only question is, I guess, will they act on it? We know um, a while ago... The Prime Minister announced a Royal Commission in Wage Care and that announcement even caught at the time the Aged Care Minister Ken Wyatt by surprise. I mean, he'd said a couple of days earlier that any such Royal Commission would be a waste of time and money. (laughs) Well, that bloke's useless. And the one after him, Richard Colbeck, has been as equally as useless. Like many aged care advocates, Wyatt argued we didn't need an expensive Royal Commission to tell the government the aged care sector was, well, in a heap of trouble. Over the past 20 years, numerous inquiries, reviews, consultations, think tanks and task forces have produced enough evidence to show that there was inadequate personal care, negligence, neglect, abuse and assaults in aged care homes. Research has also shown the terrible state of home care. In addition to the long queue for home care packages... There is the commodification or the rotting of the system, inconsistent quality of care and support workers with minimal or no training being sent to homes of aged care facilities. Yet why is it that governments have continued to ignore most of the recommendations of these inquiries and reviews? All we can hope is that the findings of the Royal Commission, which will be awful reading when it's handed down, we can only hope that there's no more ignoring by the government, by anybody, on what the recommendations will be. I mean, after two years, two years of... We know what the interim report said. Brace yourselves. Brace yourselves to be shocked. Anthony Albanese has been going on about it on this program for the last year. We need to brace ourselves to be shocked because the aged care sector in this country is probably one of the worst anywhere. Why? Well, again, because we've allowed the commodification of elderly Australians. They're just a number on a spreadsheet for an operator whose main motive is business and profit, not the care of the residents. Yes, I know there are some very good places out there. Of course there are. But if the model's stuffed, if the model that's allowed, been allowed to fester, that quite simply puts profit above the care of patients, well, obviously, there's going to be some issues. And boy, oh boy, are there issues. After two years of heartbreaking evidence, including evidence from older people and families, today, the Royal Commissioner's final report will hit the Governor-General's desk and then be spread out through the government to the community. If nothing else, this Royal Commission will show that we need to listen, really, really listen, to older people and their families. And those within the aged care sector hold the key to fixing the damn problems. And fix they must be.
For too long, the government's ignored the views of older people. For example, back in 2017, when Mr Wyatt involved, invited people to a consumers in aged care, sitting at the table were 17 chief executives, including CEOs of the government-funded consumer organisations, national seniors and others. But not one person receiving aged care services was at the table. It's no good having all of these think tanks if you're not involving people who are there at the coalface. Historically, and this is the ridiculous part, historically, older Australians, older Australians who use aged care services have never had a seat at any of these tables. Well, that's ridiculous. How can you try and talk about an aged care system when you don't have anybody at these so-called think tanks and tables where, you know, inquiries are being held and all the rest of it. Anyway, it's a system that needs fixing, and it needs fixing yesterday. We can only hope that the government will act on the Royal Commission's findings and suggestions or recommendations which will be handed down today. Hello, Marie. How are you? Good morning. Not too bad. Thank you, Marcus. And to Justin and all your listeners out there, it's time we stop talking about it and wondering what's going to be done, Marcus. On a perpetual basis, we're hearing about these things, but now it's coming to the kindergartens, and there's something's happening. We can't keep talking about it. We expect something to be done years ago, a long time ago, Marcus. It's now 50 sexual assaults, not a year, a week for our aged people in nursing homes. Who's running these places? And if that was the kindergarten where that man took your child or mine away, there's a lot of people I know, they wouldn't be waiting for someone to act. They'd have taken the law into their own hands. These are our precious children, and thank you for talking about it, but it's time we stop talking and something was done. And when is that going to happen, Marcus? Yeah, good point. All right, Marie, thank you very much. Maybe when we have governments uh, that are concerned about, well, more social issues rather than looking after big business, perhaps that's when things will happen. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Three minutes after six, I see the Prime Minister has stepped around a question about whether he agrees with Peter Dutton's characterisation of Brittany Higgins' rape allegations as, can you believe this rubbish, she said, he said. This bloke is our Home Affairs Minister. I mean, I think I'd find a heart in a tin man before I found a heart in Peter Dutton. This is the problem. This is the pro- The bloke gives me a migraine just thinking about his face. Peter Dutton. What a disgrace of a man he is. He said, she said. That's what he's produced. These very serious allegations of sexual assault, not by one person, but I think by nearly five now, that's occurring underneath uh, Parliament, you know, the building of which he is a very senior minister. Dutton's office earlier this week declined to answer questions from The Guardian, Australia and other media outlets about his contact with police. But the Home Affairs Minister finally confirmed, I think on Wednesday, the AFP told him about the allegations of sexual assault on the 11th of February. Dutton said yesterday his Chief of Staff subsequently told Morrison's Chief of Staff about the heads up from the Australian Federal Police on February 12th. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister continues to insist that he wasn't told until Monday, Feb 15. 
Mr Dutton told reporters yesterday that, quote-unquote, some detail had been provided to Morrison's chief of staff when there were media inquiries on Feb 12, quote-unquote, as a courtesy. The minister added he wasn't provided with the she-said-he-said details of the allegation. This bloke has kids. And by the way, he also has some $300 million in the bank. Where the hell did that come from? Marcus Paul in the morning. 13, 12, 69, if you'd like to have your say. I'll have a little bit more on that later. Uh, right now, Sonny's there. Hello, Sonny. Are you there? Yeah. Hi. Marcus. Hi, Sonny. Good, thanks. What's on your mind? Um, this is about the, the allegation. Uh, supposedly. Yeah. This is the fourth person this week that's come forward. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, got to be a little careful. It's now before the courts, but, uh, well, certainly the initial allegation from Brittany Higgins, so I don't want to really go too far into yeah. that, but what was your point? I know everyone's talking about it, and I don't want to name any names, but they're not naming any names. Is That is the big problem. They just keep saying, oh, this man, 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 oh, this man. Well, man, man, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, if you look hard enough, if you look hard enough on the internet, you'll find out exactly who this uh, bloke is. I, again, uh, I've got to be very careful. And the reason I haven't named him, and I don't think we, he should be named, is because justice needs to play its part here now. And I'm sure that the Australian Federal Police, after they spoke to Miss Higgins on Wednesday, would very much like to be speaking to this bloke. That's if he hasn't nicked off overseas already, which is what I've heard. Let's hope he hasn't. There's other things that I've heard that I wish I could broadcast as well, but I can't. News next, 6.30. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, 25 minutes away from 7. Great to have your company this morning. Uh, very soon, Daniel Mookie uh, from the State Opposition in New South Wales joining us on the program. Uh, why was one of the state's top bureaucrats let go uh, at the cost of some 800-odd-thousand to taxpayers? Well, maybe Andrew Constance let something slip yesterday. Uh, Daniel Mookie will explain to us something about land clearing that he refused to do this top bureaucrat at the behest of the minister. Anyway, some details on that with Daniel. Also, Mark Latham, not too far away, and from the Animal Justice Party, Emma Hurst. Again, there's been another breakthrough, I think, in the abolition of puppy farms in New South Wales. Nearly 80 dogs needed urgent medical attention when they were saved from a cruel puppy farm. We'll give you all the details on that. And also on the way, Ian Yates from the Council on the Ageing. Of course, the Royal Commission into the Aged Care Sector is handed down today. Look, vaping has helped thousands of Australians quit smoking. But still, we seem to be ignoring the evidence from around the world. Senator Matthew Canavan has been talking about it in the Senate. I'm happy to say he joins us on the program before he hops on a flight this morning. Matthew, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Very well, and I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. You know, when I opened up the uh, the phone lines on this issue around an hour and a half ago, Matthew, we've been inundated with calls. It's an issue that I think needs greater discussion in our community. Well, uh, you have the same experience as me. Uh, I'm not a vapor. Uh, uh, I didn't know too much about it until 
around six months ago, uh, the Minister for Health, Greg Hunt, uh, announced that he would ban the importation of liquid nicotine, which is what you need to use to vape, yeah. um, with about a week's notice. And, and I had people contact me and say, this is terrible. I'm going to be kicked back to smoking. Don't know what I'm going to do. And so I started a petition, and, and we had 80,000 signatures in a matter of days, which well, is just remarkable. Mm. And so since then, I've been taking up that cause because it's just everyday people who have found a way to kick a terrible habit uh, no one wants to see people addicted to smokes for life. Obviously, it can have terrible effects with lung cancer and what have you, and, but also impacts, impacts their livelihood, their, their budget. You know, they're, they're oh, so absolutely. Now, smoking and vaping. Vaping is much, much safer, and I, I wouldn't encourage anyone to take it up. Of it's a quit aid, uh, but it's much safer than, than smoking and, and a lot cheaper to boot. And I agree. Look, um, I wouldn't encourage anyone to take up vaping either. But, I mean, research overseas has shown that it is significantly safer than smoking. And we should perhaps be doing everything we can to ensure that people have all the options open to them to help them quit uh, traditional cigarettes. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to play you a, a bit of a call. It only goes for about 40 seconds. But this gentleman who rang this morning makes a very good point, And that's why I think the discussion you're having in the Senate is very important. Matt, so you'll be able to hear this man. My concern is I've got a young girl just started high school. Um, they're vaping at school. We've got friends in Newcastle with kids at school. They're vaping at school there. I talked to a gentleman at a pub last night who imports these vaping sticks for $2 each from yeah. China, mm. sells them for $10 each to his mate, who then lurks around the pubs and sells them for $20 a stick, yeah. and they're equal to about 60 cigarettes. They're throwaway. Don't use them again. Yeah, that's Once right. You... I've seen them. Yep. It's just really concerning. Coming out of China, what's in them? They're in the schools. The schools don't know how to deal with it. They can't search everybody. They're just so... Uh, it's just it's, it's very worrying. So that was a caller not long ago, uh, Matt. Now, he uh, makes some very good points, I think. He's concerned about his, his kids at school, as we all are. Uh, is that why... Uh, that's why I think it's important that you've started this conversation, but surely we need some regulation and maybe Australian scientists, maybe some funding for our own research into vaping here in Australia. Well, I, I think that's a very good point. Uh, uh, no one wants to see underage children with access to these products, but as your caller outlines there, that's happening now. Uh, yeah. Vaping is illegal in Australia now. Um, if people do it, it's not really enforced, but uh, the, the actual act of vaping is illegal, and the only... Um, the only reason where we aren't being able to cramp down this is because we don't have proper regulations. We should yeah. have a proper regulatory structure here that mm. can make sure that we try and keep this away from young people as possible. And may I say, too, I'd be more than happy to have e-cigarettes, a legal e-cigarette market with a, with a tax. I don't want to see it as expensive as smokes, but a tax revenue stream that could fund some of those programs for government. Well, that's right. Uh, and the thing is, unless we do something about it, there'll be this continuation of a black market in vapes uh, that are being imported. And I know regardless, I know Ms., uh, that the health minister's out, outlawed the importation of this nicotine, but it's still finding its way here, obviously. And unless we regulate it, this black market will continue. And it's just a matter of time, I think. And that's the real concern, Matt, is... There might be a dud batch 
of these products that, as my caller mentioned, that maybe come from China or elsewhere that causes some serious illness within our community. And that's why we need urgent action, I think, from governments just to have a really close look at this. Because while cigarettes remain at the exorbitant cost they are, people will be turning to vaping, and they are. Yeah, that's right. And there are risks. Um, The US has a much more liberal, free-for-all sort of market, and no one wants that here. And there have been, and often the the people opposed to e-cigarettes will point to the US where there have mm. been deaths associated with the use of vaping. But that's in a completely unregulated market yeah. where there are just shonky operators and dodgy uh, products uh, going around. We should look to the UK and New Zealand where they have a regulated market. There's restrictions on advertising and they've been perfectly safe. Indeed, a report this week came out from Public Health England, the premier government health agency in England, saying 50,000 people... Uh, in 2017, had given up smoking thanks to vaping. It's the most effective quick quit aid around. About 60% of people end up quitting that use yeah. it. Um, and so we should look at that evidence. Like that is clear. And we're a bit of a we're, we're sort of we're behind the times here on this issue. We're very very we've done very very well. Led the world in plain packaging on cigarettes, restrictions on advertising, getting smoking rates down. But we're behind the times on vaping. All right, Matt, keep up the fight. We'll talk to you on this, I'm sure, again. And uh, and thank you for spending some time with us on the program. Appreciate it. No worries, mate. You have a good weekend. Thank you. All right, you too. All the best, Senator Matthew Canavan. Well, what do you make of it? Vaping. It's It's an issue, I think, that needs greater discussion and more debate. Because while we continue... Uh, to, I guess, outlaw it effectively. Uh, I mean, it's not legal, as Matthew said. It's not legal here in Australia. But people do get their hands on vapes. Why? Well, because it's a damn sight cheaper than buying traditional cigarettes. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if nobody vaped and nobody smoked ciggies? I mean, that would be the ultimate goal here. Uh, But let's be realistic. That's not going to happen, not for, for quite some time yet. So regulation of vaping, perhaps... Um, a tax on it, uh, which will ensure that we have funding available to research exactly what it is that these e-cigarettes or vapes contain. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. If you'd like to have you say, Marcus Paul in the morning. Mick is there. Hello, Mick. Hello, mate. Look, I smoked for about thirty years. All right. Yeah. Wasn't very good for me. Mm. I went on with the vapes because my nephews and my sister-in-law and all that were on them. Yeah. And fortunately, we have a guy down this way who makes the fluid in Australia, and he said, you've got to watch out for these two chemicals, acetyl, diacetyl, or whatever it is, you know, these Chinese companies are bringing in, they give you a thing called popcorn lung. Yeah. Um, I baked for about five years, and then he said to me, why don't you replace, I was importing nicotine from America once every 18 months. He said, why don't you replace the nicotine with a touch of the menthol fluid? Next thing you know, I hadn't had any nicotine for six months. I didn't realise I hadn't had any nicotine. Wow. I just stopped vaping. I just stopped vaping with, with no cravings. I just just didn't vape one day and didn't vape the next and didn't vape. in the end I thought you know what I've given these up altogether yeah. without even trying to and mate I had tried everything I had my tonsils out when I was 30 there's nothing more painful than that and adult tonsils I went yeah. back to smoking cigarettes but these vapors so long as you're using the Australian made and we're fortunate down here on the south coast the guy makes it down here mm. uh, Australian quality without those harmful chemicals um and then, as far as importing it goes, rum and jar, if they're important, simple as that. People will still import them. Yes, kids are using them. I know, because I work in a school, right? Yeah. They're walking around with them. Those disposable ones, they're terrible. Just ban them, you know? Like, they're more expensive anyway. Um, a school in Western Sydney, 
mm. actually provided them. This is going back about five or six years now. They had like a 70% smoking rate in the school, and they cut smoking down like 60 or 70% of the smokers took up vapes. Yep. The government told them, oh, you can't do that. They said, we're not even providing nicotine. We're just mm. providing these things. No, you can provide them with nicotine patches. You can provide them with nicotine tablets. You yeah. can't provide them with a non-nicotine alternative. Well, I, wow. understand, I understand that concern, though, because, again, uh, we don't know what the science says here yet in Australia, and that's part of why I wanted to start the conversation with uh, with Matthew Canavan this morning on this. He's, uh, well, I think he's one of the only politicians at a federal level who's doing some work on it. Uh, and good on him for doing it, because I think it's uh, it's something we need to discuss further. Thank you, mate. Great call. As always, Mick, have a wonderful weekend. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning, where it's now 14 to 7. Good morning to you. Somebody once told me the world is going to roll me. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. All right, welcome back. Uh, 11 to 7, Marcus Paul in the morning, 13, 12, 69. Back to your call soon. Now, Jody McKay has taken to social media, I saw overnight, citing extraordinary evidence from the Transport Minister who sacked a top official he ordered to fell millions of trees near highways after bushfires. Now, Rod Stables, we're told, didn't comply... His dismissal cost taxpayers $830,000. Was this request by Andrew Constance legal? Uh, Look, there is a story about it today. Some people are suggesting that perhaps it's not a story. Gaz says Jody needs to jog on and find something with substance, or even better, spend her valuable time coming up with some of her own policies rather than just slinging mud. Uh, Look, I don't know. Um, Let's find out a little bit more about it. 13, 12, 69, the number. Daniel Mookie is uh, from the, well, he's the Shadow Finance Minister, if you like, in New South Wales. Daniel, good morning. Good morning, Marcus. Thanks for having me on. Hi, mate. Any time. I hope you've been well. So what's Yeah, ha- I hope you've been well, too. Thanks, buddy. What's happened here? Well, it was quite an extraordinary uh, revelation that took place yesterday. I was asking the minister about why it is that he removed the head of his department at the cost of taxpayers of more than $800,000. Can I just yeah, and, can I just interrupt? The, the reason, I guess, that we're concerned about the removal of, of, of this uh, very top-paid or well-paid bureaucrat, uh, Rod Staples, is because, as you know, a few weeks ago, Andrew Constance turned around in Parliament and said, watch this space, he may pop up again at North Connects. Now, uh, that's why I'm concerned. I'm concerned that this bloke's been let go, if you like, or sacked, we're paying out $830,000. We're probably going to pay him another big salary once he comes back on board again. I mean, why are we doing this? That's that's what yeah, we're concerned about. Yeah. Uh, and every taxpayer has a right to be concerned about this as well uh, because it is an extraordinary amount of money. I mean, we learned that the last year, the day after the budget, that the head of the transport department was being removed. It was costing taxpayers $830,000. And you're right in saying the minister then pops up in parliament and says, well, we might be hiring him back. I think uh, every taxpayer should be concerned about why we paid so much money uh, to one person after the minister effectively made a decision himself to remove him for no stated reason, only for the minister to then say, well, you know what, I might hire him back. 
that was why I was asking the minister these questions sure. yesterday, because yep. I do think taxpayers deserve these answers. Mm. And then in asking the minister these questions, it tumbles out that the minister had secretly ordered uh, the destruction of every tree within uh, 40 metres of each side of every state-controlled highway. And then when the head of the transport department says, you know what, this could be illegal, we then find out that uh, Minister Constance exercised his power to sack the department head for no stated reason. I think it's an extraordinary turn of events. I think that Minister Constance owes taxpayers an explanation about whether or not he fired the transport department head because uh, the transport department wouldn't implement an illegal order. And I also think that the Minister Constance needs to say, is he going to hire him back and to do what? And at what cost? So when you say an illegal order, is it illegal? Certainly the department thought so, because if you read the reply the department gave the minister, they told the minister clearly, we don't think we have this power under the Roads Act. Sure. Because it's not like... I mean, as every one of your listeners would know, to knock down a tree is not easy. No, To knock down millions of trees is, is extraordinary. And this would have seen the destruction of millions of trees. So it's not surprising that the department would say, you know what, we think this might be illegal. What is surprising is that the minister then proceeded anyway to effectively sack his department secretary in the wake of this extraordinary advice. But uh, do you think it's linked? Do you think the two instances are linked? Do you think that perhaps this is the reason this was the circuit breaker, this is why uh, Rod Staples was dismissed, because he refused uh, this um, order, if you like, from Andrew Constance, from the minister? Well, look, listening to the minister's explanation and um, watching him up close, I think that this whole episode was central to their relationship right now. Yeah, and not, and look, I'm not. Ministers and public servants have robust relationships, so I'm not going to. I'm not naive about this. But the difference between this one is that it cost eight taxpayers eight hundred thirty thousand dollars. Taxpayers have a right to know what happened, why their money was spent, because effectively the minister had a relationship breakdown with his department head, mm-hmm. and if, if if it if it was because the minister had made an illegal instruction, that's extraordinary. And I think taxpayers are entitled to ask what's going on here. Yep. Well, that's where, if you put it in those terms, well, yes, of course. And I think uh, regardless of whether that was the circuit breaker, um, I want to know whether Rod Staples is going to be reinstated, and if so, why? And also, why have we paid out, you know, nearly $900,000 in severance only to welcome this bloke back? I'm not suggesting that he shouldn't be welcomed back. Maybe he should have gone on extended leave or something. I mean, it's not bad. Well, you're right to be concerned, Marcus, because it does seem like an expensive game of musical chairs at the taxpayer's expense. Yeah. And I don't think that taxpayers should have to fork over their hard-earned money in order to indulge uh, indulge these types of games. All right. Good to have you on, as always, Daniel. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Marcus. Have a good day, mate. Bye-bye. Daniel Mookie from the State Opposition. Wake up. Get up. Marcus Paul in the morning. Now, this is concerning. Emergency departments are witnessing an explosion in young people with self-harm and eating disorders. It's a silent epidemic sweeping New South Wales, so we're told. Uh, Now, News Corp reporting today, they've obtained data that reveals a 25% increase in kids aged 17 and under 
presenting to emergency with self-harm. In other words, there were 12,807 visits last year. Already in 2021, the figure is continuing to spike with a 29% increase in the first three weeks of the year compared with the same period in 2020, with a shocking 611 presentations. Now, the data has raised a red flag for the government. That's according to the New South Wales Health Minister, Bronnie, uh, well, within the health department. It can be revealed that Bronnie Taylor is urgently working with the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists to form a strategy to target this problem with adolescent mental health flying squads, which she will seek a budget for. It's not good. I mean, suicides in New South Wales, in fact, dropped in 2020 despite fears the pandemic would send them soaring. But people are obviously still self-harming at a very young age. Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Stay right here. Don't go anywhere. All right, there could be some problems at five minutes after seven with the trains in Sydney this morning. I I see here Julianne has written, How good is waking up at Sparrows? Just so you can go and exercise, only to be stuck on a train off Central for 40 minutes. What? The Guard is announcing we're experiencing delays every five minutes. Like we don't realise, the train isn't going anywhere. The bloke in front keeps snoozing his alarm so it goes off every eight minutes but obviously doesn't realise his error because it startles him every time. The Fluoro Army are getting the crankies big time but put on their best manners when calling the site office to explain why they're going to be late. And she concludes the note with, if you don't have to catch the train into Sydney this morning, don't. All right, we'll see if we can find out exactly what's going on. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning. Quick break. Ian Yates in just a moment from the Council on the Ageing. Of course, Ian uh, is waiting with anticipated breath into the findings from the Royal Commissioner today into the aged care sector. 2SM Super Network News. News. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, ten minutes after seven. Ian Yates from the Council on the Aging in just a moment on the Aged Care Royal Commission. The final report is due today right now. Julianne's on the open line. Jules, good morning. Good morning, Marcus. How's it going? All right. I just read out uh, your post with a couple of edits. Uh, you'd be frustrated because there are problems on the trains. You've been what were you stuck? near Central for 40 minutes. Yeah, the, yeah, the Campbelltown train um, heading to Central was delayed off Central for about 40 minutes. Um, it wasn't that just that line, though. There's a problem at Circular Quay. So the trains all around the city circle are a right mess. Um, mm. and people are late for work. People are late for their appointments. Um, oh I'm late for my personal training session. Well, I've missed it, actually. I know oh it's dear. a first-world problem, but, but you know, I'm prepaid for that, and I'm going to lose it. Oh, no, and you, you're up early for it as well. Yeah, that's it. I didn't get up at 4.30 to sit on the train for 40 minutes. Oh, no. Um, Frustrating. uh, At least it's Friday and it's the weekend tomorrow and I don't have to catch the train tomorrow. Very true. All right. Well, what are you going to do then? You're in town early. What can you do? Can you just go for a nice walk yourself or...? 
Well, no, I'm starting to run out of time. I'm going to have to go to the office and get dressed. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Maybe you should have done some sit-ups and push-ups or something on the train. You had the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. In front of everyone. That would have been nice. <laughs> Why not? All right, Jules, you have a wonderful weekend and thank you for the info. I appreciate it. No worries. See you later. See you, mate. All right, yeah, well, we've got a note here from City Rail. The T2 Sydney trains, the T3 Sydney trains and the T8 Sydney trains are all experiencing delays right now. They're currently operating in one direction only around the city circle via museum, and that is due to a mechanical issue with a track maintenance vehicle at Circular Quay. So there we go. So trains on the T2, T3 and T8 Sydney line are experiencing delays because of a, an issue with track maintenance at Circular Quay and as a result services uh, will be delayed. So you need to allow plenty of extra travel time and check your apps for the latest updates. All right, 12 minutes after seven, Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, if nothing else, the findings today, the final report into the Royal Commission, into the aged care sector, will show us that we need to listen, really bloody listen, to older people and their families. For too long, the government has ignored the views of older people. And that's been to the detriment of the sector. Historically, older Australians who use aged care services have never had a seat at any negotiating table on how to improve things in aged care. I mean, we urgently need a new Aged Care Act that focuses on the human rights of older people and not the bloody profits of providers. Those that are in aged care need to be treated as human beings, not numbers, on a spreadsheet for profit. Ian Yates is from the Council on the Ageing. Ian, good morning to you, mate. Good morning. I think you'd agree with pretty much everything I've mentioned there. Oh, absolutely. Um, we certainly are looking forward to the Royal Commission's report, which will go to the Governor-General today and be released by the government in... Um, we expect it to be a very big report, yeah. um, of course. Uh, and we're saying that government needs to take a bit of time to digest it. Um, indications from the final hearing of the Royal Commission were that the actually have also some divergent views that will have to be worked through. Mm. Uh, but yes, you're absolutely right. Government needs to work closely with the uh, uh, consumer organisation uh, uh. and making sure that that, that the oh, that older Australians get a big say in what kind of aged care system uh, the government's prepared to uh, create. Look, one of the most common complaints heard during the Royal Commission is that aged care homes do not employ enough staff. And the other issue, um, of course, is that um, even if there is a you know an adequate number of staff, they're not appropriately skilled. I mean, this is an issue we need to rectify as soon as possible. Absolutely. The workforce is one of the critical issues. And the, the other very common uh, complaint, when you say fear, uh, which the Royal Commission named pretty strongly in its interim report, is the over-institutionalised approach of aged care. Um, it's not, you know, that the really this is the system that the providers have decided to run and not a system designed around the people it's for. Well, that's right. Um, I mean, it's it's almost, and I know people throw this term around a lot, but all this, you know, this profits before people kind of scenario, but there's a lot of truth to that. Well, yes, there is, except, of course, these issues apply to not-for-profits as well as to for-profits. 
Um, and, you know, there is no doubt that the aged care system needs more money uh, and we need more more staff. We need more well-trained personal carers who get paid a lot more. We do need more nurses, but we also need more allied health people uh, who work with uh, old, with older people to keep them active uh, and, 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 in fact, restore some of their function. We need all of those things and we need a plan to get there because you can't do that overnight. We need a lot more home care. We've yes. had a lot more home care, and the government certainly put a lot of new home care packages on the on the table this year. Mm. But we'll need a lot more of that. But we do need a system in which the good providers who 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 older people like and queue up for, and they have waiting lists. Those providers are allowed to expand, and we get rid of a very substantial number of providers who are just not up to the scratch in terms of a modern age care. I think I've heard you say that probably one third of all current operators within the aged care sector aren't up to standard and probably should nick off. Well, absolutely, um, and you know the the Royal Commission in its interim report made very clear what uh, the government and providers have been not prepared to admit, which is that this is just not a few bad eggs. It's actually quite a lot. And they talked about neglect. Um, so it's, qu- it's quite a lot. And we need this system to change. We need structural adjustment. Oh, that's a fancy term. What we need is we need to uh, shake this system, rattle the cages, uh, and make sure that w- what we have left are providers who are prepared to actually work with the older people yep. and what they want uh, for their support and care. Yeah, uh, we need governments to act on it as well. I mean, there's. Yes. I mean, I could. I need to take my shoes and socks off and and probably bring a few more staff in here, and we count on our fingers and toes the amount of inquiries and reviews and looks into this system over the past couple of decades, but it would appear, unfortunately, the governments haven't paid too much attention to what's required. So can you, do you have confidence that finally, I mean, this thing's cost a lot of money, do you have uh, confidence that we will see some change, Ian? Look, I, I am reasonably hopeful that we'll see some change. I certainly think we will see, see some significant change. Um, you know, the, it's the current Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, he called this Royal Commission not long after he became Prime Minister. Um, we know he has an active interest in it, and we're certainly looking to him uh, to make sure that this government delivers a really major change. Not just, I think, you know, they have responded to many reports over years, but to the smaller bits, not to the big things. And this is... Uh, this is a system that needs turning on its head. That's yeah. what uh, that's what uh, the Royal Commission said in its interim report. Um, and I think Commissioner Briggs, for example, who did many of the hearings with older people, made it very clear that the system needs to be turned upside down so that the consumer, the older person, is in charge of the system. Um, and government needs to have some political courage uh, about making sure that happens. Are you concerned, just on to another issue quickly, I mean, obviously the Royal Commission into the aged care sector is at the forefront of, of your mind and everybody else's today, but, uh, I mean, our COVID vaccine rollout in aged care is already plagued by delays. I mean, only 70 of a planned 240 facilities have received the first doses so far this week. Uh, the government says there's been a bit of issue in the supply chain with its operator and they're going to give them a bit of a hurry on and, and maybe get another contractor on board. We need to roll out these vaccinations in this sector as, as quickly and as effectively as possible. Uh, yes, 
Um, yes, we do, uh, we, but we need to do it safely. And this is a huge logistical exercise. I think what I'm saying is, uh, you know, I expected to be uh, bumps in the road in the first week. Um, I expect the government to get on top of those, yeah. or governments governments to get on top of those because this is this is federal and state. Uh, let's let's be patient and see how it rolls out. Uh, getting these vaccinations out to everybody in aged care and disability, our most vulnerable citizens, is really quite critical. And and as a country, it would be really nice if we could have everybody vaccinated in one week. That's not going to happen. It's not possible. No, of course It'll be not. safe. So let's be patient, and within a few months, we will be in a really sound position. All right, look, it's great to have you on the program on this very important day for the aged care sector, Ian. Let's talk again maybe next week once the findings are handed down, uh, uh, the final findings into the Royal Commission into Aged Care. Have a great day, Ian. Look after yourself. Happy, happy to do so. Thank you. All right, there he is, Ian Yates, Council on the Ageing. Two SM has Sydney talk. Oh my goodness, John Laws, where the survivors? Two SM has Sydney talking. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, Andrew Lee, um, who is a regular on our program on Mondays, uh, he's named another couple of companies that have done very well out of the pandemic. Thank you very much. Uh, but they don't want to be paying any of their job keeper back. I'll go into some detail on that for you very soon. Meantime, Anthony Albanese went Chad style yesterday in federal parliament. Will it be enough to turn his popularity around? He certainly gave it a good crack. This is what characterises the government. Whether it's sports rorts, community safety rorts, grass gate, water gate, forged documents, and matters as grave as bushfires, the pandemic, or reported sexual assault. The Prime Minister always thinks about the politics and he never accepts responsibility. It's always someone else. No wonder this government doesn't want a National Integrity Commission. This Prime Minister promised it in 2018. But the fact is, the fact is that they've walked away from that commitment as well. And we see in this parliament that with legislation, uh, sometimes the only thing we did yesterday was to change a couple of words about freedom of speech to, quite ironically, from a government that shuts down freedom of speech in this chamber. They don't actually have an agenda coming out of the COVID pandemic. That is very, very clear. They have an agenda about themselves, an obsession with themselves, an obsession with protecting themselves. This Prime Minister doesn't have your back because he's too busy protecting his own back. Exactly. He doesn't have your back if you want security of work. He doesn't have your back if you want to be confident of safety in your own workplace. He doesn't have your back if you expect him to keep renegade MPs like Craig Kelly from endangering public health. He certainly doesn't have your back if you're risking your life to de delivering food for 10 bucks an hour on an old bike. This government, and we supported them, stood up on the issue of the media code. But when it comes to, when it comes to standing up on the issue of gig workers, they say it's all too hard, it's complicated. What's complicated about paying people the minimum wage in this country? What's complicated about decent wages and conditions that most Australians take for granted? The fact is that this Prime Minister, this Prime Minister has shown a lot about his character. 
since he took over the job. Yep. Empathy lies outside of the limits of Scott Morrison's character. That's clear to one and all, and unfortunately it's been on full display in the last fortnight. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. He's certainly having a crack. There's a cut through, though. Who knows? I'm probably the only one to report on it. That's the problem. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, keep on moving. Marcus Paul in the morning. 13 12 69 is our telephone number. We're off to the newsroom in just a couple of moments. As you know, Andrew Lee is a regular on a Monday on our program. I like to speak to Andrew because he's trying to recover your money, my money, our money, taxpayer dollars. It's been handed out to big companies, uh, you know, first and foremost because of the COVID-19 pandemic. There was no problem with that. But the thing is, business has been good for a number of these companies, whether it's Harvey Norman or others, and they need to start paying some of the millions of dollars that they receive from taxpayers because, well, they've been able to pay everybody and importantly as well, pay their shareholders dividends and big bosses big bonuses. So how about they pay us our money back, eh? Anyway, I'll give you some more detail on that in just a moment. 7.30. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back to the program. 25 minutes away from 8 o'clock. Very busy show today. Make sure you check out our podcast a little later. Uh, That discussion that I had, a very important discussion with Ian Yates will be up there. Uh, of course we'll, uh, you can revisit our chat with Matthew Canavan this morning as well on vaping uh, and whether Andrew Constance, the New South Wales Transport Minister, needs to answer questions as to why he sacked one of the most well-paid bureaucrats in transports and was it because he disregarded an order to clear trees on the south coast? Anyway, it'll all be up there a little later. Okay, one of the uh, the really wonderful things I've done in my career, or had to, or not had to, but something that I undertook when I lived and worked up on the Gold Coast in Brisbane was uh, through Griffith University. I actually was able to mentor a number of young up-and-coming journalists. And there was a, a group of them, and they've all done very well, including uh, the next young lady that I'm about to bring on. I don't want to embarrass her, but... I got a note from her this morning. She's been doing some wonderful reporting up on the north coast of New South Wales. And she did her first national television cross this morning on the Today Show. Her name is Britt Ramsey. Good morning to you, Britt. Good morning, Marcus. How are you? I'm good. You sound excited and so you, sh- you should be. Congratulations to you. Thank you. I can't get the smile off my face. It's, um, it's, a, it's a strange feeling. Well, it, and and so you should be smiling because it's a career highlight for you. Uh, you're a young journalist. You you know you you're going through uh, the regions at the moment, uh, doing a job. Which network are you with at the moment? So I'm with NBN Television, which is basically regional channel nine. Okay, so and today you got the big call up on on the national stage. Uh, did you speak to um, who's on there? Carl and Ali, is that right? Uh, we spoke to, I spoke to Sylvia this morning, and Sylvia. she's on with Carl. Uh, Sylvia and Carl. So they called you up and said, look, we want to have a chat with you. Uh, we need to find out what's going on with, at Nana Glen. Uh, we've had a train derailment 
and we've had a lot of rain. We've got some flooding going on. Uh, the Arara River and other areas have had some issues there, Britt. So well done to you. It was a great cross. Thank you. Yeah, it, uh, we had a bit of a technical glitch, but we, we oh, came no back worry. and it was Nobody great. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows. All right, so tell me, what's going on up there at the moment on the river uh, around Coots Crossing? So basically, the river, the Arara River at Coots Crossing, it's, it's going to peak this morning at about 10.5 metres. Um, so there will be some moderate flooding uh, attached to that. Um, it is falling at Glen Ray, but we still need to keep an eye on things out that way because there was so much water yesterday and with more rain overnight, it's just so wet around the area. And not to mention there was the train derailment out at Nana Glen yesterday. Yeah. So there's going to be picking up the pieces of that one for quite a while. Now, that train derailment, um, obviously there'll be an investigation into it, but um, some have suggested perhaps there was some some subsidence because there's been so much rain, maybe everything got a little soft under the tracks. Yeah, that's what we're hearing is that there was just a... It was a um, causeway that some... More water than expected, I guess, went through over there, and it made it a bit unstable. And the, you know, the locos have gone over it, but it just couldn't take the weight of it. It was a fifteen hundred metre long train, and Whoa. sixteen carriages came toppling down. Mm. And it actually, all the ones that fell, um, I mean, it's never a good thing. But the five carriages that had dangerous goods, they were upright. Oh, okay, so that's good. That's really good news. But there is a lot of mess, a lot of damage. It was. Um, a concertina effect. It was insane. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Britball, I just wanted to touch base with you on that. Of course, uh, you do need to keep an eye on things. Uh, there are a number of places you can go. Of course, if you're up in that area, uh, make sure you watch NBN News and listen to and listen and watch to uh, Brit's reports. But no, of course, you know, please, the SES don't want to be pulling you out of floodwaters. What's the old saying? Um, you know, flooded, forget it. That's it. All right, mate. Well, congratulations. Thank you for your report for us this morning, and I'm very proud of you. Thank you, Marcus. I think I taught you everything you know. Is that right? I would say so, yes. Almost. All right, Almost. mate. Well done. Thank you. See you later. <laughs> Bye, mate. There she is. Uh, NBN reporter Britt Ramsey. As I say, an old uh, student who uh, I was fortunate enough to, to mentor. Uh, she came to, I think I was at CFM Gold, FM Gold Coast, and then up to uh, the FM stations up in Brisbane, and she came in and did some work there um, as she undertook her final uh, six months of study. And there she is, uh, just a few years later now, making her national television debut. And I know Britt well, and I know she comes from a wonderful family, and I know that they'd be all very proud of her this morning. I know her family listened to the Super Radio Network as well. So well done to her. 13, 12, 69. All right, a quick break. Mark Latham next. 2SM Sydney Traffic. M5, uh, busy but moving traffic between Beach Road down towards Currajong Road. Looking at slow traffic, Seaforth over the Spit Bridge and down towards that Mossman area southbound direction. Hurstville, Queens Road, Wright Street, two-car accident. This is impacting both directions through there at the moment. In Queen Street, uh, Campbelltown Road, Campbelltown, that earlier accident cleared. Your local Caltex may have changed to Ampol branding, but your Star Card and the new Ampol card are both accepted at Caltex and Ampol branded locations. Look out for the red and blue eight. 
today. Sydney's favourite weekend fishing show. That's right. It's a, it's a great time of year to get out there and get amongst it. This sort of early uh, summer slash late autumn well, time. It's a transition sort of period between the winter species and the summer species. Yep. So you get yeah a lot of lot of options. High tide on 2SM. It's fantastic. Yeah, the the brim are, are back and they're hungry and it's just great. There's no shortage of fish to be caught at the moment. High tide weekends from 4 a.m. on 2SM. 1269. Danny's Seafood Restaurant offers everything you'd expect when dining out. A superb location, outstanding value, excellent service and an extensive menu catering for all tastes. Anytime is a good time for beautiful, fresh seafood. And if you haven't yet tried Danny's famous fish and chips, do it soon. Other popular choices include fresh lobster, oysters and crabs, as well as tender, juicy steaks and pastas. Danny's Seafood Restaurant, boasting spectacular water views over Botany Bay. Anzac Parade, La Perouse. Peters of Kensington offers the ultimate shopping experience and you can enjoy the best of both worlds by shopping in-store or online. Select from an abundance of fine quality products including kitchenware, glassware, homeware, dinnerware and amazing gift ideas. If you're looking for a gift with a unique edge, Peters' themed hampers are a great idea for birthdays and other special occasions. Peters of Kensington, 57 Anzac Parade, Kensington or shop online at petersofkensington.com.au G'day Murph Hughes here. Summer is here and that means two things. Our big quicks are steaming in on the pitch and your car's aircon needs to be on top of its mark. Your off stump will be blown away by the aircon service at your local Repco authorised service centre. Their fully qualified mechanics will keep you cool all year with a comprehensive service on your car's aircon system, no matter what you drive. Book online today at repcoservice.com. Recently retired and want to give back to the community? Looking to contribute to a worthwhile cause? Join View Clubs of Australia, a friendly women's network in your local community. View supports the Smith family to help Australian children in need break the cycle of poverty. Become a member today. Call 1800 805 366 or go to view.org.au Email us, check out our podcasts and listen live to smsupernetwork.com And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, Mark Latham. All right, 16 to 8 on this Friday morning, Mark Latham is from, of course, One Nation, New South Wales. He joins us each Friday. G'day, mate. How are you? Oh, I'm well, thanks, Mark. It's really good to be with you. Yeah, thank you very much. You've spent a fair bit of your life, your working life, your professional life, your political life in Canberra. Does the workplace culture there need to change? Well, whatever's gone on, and certainly these allegations of rape are incredibly serious. Um, there's a lot of speculation about what needs to be done, but the bottom line is that the only solution to any of these issues is for people to go directly and straight away to the police. Yeah, of course. And I'm I'm very concerned about this, this talk of kangaroo courts and tribunals and mediating bodies in Canberra. Mm. Uh, even the report now that uh, if um, people suspect criminality in their office, they've got to report it to the Prime Minister. Well, it's not the job of the Prime Minister to collect uh, reports of criminality, it's the police. And uh, in New South Wales, and also the ACT, uh, we've spent billions on the police, the courts, the criminal justice system, the prisons, 
and um, it's there to be used directly. So I, I just don't like the idea. We've seen kangaroo courts in the university system that deny natural justice. They don't follow the rules of evidence or proper legal representation. People can have their lives destroyed by some of these allegations. Sure. Uh, kangaroo courts don't work out very well for the alleged victims. So the, the bottom line really is go straight to the police uh, when the evidence is fresh and people who've committed serious crime should spend a very long time in jail. Well, that's right. Look, I don't want to talk about the incident in general for obvious reasons because it's now a police matter, but I'll declare an interest here. Um, I know Brittany Higgins. I'm, I'm good mates with her partner. He's an old producer of mine at 2CC in Canberra. Now, um, we've known about this for quite some time. Well, I have, certainly. Um, the, the issue was that Brittany did not feel safe uh, going to report this incident to police because she feared there'd be, uh, quote-unquote, political repercussions. So basically she thought if she goes ahead and reports this alleged incident, and it's alleged, of course, need to be very clear, that she thought, well, if I do this, I'm never going to work in this place again. That's very unfair. Well, it is. Um, if, if that's the standard, that's got to change. And, yeah. and they should write into the employment contracts clauses that clearly specify if anyone goes to the police with a legitimate complaint, um, they should never be punished, uh, jeopardised in the workplace because of that. They've got to have a protection. Yeah. You've got to protect people who have um, reports of criminality that the police act on. So um, that if, if a change needs to be made, it, mm. it sounds like that's where it needs to happen rather than the suggestion that in future cases uh, there's some internal tribunal, cross-party tribunal or a vetting body in Parliament House that looks at these things, that makes its own judgments and then decides to take it on to the police. I just think that's incredibly stupid and incredibly dangerous. Well, it is. Because these kangaroo courts haven't worked out in higher education and they certainly no. won't work out well in Parliament House. No, and the problem is too is... is it's as clear as the nose on our faces. It's become a political issue, and quite clearly it should be a police issue. And thank goodness now um, they are investigating, and, and hopefully um, it can be sorted out one way or another. Look, Rob Stokes and the new planning division for Sydney, what do you make of all of this, Mark? Well, I always look at the nonsense that every four or five years someone in the planning department comes out with a new plan for cycleways, that all of a sudden we're going to ditch our cars and ride bicycles. Now, if you live in Penrith or Hawkesbury region yeah. or southwest Sydney through Camden, Campbelltown, the idea that cycleways are of any practical use for you is just so absurd. I mean, it's an inner-city obsession. But the bulk of people in Sydney live in the suburbs. Yes. And in those suburbs, uh, the car is an essential item uh, mm -hmm. for getting around, for getting to work, for getting to the train station. Yep. And cycleways um, have got no practical impact. So to have a, yet again another planning emphasis on cycleways, I just think is ridiculous to think that's the way of the future post-COVID is a nonsense. And the other thing in this is that every single planning document we're getting in New South Wales now says the planning principle is connection to country, an Indigenous principle. But, you know, they did this at the Aerotropolis, the big residential and commercial area they're building around Sydney Second yeah. International Airport. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's no connection to country there. The, the, the reality is that they're knocking down all the vegetation the Indigenous once inhabited yep. and lived in mm. uh, to build huge tarmacs of an international airport, uh, residential estates, industrial, commercial, tourism areas. Yep. 
This is virtue signalling of the worst kind. It's an insult, I think, to the Indigenous to say somehow the urban planning of, of Sydney, this, this sort of vast metropolis with large areas of tarmac and concrete, somehow has a connection to country. Like, there's a, there's a room, obviously, for Indigenous heritage and, and, and values, of course, but not to the point of absurdity. And that's where Rob Stokes is taking this. And he and the chief guy in the planning department are as delusional as any people I've ever seen in my time in politics. Why are they doing it, Mark, do you think? Is it to, you know, to, to cross a few uh, T's and dots and I's to ensure that they're being politically correct and, and virtue signalling, if we want to use that term, just so that they uh, don't fake, face criticism? I mean, I, mean I, I agree with you entirely. I mean, the airport's the airport. Uh, if you want to, I guess, acknowledge um, the traditional owners or original owners, whatever you want, whichever term you want to use of the land, that's fine. When you put up the big sign saying, welcome to Sydney's Badgery Scroll, Nancy Birdwood, uh, Nancy Walton Bird Airport, you know, put underneath on whatever land it was, the traditional owners. That surely is a lot easier and uh, and probably would show respect to um, the Aboriginal ancestors from that area, I think. Well, there's not much more you can do other than not. that when you're building an international airport, exactly. knocking down the vegetation yep. and, and, and putting up housing estates and industrial and tourism areas. So the, the reality is that this connection to country mm. approach is the politics of feel good, the warm inner glow, virtue signalling has no practical impact. No on Indigenous people, wouldn't the smart thing to do to say, look, there's about 60,000 Indigenous people who live in Western Sydney, you know, the airport's going to be part of helping them get a job. Absolutely. And getting a job for their children. Mm-hmm. And it can be part of training for their kids so they yep. can become tradesmen and, 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 and move into the workforce. Isn't that the practical thing we want out of new developments, not some sort of set of Indigenous dots on the, on the document and a statement of connection to country that has no practical impact you know, we've got to improve the lives of Indigenous people rather than insult them with this kind of stuff. And there's a, there's a document out there at the um, airport where they said, oh, we consulted with the Indigenous community. And the consultants came back and said, oh, the Indigenous community said, uh, this is 130 people they spoke to. That, that's yeah. all. The Indigenous people said they were suffering consultation fatigue. Oh, for goodness sake. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. Consultation no. for They've been spoken to so many times mm. about these projects. They've got mm. consultation fatigue. Just set well, up path- helping people yeah. get a job? Yeah, you're right. Uh, just set up pathways. If you're going to consult, uh, then do it practically. Um, earn your money. Set up pathways for uh, young Indigenous uh, people in Western Sydney uh, to be a part of the construction where they can, you know, as you say, uh, make a practical contribution and in return... Um, earn some money and obviously be a part of constructing something that will be vitally important to the uh, the future of our city. Now, how do you say it? Is it cordor or cowder? I've, I've, I've always cordor. marked it up. Cordor, of course it is. It's cordor. down your neck of the woods. Um, yeah. What's going on down there and what the hell has Dodgy Darrell got to do with it? Well, we had a full day of parliamentary hearings about it yesterday with the Transport Minister and officials as to how Darrell Maguire and Country Garden found out about a major road proposed through oh, there, yeah, the Outer right. Sydney Orbital. Mm. Uh, they knew this um, in late 2017, three months ahead of the uh, road uh, details being published. Mm. They knew more than the local members of parliament and certainly the local residents. And it was the key to opening up 
um, a housing estate on 400 hectares of land they purchased a couple of years earlier in, in land speculation. So um, the Transport Minister couldn't explain this. There's emails from uh, transport planning officials there, evidence to the committee yesterday in, in, in budget estimates in the New South Wales Parliament, quite frankly, was an embarrassment to them. It, it was just all over the shop. So we'll have to have further inquiries, and I hope ICAC has further inquiries into how this uh, Chinese land developer and Daryl Maguire knew about uh, road details before uh, local members of parliament, before yeah. it was even published by the New South Wales government, and it yeah. gave them enormous commercial advantage with their 4,000 lot housing estate. Didn't they say, didn't they try and claim that they learned of this new highway route from maps that were published? Uh, come on. I mean,. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we've got a lot of maps that get published that uh, might suggest a future road corridor or whatever. But that's, you know, that's far from being public policy or something that's being put into play. No, they'll broad brush lines on the map, the planning documents for 2056. (laughs) So the officials are saying, oh, they worked it out from those documents. I I live near there and I looked at those documents. But if you could work out the way Country Garden did, this Chinese land developer, if you could work out exactly where the road is going from from that particular document, you're, you're obviously um, the new Einstein of, um, of map analysis because it's just impossible. These sort of just broad lines on the map, squiggles that go down, no suburb names, no street names, but by the end of it, Country Garden had to the metre a prediction of where the um, outer Sydney orbital road would cut their property on its northeast corner, and if they got an interchange there, and that seemed very likely, mm. uh, it would open up this new housing estate with enormous financial advantage for them and Daryl Maguire. So um, we interrogated this yesterday. We found yes. out that it's uh, highly likely the Premier was involved in the in the meetings that established the um, uh, likelihood of an interchange to open up that housing estate. So I think there's a lot there for ICAC in particular to investigate. All right, well, keep on it, mate, because it's obviously a case of not only what you know, but who you know. And, you know, the Premier of this state always tends to say, well, I don't need to know about any of that. Mm. Well, it's important for the public to know exactly what went on there because land developers shouldn't be getting a leg up. There shouldn't be advanced knowledge of these uh, road details. And um, I certainly believe if the Premier attended any of those meetings about the planning of the road and the tunnel that was announced that would have been advantageous to Country Garden, she should have declared a conflict conflict of interest, given that uh, the partner in life, Daryl Maguire, Mm. effectively was on the Country Garden payroll. Absolutely. Mark, it's great to have you on the program. Thank you, mate. Have a great weekend. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Marcus. Cheers. All right, there he is, Mark Latham, One Nation, New South Wales. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Yeah, he's right, you know. He's right. Uh, ICAC really need to have a really good look into this this corridor land deal. And, um, you know, who knew what and what they knew, when they knew, and the connection between the Premier and Daryl Maguire. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. 
All right, welcome back to the program, our last hour for the week. Uh, we'll get into happy hour in a couple of moments. Uh, something very funny from our mate down south, Sammy J. He's uh, taken on <laughs> the, uh, the role of the coach again, and the coach has got a COVID-19 jab. Uh, by the way, uh, parts of the far north coast have been swamped with more than 300 millimetres of rain. There is a bit of a flood emergency, as we heard Britt Ramsey, uh, one of my old journalism mentees, uh, report for us this morning. So we'll just have to keep an eye on that for you. If you're listening to us on the far north coast and you have an update or you're concerned, please feel free to contact us. Uh, Marcus Paul in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com for your emails and of course 131269 on the open line now. Dennis, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Marcus. Can you hear me? I've got you, mate. Go ahead. Yep. Oh. I was listening to Mark Latham, and he's correct when he says that you should report any criminality. But at the moment, we've got two cases where uh, people have reported criminality, and they're up in court. You've got that witness, Kay, who came out and and uh, and uh, yes. with the, came out with the uh, bugging of the embassy in East Timor. He's now in court in a closed court in Canberra. It's a closed court. It's ridiculous. Mm. And Peter Isn't Dutton it? needs to explain exactly yeah. why, but he won't because he believes no. he's a law unto himself. I mean, this guy was a whistleblower, did the right thing. Yep. I mean, and uh, as, as I said, and as you said, a closed court. Is this China, Russia? Now, the other one is the other witness who, who come forward, the whistleblower who uh, said about the atrocities that our soldiers may have uh, committed in Afghanistan. Now, he's in trouble too. So you, you, you report criminality yep. and, uh, and and the house falls on you. Well, well, it can, uh, particularly if there's mm. a so-called national interest, inverted commas, at play. And I don't mm. – uh, that's why – see, I get a little frustrated. And as I mm. mentioned earlier, I've got a bit of a, an interest here, which I've declared. I, I know, Brittany. Yep. I know I'm very close with her partner. Um, yep. You know, for instance, why on earth would um, yeah. an internal AFP division placed at Parliament House be the first people mm. to respond? I mean, that's, again, mm. that's that's not the way can, things should be handled. It should be at can, arm's length yeah. from Parliament House. Can I mention something about that? Uh, just be very careful now because, no, of course, be it's, it's before I the courts. I will be careful. Now, uh, I won't... So a person goes to her boss and says, <clears throat> you know, something's happened to her. Yep. And the boss says, now, there's two scenarios. The boss says, oh, listen, uh, you should go straight to the police. You know, OK, look, I'm going to call the police. You've reported this. I must. It's, it's my duty. to. I can't hide a, a crime that's been committed. I have to, now, or the other one, oh, look, don't, don't. If I was you, I wouldn't report this because your 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 future career in the uh, in, in you know is on the, is in jeopardy. But I'm not telling you what to do. But mm. you think about that. You know, think about that. Uh, I'm not putting many pressure on you. But uh, if you report this, so which one do you think? Which scenario do you think <clears throat> would have happened? I know which one happened. You know, but uh, anyway. Well, I- you Sorry. Hopefully uh, it'll all get sorted out and one way or another we'll find uh, the truth of the matter. I know there are two sides to every story, but uh-huh. I mean, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire and this bloke, uh, the, uh, look, there's a whole, there's a lot of rumours circulating. Rumours mm. uh, which kind of, when you put them all together, make a little bit of sense. I mean, I'm uh-huh. hearing that this fellow, the alleged uh, perpetrator, uh-huh. has fled the country. I'm also... 
heard that he possibly, quite possibly, has a link to the Morrison family. So, look, there's a whole uh, range of rumours okay. that are circulating. So you've got to be very okay, careful. Listen, you're doing a good job, Mark. Thank you, mate. Thank you, and I appreciate it. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine to have you say. Dave. Oh, okay, let's kick off happy hour with my mate Dave. Um, let's set it up for you, Dave. Here we go. Every Friday we have a little bit of fun. Uh, by the way, who are we speaking to next week, Scruff? We've had some great artists on the program recently. Um, but next week, here he comes. Come on in. Where you been all my life? Where you been? You've been sleeping at no, I'm No, I have not been. Uh, it's been you'll a very be, busy day. You'll be very happy to hear this because I know you're a big fan. Mm. Pete Murray. He's oh, got, Pete Murray. He's got a brand new album coming out I very like soon. Pete. And uh, he'll call from, I think he lives in Byron Bay. Oh, he's one of Byron Bay's best surfers, <laughs> yes. is Pete Murray, up yeah. there on the uh, north coast, lucky fella. So we'll speak to him next Friday. All right, so Pete Murray next Friday. Uh, we had Amy Shark last uh, last week, and we've had, uh, who else have we spoken to so far this year? Oh, many Kate people. Sobrano. Kate Sobrano. She was wonderful. We're, we're, we're going to try and speak to, uh, I'm looking forward to Sushi. The sushi, sushi mango, sushi mango. They're what pretty funny Jordan? fellas. Can we can we wake Jordan up? Uh, listen, he doesn't get up before ten. Listen, any uh, friendly <laughs> prawnies that might be listening, it's time to put a, put a bit of pressure on Jordan. Uh, tell him to wake up early on a Friday because we need him to come on. All right, all right. Uh, Dave, morning, mate. How are you? The patient says, "Doctor, mm. I think I've got Dutch flu." The doctor says, "What do you mean?" He says, "Well." I'm all clogged up. Oh, Dave. All right, thank you. Clogged up. I get it. 13, 12, 69. If you would like to have you say happy hour. Uh, bring me down. Can't run. Uh, bring me down. The love is too high. Uh, bring me down. Can't run. Uh, bring me down. I said, Bring me down. All right, it's a quarter past eight. Now for a little giggle, I think, for happy hour this morning. Uh, we thought we'd catch up with our mate Sammy J from down south in Victoria, a, a great comedian with the uh, ABC. He's uh, We played these skits before, and the video of it, by the way, is up on Marcus Paul in the morning. Just go to 2smsupernetwork.com and click on our page. You'll see it there. It's very funny. One of the characters that Sammy does is a coach. Um, and it has a bit of an AFL theme, but uh, you get the uh, you get the drift. And the coach, this character, I see he was first in line the other day to get the uh, COVID-19 jab. A big week in Australia with the COVID-19 vaccination program rolling out across the country. Here we see the Prime Minister receiving his shot on Sunday. And I believe we're crossing live to the government coach who is set to receive the jab any minute now. We good? Yeah, we good? Can I take my mask off yet? Sweet. Can't be too careful. Okay, uh, rightio. Well, without any further ado, uh, welcome everyone. Uh, massive day for the club here. Uh, you know, we've been playing on needles for a while now, so can't think of a more fitting way of getting back on the field. And from what I'm told, it's just going to be a little prick. <laughs> Has everyone else in the country already made that joke? Have they? Yeah, no. Fair enough. Uh, right, today's not about me, of course, it's about the fans. So I want to introduce Margaret. Margaret's just received her first vaccination and she's a long-time supporter of the club. I'm voting for Albo. Well, I hope that's not a side effect. Rightio, Margaret, you're dead to me. Might move along to the doctor instead, who can tell us all about the science in more uh, specific detail. Well, welcome, everybody. 
Today we'll be administering the first shot of the Pfizer vaccination. Is there a Pfizer? I thought I was getting the AstraZeneca. No, it's the Pfizer. Well, which one's a good one? Well, they're both effective in stopping severe symptoms. Yeah, but I'm trying to project confidence here, Doc, and how can I have confidence if you're giving me the crap vaccine? This is the Pfizer. What's the rest of the country getting? The AstraZeneca. The crap one? Yeah, but I'm getting the good one. Okay, carry on. Now, we do need to administer this fairly quickly due to temperature requirements. Okay. If you could just roll up your sleeve. No worries. Sorry, green and gold's a bit tight. Should I take it off? Oh, yeah, probably. Okay, best. no worries. Yeah. Go, Sharkies. Uh, we still need to see your arm. Oh, sorry. Approach. I'll take this one off too. There we are. Now, when the needle is presented, you may wish to look the other way. Mate, looking the other way is what our club does best. You've been reading the headlines lately? <laughs> Not on Facebook, obviously. Yeah, Coach, what do you say to the people who are anxious about the vaccine? Oh, well, as ScoMo says, you've got to have a jab to get a jab. You know, we're all about jabs and growth here. And how many of the players have been vaccinated other than ScoMo? Oh, we've just done the superstars, Greg Hunt, uh, Spud Dutton and uh, Barnaby Joyce. Although he's had a few uh, nasty side effects, Barnaby's gone fully red in the face and started frothing at the mouth. Yeah. Excuse me, coach. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, Barnaby hasn't had his vaccine yet. Oh, there you go. Oh, sorry, coach, we can't actually get to your arm. Exactly how many Australian sports jerseys do you have on? Um, I think 17, last count. Can't be too Australian, can you? Well, the batch is about to expire. So okay, okay. Well, don't want to hold it up. Uh, let's just, let's go with the glutes, eh? What do you reckon? <sighs> okay. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Remember, Australia, stay safe, stay open. Is this going to hurt? No more than me on job seeker. Oh, you bloody mongrel. Okay, rodeo. Go for gold. Okay, just give me a, a little warning if you wouldn't mind. Sir Robert Menzies! Oh, there it is. It's that easy. Okay, how's that, Margaret? Come on, be for vaccine. Show us what you got. That's how you do it. It's that simple, Australia. We got this. Oh. Do I get a lollipop now? Oh, that's so good. So good. Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Stay right here. Don't go anywhere. Yeah. The coach taking one for the team ahead of everybody else, mind you. Selfish coach. Yep, Janet Jackson, Luther Vandross, the best things in life are free. 13 12 69, my telephone number, if you would like to have you say. It's happy hour. Uh, something that's very funny. Uh, we've put it up. Uh, I can't play the audio because you'll just hear a, a bit of music. But there's a video that we've shared this morning uh, which features the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, and Dan Andrews. And someone's put it up on TikTok and through some sort of wonderful technology, they've allowed <laughs> both men's mouths and faces to move in time with the music, and the song is Video Killed the Radio Star. It is funny as. Very, very good. So if you want a bit of a laugh, um, you know, maybe you might want to just get away from all of the political stuff and the nasty news and the bad headlines. For a feel-good Friday, you've got to check it out. In just a couple of moments, uh, Emma Hurst from the Animal Justice Party will join us. Dogs have, have been saved from a cruel puppy farm. All 79 of these pooches have been saved, but they needed urgent medical, uh, veterinary and medical attention. So we'll speak to, to Emma about that after 8.30. And Chris Bowen from Bowen's Garage uh, joining us on the program as well. I've got a note here from Chris. What's he been cruising in lately? Old Bowen. Yeah, well, we'll talk to him after 8.30 as well. Um, 
Sorry, Chris, if, you, if you're listening, mate, we, uh, we'll grab you after 8.30 this morning. I know it's a little later than normal, but um, let's have a look here. Oh, the Mitsubishi Pajero Sport. He's been doing some beach driving with it. He's got a pretty tough life as Bowie. So that's on very soon after the 8.30 news, which isn't too far away. Uh, Look, I, I wanted to go into this in a bit more detail now. Uh, the reason we speak to Andrew Lee each week on the program is because of his... Well, apart from being a decent bloke, his work on trying to claw back millions of our taxpayer dollars has been outstanding. I refer to JobKeeper supplement payments. Um, Harvey Norman was in Andrew's sights last week. They still have not repaid JobKeeper despite making millions and millions in profit. I mean, it's not a bad rot, really, when you think about it. And why isn't the Prime Minister and the Treasurer cracking down on these companies? I mean, Josh has, has been as soft as, I don't know, a feather duster to his mates in big business. They should be repaying the bloody money. Footwear retailer Accent Group is the latest. They will not hand back any of the almost $50 million it received uh, in JobKeeper supplements from you and I, everybody that works, despite reporting, are you ready for it, a $20 million jump in profits for the first half of 2021. The financial year I'm talking about. The $1.2 billion retailer, which operates stores such as Platypus, Hype and Sketches, well, they need to repay the money or don't go there. All right, I've gone uh, to the news uh, a little early, but that's OK um, because we do have some breaking news. I don't want to... I don't want to uh, upset Di in the newsroom, though, but um, I do have uh, a breaking news story here. The body of missing businesswoman Melissa Caddick has been found on the New South Wales south coast more than three months after she disappeared from her home in Sydney's eastern suburbs. The 49-year-old did not take a mobile phone while at all keys when she left her Dover Heights home to go for a run just before sunrise on November 12th. So just uh, updating that breaking news, the body of missing businesswoman Melissa Caddick has been found on the New South Wales south coast more than three months after she disappeared. Now we can go to the newsroom to Diane. She'll have the latest on this. Unscripted, genuine and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back. I see that New South Wales police will hold a press conference In fact, it may have already started. That's in relation to the investigation into the disappearance of missing Dover Heights woman, Melissa Caddick. Look what we can tell you. The body of this missing businesswoman has been found this morning on the New South Wales south coast. It's more than three months since Melissa disappeared from her home in Sydney's eastern suburbs. Now, she didn't take a mobile phone, of course, when she left. So her remains have been found... She had no wallet or keys when uh, she walked out of Dover Heights home to go for a run just before sunrise back on November 12. Uh, She hadn't been seen since, of course. Now, prior to her disappearance, her eastern suburbs home was raided by investigators from the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, ASIC, and they alleged she was misappropriating investor funds through her financial services company, uh, Maliva, and operating without a licence. So, as I say, we'll just, uh, we might just quickly go to uh, New South Wales Police here. Eastern Suburbs Police Area Command, and I want to provide you all with 
details of a significant breakthrough in the investigation into the disappearance of Melissa Caddick, but we'll recap a few points uh, if you'll bear with me. As you're all aware, Melissa was last seen physically uh, at her home address in Dover Heights on Wednesday the 11th of November last year. During that day, a search warrant was executed by uh, the Australian Securities Investment Commission, RASIC, which concluded that evening. Police have been informed that around 5.30am the following day, the front door of her home was heard to close uh, by her son, who believed that it was Melissa leaving to go for a run. Um, at that time, um, Melissa left her personal belongings, which included her mobile phone, wallet and keys. The next morning, Melissa Caddick was in, reported missing to police. As a result, a missing person investigation was launched, which involved police from the Eastern Suburbs Police Area Command, the State Crime Command Missing Persons Registry and other resources. Appeals for information yielded numerous inquiries, which have been followed up without any confirmed sightings of Melissa from the time of her reported disappearance. Part of those investigations included extensive land, air and sea searches. During the course of those searches, our Marine Area Command provided advice to investigators based on uh, offshore drift modelling that raised the possibility that an object or a body that entered the water around the Davis Heights area could drift as far south as the Bermagui area. I can now inform you that uh, last Sunday, Sunday the 21st of February, a shoe was located on the shoreline of the Bordana National Park south of Tathra by campers. Within that shoe were the remains of a human foot. That foot and the shoe, which matched the size and description of a shoe that Melissa Caddick was seen wearing during the execution of the ASIC search warrant, were conveyed to the New South Wales Health Forensic and Science Services section here in Sydney, where DNA from the foot was last night matched to DNA, a DNA sample from Melissa Caddick's toothbrush and from family members. Melissa's family were informed of the identification last night and are obviously distressed. Now, as you're aware, there's been a lot of commentary and a lot of speculation in relation to the uh, disappearance of Melissa Caddick, and that's understandable. Clearly, the circumstances of Ms. Melissa's disappearance uh, have been distressing for many people, including her alleged victims and, of course, her family and friends. I can say that exactly how Melissa came to enter the water is still a mystery and uh, will be subject of ongoing investigations by the Strike Force team. And police have always kept an open mind in relation to uh, what the circumstances were for her disappearance, including the fact that Melissa may have taken her own life. However, a definitive decision in relation to the manner, time and cause of death is a matter for the coroner. And investigations, as I said, will be ongoing. Um, finally, can I acknowledge the outstanding work of police from the Eastern Suburbs Police Area Command, State Crime Command, um, our search specialist search officers, the Marine Area Command, and most importantly, our, our colleagues at New South Wales Health um, for the outstanding work that they've done in a timely manner to, uh, to match uh, those remains to Melissa's DNA. All right, we'll leave it there. That is uh, the police. Uh, I didn't get the gentleman's name. It's not up on the screen, but uh, you heard there. I mean, quite graphic detail of the fact that a shoe 
that contained the remains of Melissa Caddick's foot was found just off uh, a national park on the beach. And DNA um, matching has confirmed that it is the remains of Melissa Caddick, who, as we know, disappeared some three months ago. So that's the latest on that. There'll be more details, of course, throughout the course of the morning. Stay listening to us here on the Super Radio Network. And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, everything on the road with Bowen's Garage. All righty. Chris Bowen joins us each and every Friday. Bowensgarage.com.au. Hello, buddy. Good morning, Marcus. Hello, mate. Thanks for sticking through us on that very important story. Obviously, a big story breaking this morning. Um, You've been on a beach, but uh, hopefully one that is a little uh, less eerie than what we've just described there, mate. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, there's nothing more liberating than taking a four-wheel drive vehicle onto a beach, is there? It's fantastic. And I know that you broadcast to this listening area. We took the Mitsubishi Pajero Sport up to a beach called Blacksmith, which is near yeah. Swansea. Oh. It's about six or seven k's long. You've been there? Oh, I know it well, and uh, you're lucky. I mean, you do this for a job, for God's sake. Stop it. <laughs> hey? I know. And then you've got Stockton Beach up a bit further, too, just north of Newcastle. That's, mm. I mean, that's 30 k's in length. Anyway. Look, we took this Pajero Sport. The Pajero Sport is a five- or seven-seat four-wheel drive wagon, which is based on the Mitsubishi Triton. Now, you know, dual cabs are very popular. You see plenty of people getting around to them, and obviously you get that trade, yeah. four-wheel drive ability and, and, and towing ability. But in reality, they're not good family cars because the second row sits bolt upright. So you go for this sort of car, right? It's got five or seven seats. The one I tested was just short of the top of the range model which is around 60 grand i had the gls mm. for fifty three thousand nine hundred ninety dollars. Yeah. now look it was great i mean it allows you to fold down that third row you've got a lot of cargo space it's got a very sophisticated four-wheel drive system four-wheel drive systems have come so far you can literally just flick it from one mode to another yeah. on the fly while you're driving along wow uh, the beach was relatively challenging it's quite soft sand up there but mm. um any four-wheel driver would know that you should lower your tire pressures which we did yeah. and uh, in general we had a good time um there's plenty of these vehicles on the market you've got the ford everest which mind you incidentally mm. uh, the equivalent um variant for the everest is around sixty thousand, which i think makes the pajero sport gls a pretty good um, uh, proposition when it comes to pricing. Uh, you, you do need to cop a rather clattery diesel up front, the 2.4-litre turbo diesel. It's an eight-speed automatic, but you get good fuel economy too, eight litres per 100, and also, you know, fairly comprehensive safety features for, you know, a vehicle that is basically a, a based on a truck. Okay. Um, and, I mean, how's the ride, uh, most importantly? The- most importantly, look, you know that you're, you're driving something that is a little bit agricultural, as I said. It lumbers mm. around town a bit. It's fine on the beach. But then, you know, I had a chance to jump straight into it. I've got the Ford Everest base camp in the driveway right now. That is, that's the best. That is the market leader in terms of just manoeuvrability. Uh, it really soaks up the bumps well. Yeah. And it drives much closer to an SUV than what the Pajero Sport does. Mm. But as I said, it's far more expensive. And, you know, if I was shopping for one of these sorts of vehicles, you really got to pay, uh, pay close attention to the Pajero Sport GLS in my mind. All right. Um, Bowie, I know you've done podcasts and videos on this. Where do we go uh, for all the information on this Pajero? 
Well, look, I think it's easy just to go to balancegarage.com.au. You'll find everything there. And you can click on all the various social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I'm everywhere. You're everywhere, word, man. And including your great show as well. Oh, so. thank you, my friend. Uh, well, listen, what are you driving next? <laughs> what am I driving next? Mm. Well, I've actually also got the the straight-up Mitsubishi Pajero. So that's the right. original four-wheel drive. But that thing's been around since 2006. And yes. they just keep uploading, up, uh, updating it. Well, they sell well. Glorified. They sell, it's a good car. I've actually yeah. enjoyed it getting around it. Um, there's a few Mercedes-Benz on the way. <laughs> there's a few Mercs on the way. Oh. I know you're a Beamer man. I know you're a Beamer man. Well, we'll look, you know, that that, uh, that <laughs> boat sailed weeks ago and I didn't get an invite. Yeah, I know, I know you. As I said, you're far down the, the list in terms of priorities. I was devastated. <laughs> devastated and mortified. Um, and I should also add, head to my YouTube channel. Um, we're getting a lot of subscribers. and Good, good on awesome. you, mate. That'd be great uh, if people could do that. Subscribe. Mm. Your radio platform has really helped me, so I appreciate no, that. That's all right, mate. Well, listen, we go go to bowensgarage.com.au for all the details there, and we'll talk to you again next Friday, bud, okay? I'll be right here, ready for you. Look after yourself, Chris. You too. See you, Marcus. Chris Bowen, who's our motoring expert on Marcus Paul in the morning. Next, though, Emma Hurst, one of our hashtag warriors. Animal warrior Emma Hurst. You know that Emma's been fighting so hard to outlaw puppy farming in New South Wales. And I'm going to explain an horrific story next, which should provide her with far more support. We need to ban puppy farming in New South Wales. Sydney's own 2SM 1269. All right, it's 11 to 9. Emma Hurst from the Animal Justice Party, as you know, is our hashtag animal warrior. Morning to you, Emma. Good morning, Marcus. More ammunition I see on why we need to bloody well ban puppy farming in New South Wales. Dozens of adorable uh, fur babies have been saved from a cruel puppy farm with all 79 of the dogs needing urgent medical attention. Absolutely. So the information that we have is that there was a raid in the central west New South Wales um, where 79 dogs were seized. And as you say, they were all needing urgent veterinary treatment. Um, The very sad part of this story as well is that I'm led to believe that there are dogs that were left behind. Um, And that, of course, is not the RSPCA's fault. That's the fault of the government because these facilities are still legal. It's still legal to run a puppy farm. So the RSPCA, I'm sure, would have liked to have taken all of the dogs at this facility, but they can only take the dogs that needed that urgent veterinary treatment. Um, But do we trust people who have 79 dogs in urgent need of veterinary care to care for the rest of the dogs that are still in their in their possession. So in other words, uh, it'll be business as usual for this puppy farm operator. Will they uh, be fined for neglect or fined in some way, shape or form for the state of the animals that were taken away? Well, we would hope so. So the RSPCA will certainly obviously still be running their investigation and we hope to see a prosecution, um, particularly in regards to whatever condition those 79 dogs um, were in when they came out. 
Um, But of course, you know, this isn't a one-off case. Um, You know, last year we were talking about Strawberry the Boxer um, with a puppy farm in Adam Marshall's electorate. Um, It's just one after the other. And and the problem is that as long as the New South Wales government allows puppy farming to remain legal, animal cruelty issues will continue to happen. How close are you to getting the legislation needed, Emma, to outlaw, outlaw this practice? So we've drafted our own piece of legislation because the government still haven't acted. Um, We're still finalising the final pieces of that. Now, look, we do have some support. Um, Labor have come on board and the Greens have come on board. But we will need more than that to actually get the legislation passed um, in the upper house. And then, of course, in the lower house, it will rely on the government to support the legislation. Um, But, of course, if they're going to vote down this legislation, then they're really going to have a fight on their hands um, because this is something that urgently, urgently needs to be dealt with. No, absolutely. All right, Emma. Well, good luck. I know you're fighting a a tough battle, but, again, sadly, um, look, if anything good can come of this, then hopefully it's more ammunition to get this thing across the line for you in the New South Wales Parliament. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Marcus. Take care. Thanks, Em. Bye. Thanks. All right. Our hashtag animal warrior, Emma Hurst. Well, that's the most pathetic jump I've ever seen. Hey? I can't jump for Lift your legs. Lift your legs, would you? Jump. Oh. <laughs> oh, Justin's just gone. Ass over Apex trying to jump. I'm all right. I'm you all sure? Right. Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> Come up the dial and give us a trial. Marcus Paul in the morning. Get yourself up there, scruff. Ah, yes, I'm okay. Don't worry. All right, thank you for all your help this week. No problem. It's been a great week. And thanks for joining us. Uh, it's been another big week on the program. Marcus Paul in the morning podcast will be up after lunch, so you can listen back to a very jam-packed show. I think today was it was good. Thank you for your emails, your phone calls, and all your messages. Have a safe wonderful weekends and the king of talkback John Laws is joining you next you can call Lawsy 1300 564652 bye hi he's my son and then I got a call from the bank manager I never expected this from the daughter if I don't change my will I can't see the grandkids again for free confidential support call 1800 elder help that's 1800 353 374 what's up with a and supplements for you and me Vitae 